All right, so we're talking season uh, five, episode 13, The Masterpiece Society. And this episode was recommended by our friends over at womenatwarp.com, the Women at Warp podcast. And you should check it out. Women at Warp is a twice-monthly podcast where four women talk about Star Trek, its representations of women, contributions of women behind the scenes, and other, friend, fr- and other fun Trek topics. And they were nice enough to recommend this episode, so check out their podcast, uh, womenatwarp.com, or find it on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. And this episode opens in Moab 4 with a stellar core fragment, which looks pretty cool, big blue ball. And they kind of talk, like, uh, there's like, a, they're doing scans. I think the Enterprise got stuck just following uh, this core fragment through the universe, so... I get that would be a boring job, but they find they say, well, we got somebody like life signs down on this planet in some sort of environment, and Worf's hailing them, but they're not listening. They say, geez, did a pl- did a ship go down here or what? And then Jordy's like, it looks like they uh, have some kind of old subspace relay. And they say, okay, use those lower bands, uh, like AM or FM or something. And Picard says, Jesus, it's John Luke, uh, call me back. And then they put up a shield. Uh, and Riker says, well, that's not nice. And Riker, Picard says, well, geez, we're not doing anything. We just got this stellar core coming on through. It's going to uh, mess up gravity and, and tectonic action. And then this guy, Aaron, pops up on screen. Meanwhile, there's like another guy. It's like a FaceTime moment. And there's... Uh, but there's in this guy pacing in the background the whole time, who's like ends up as their like uh, Supreme Court. It is urgent. What else we got here? Oh, we mean no harm. But I, I said Picard would have said like uh, Ronald Moore, like this is fracking important about this fragment. Uh, but he didn't say that. But I put it in there. Would pay fracking attention. Uh, but then the guys walk around in the background and then we see like three more extras. Uh, and then they go back. The guys say, well, I don't know. He goes, we're fine. He goes, we got a, we got a shield and we're, we're, we're a sealed off environment. No, nothing will bother us. And then Riker goes, Mr. Data drops some science on them and Data drops the science and says, you know, you're, you're not going to do it, uh. Uh, which they say we well, you got to evacuate, and then the guy in the background's glaring. It goes, then that that's when he says we're sealed in here, and right, right or Picard goes, we're, we're capable of matter energy transport, and they're like, what? Holy moly! And but the uh, the Supreme Court guy doesn't like it, and they say, well, we'll send Riker and the crew to check it out. Uh, also, they're dressed in the 80s, like almost like the 80s fashion was the, uh, this society decided that was what was modern, uh, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But, uh, and then this guy, Aaron, his inflection and, uh, his manner of speaking is very Peter Baelish like. And then the episode opens, then that nervous guy, uh, the Supreme Court guy, Martin. He's talking about the dangers of introducing people into their society. There's a lot of modern sculptures. Uh, then they find out that this is an engineered society, and everyone from the Enterprise is like, what? Like, WTF? Like, holy cow, really?
you know, like we selectively choose people and, and, uh, and they say, no, 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 not in a discriminatory way, you know, just discriminatory against genes and DNA. Like we're totally nice people. And everyone's like, uh, but Troy kind of finds it interesting because they think they're involved, evolved, well, but they still need zippers and they have things with collars, but they're in a climate controlled environment and their clothing's layered, which I would say is evolved for comfort in a control, climate-controlled environment. Because you say, okay, just keep it at 68 or 65 or 60, and then you layer your clothes. I'd say 60 would be my vote. But I know that's a little bit low. But then you say layer your clothes. Uh, but I don't know if, like, uh, you're evolved. Why do you need zip? What's with the collar? Because you think they wouldn't have, like, cross breezes unless you want it. Uh, but let's see. Then they still need zippers. Uh, 745 was funny. Right, they have this modern sculpture. It's uh, 7 minutes and 45 seconds. Riker really looks over the sculpture like twice. And it's just this modern abstract sculpture. Like, he looks at it, then he looks more. It really, that was like one of the highlights of the episode. Uh, then they, like Martin says, well, geez, we're all like engineered for our roles. Uh, like when Martin, when no Aaron says that when a- Martin leaves and he was engineered to be like, like a strict, like interpreter of our uh, constitution more or less. And so he's very strict, uh, you know, what is that called by the book guy? Uh, so he doesn't, you know, he doesn't think any, he doesn't care if we're going to get uh, fragmented by a star fragment. He says, you know, we got to stick with, uh, what the founders believed. And Aaron says, uh, well, but I was, you know, I'm here, I'm a, I'm a politician, you know, I know how to smooth things out. And Troy says, obviously you do. And she says it in this smug way. And even Riker picks up on it. And then they go back and forth, and then you even see Aaron and Troy kind of share another moment. And then they go into the lab with Hannah Bates, uh, who's their head engineer. And uh, Jordy and Troy are in there, and they're talking to her. And Jordy's Geor- like, well, okay, I'm going to meet with her and get an idea of the engineering. And Riker goes, okay, this is at 940. Riker goes, okay, uh, uh, Troy and I are going to head back, Jordy. And I think this has happened to all of us at a party at some time in one relationship in our lives, lives where the other person, it's time to leave the party, say, hey, let's get out of here. The party's over, and they're kind of flirting with someone. And maybe it's like, like you never know, but they say, no, no, I think I'll stay. And Troy says that maybe it's your, you know, someone you're not in a relationship anymore, but it still burns. In this case, that's kind of what I got. Uh, he says, uh what happened? She, she says, no, I think I'll stay here. And he gets this look on his face. Uh, and then he goes, Enterprise, one to beam up. And it was just one of the greatest moments of my entire life. Uh, I even put holy hell, because, uh, you know, Riker says hell every episode. He said it this one, but that was earlier. I missed it. We're like, why the hell do they got a shield if they're... But he said it like both pissed and amused to like Riker Wood because he's so smooth. He plays the trombone. So, I mean, obviously he's got things, moves that I'm even unaware of. Uh, but that was just a great, great moment. Then uh, Aaron and Troy are in the garden talking subtext. She goes, I hope my presence won't be disruptive. Don't want to throw you off your balance. And he goes, the damage is done.
And they go, she goes, well, what do you do about unexpected stuff? And he goes, well, we're engineered, you know, some things, small things that come up. But for the most part, you know, we run pretty well. You know, if we didn't, and he goes, it's pretty boring, right? It's pretty dull. And Troy laughs when he says dull, like it's the most charming thing she's ever heard. You know, I don't have a, like, like I, I really like uh, like the characters on the show. So like Troy and Crusher and Tasha, like, like, but I don't have a crush on anybody. So, so but I could say like, if, if she likes this guy who's charming and dull, like I'm just dull. So maybe she might like me, but I like, uh, like, uh, I don't know. I have too much respect for these characters. I just don't have a crush on any Star Trek characters. Uh, no, no, no. Any of those characters I just mentioned. Uh, but this is also when we see this, uh, like, uh, Connor, Aaron Connor is very, um, and this is when we get the Baelish moment for me because he said, she says, geez, like, uh, I find this all fascinating because I'm a student of human nature. He goes, a student of human nature. And she goes, yeah, I'm the ship's counselor. He goes, oh, no work for here. You know, that's what it like a classic line for all therapists is, I don't need therapy. I'm totally, uh, she, she, she just lets it slide by. And she goes, she's, I she he goes, you wouldn't be needed here. And she goes, oh, well, really, I'd book my next vacation here just to observe, uh, if you had a hotel, and he goes, well, we don't have a hotel, but I'll build one. You know, very Baylor. She says, well, I have to build one. I don't know. I, I thought it was funny. And then we have Jordy and Hannah talking about Tetris and plasma cores, and then they have an idea about a, using a multi-phase tractor beam uh, to kind of push the fr- fragment away. So then they have a meeting with everybody, and they say, well, Hannah would have to go to the Enterprise and so they argue about that, and then Aaron says, well, you can go, Hannah. And Troy's going to go with Hannah and Jordy back to the ship. She goes, may I return later? And he says, I look forward to it, my dear. Uh, then Jordy and Troy and Hannah go up, and then there's an ad. Uh, then on the Enterprise, uh, Troy and Picard are having this, like, very dark Earl Grey tea. And that's when we have this opening, you know, that, like, that I talked about the opening where Picard kind of says, she said, they've turned a dubious scientific endeavor into a dogma. And she goes, you don't approve of it? He goes, this isn't a bad idea. It's time long past. Uh, Troy says, it's going well. And he goes, no, no, no. They've given away their humanity. He goes, the things they're trying to get rid of, self-discovery, unknown, those are the qualities that make life worth living. He goes, you know, you, like we're made of mistakes. Uh, hint, hint, hint. And Troy says, well, geez, I'm just trying to figure it out. And he goes, this Connor, he seems like a reasonable guy. She goes, oh, yeah, I find him very, this is funny. She goes, I find him very reasonable, open to suggestions, thoughtful, quite disarming. The perfect uh, uh, administrator. I put subtext for a lover because that's really what they're talking about. And he goes, really, you admire him? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He cares about his people. And Picard says, well, then hopefully if he's a good leader, he'll make the right decision and people will follow him. Uh, then we have Hannah and Jordy down uh, talking about uh, uh, Jordy's blindness and the idea of genetic manipulation and that some genes are better than others. And Jordy says, well, I'm just doing just fine. I don't need to, like, uh, 
Like, I don't, like, this is who I am. I'm a human being, and, uh, like, that that's it. Like, uh, some of my parts are greater than the whole or the greater whatever. He goes, you guys think you're such great stuff. Uh, he goes, picking and choosing your genes. And then she, they try to change the sub. She says, well, how does your spectrum work, like your uh, visor work? And by changing it, like changing the subject, then Jordy says, well, it gives me a great idea. We could use the technology in my visor to, with the tractor beam to keep it from overloading. And he says, oh, that's perfect. You know, total irony that uh, my visor will be the one that saves your perfectly genetically engineered society. No offense intended, but it's sweet, sweet irony. Uh, then we're back on the planet. It's date night on the planet. Uh, and this prodigy's having this recital. It seemed, I mean, I guess to me, I wouldn't have fit in there anyway, but this was like his date night. Everyone's sitting on these uncomfortable benches and stuff, just listening to this kid play piano with no other stimulation and uh, like, uh, it couldn't, I thought it looked terribly uncomfortable for me. Also, every, a lot of people there have feathered hair. Not everybody, but it, I always like wondered what feather hair was. It's the kind of thing you can see it, you know, when you see it, but I always was like, doesn't it just mean you're combing your hair backwards? Like, why you got to call it feathered? You know, someone with fur instead of hair. It was a difficult subject for me as a child, but I would say, well, it's no feathered. It's just combed backwards. What are you calling it feathered for? It, you know, I get it, get on my nerves, I guess what I'm saying. Uh, then Baelish, uh, Aaron rolls out with, well, there's a little quake. And so then he says, keep playing, but I'm going to take a walk outside with Troy. And they go into this fern observe, uh, observe, like, uh, observate, observatory. And Troy says, Jesus is lovely here. And they're looking out the window outside of the, like, uh, base. It's like a desert. And he goes, yeah, it's sad we're going to lose it. And she goes, well, why don't you just rebuild somewhere? And then they, I didn't get this totally. He says, well, he talks about the Humpty Dumpty nursery rhyme, which I said, well, why would your parents tell you that if you're perfect? Humpty Dumpty, like, they share a moment, though, because he says Humpty Dumpty, blah, blah, blah. And then they say, put, fell off the wall, broke, and they put him back, to tried to put him back together again, but they couldn't. Or whatever the proper Humpty Dumpty is. And they say, why don't we tell kids weird fairy tales? And Troy says, to prepare them for times like these. Uh, and he goes, uh, fragile as an egg and impossible to reconstruct, just like our society. And she goes, geez, I wish I could help. He goes, well, you have been help. You've been my counselor. And Troy goes, counselors like indicates uh, professional distance. I'd rather think we're friends. And he says, this is total Baelish. She goes, friends? That won't do either. And then he gives her a kiss. He says, will it? And she goes, Aaron. And he goes, I must confess, uh, you know, if I thought you know, about leaving, if we have to leave, then knowing you'd be on the other side, it would be pretty sweet. And then he kisses her again. And she says, this is wrong. And I couldn't tell if he said, uh, either says terribly wrong or certainly wrong. And then kiss. they start to really kiss. And there's a commercial so everybody could get a tall, cold glass of water. And we see Jordy and Hannah talking to Picard and Riker about the visor breakthrough, 300% increase in efficiency. Riker's like, that's not enough. And then they say, well, we'll fix the shields up too. Need about 50 engineers down there. 
then we go back down the plant. There's like this overhead shot of Troy playing notes on a piano for a little while. And like we see that they're shard cross lovers. I thought that was funny. Star shard cross lovers, uh, Troy and Aaron. Is that it there? Uh, I guess because they talk like about uh, that last night was a bad idea and Troy says it shouldn't have happened, you know. And obviously we are star shard cross lovers because I couldn't. And then he says, well, if we leave the planet, we could probably go out. And she goes, you know, you no, this isn't this isn't a bad idea. I'm going back to the ship. Uh, and then as soon as they say that, then Hannah and Jordy show up and they say, we bring we need to bring fifty people down to fix the shield. And uh, they say, what do you think, Aaron? And he goes, is there no any other choice? They say, nope. And then he goes, all right. Queenie, oh, then there's a little mini cake tries bent. I don't know, maybe that says transport. Then Aaron walks off, and then Troy has a sad look, and but stern. Then there's Captain's Log, because uh, it's a big day, the fragment move. And he says, you may proceed, Mr. LaForge. Uh, and then they need more power, so they reduce the life support to minimum, and then they, uh, they're like, they're trying to increase the power of beam, then life support goes down, then they move the shard 1.01 off course. That's not enough, not yet. They lose two emitters. Uh, then there's down to like 15 seconds of life support. Then five seconds, then 1.18, and then no, and then uh, they're not there yet. And uh, Picard says, Mr. LaForge, he goes, yes, sir. But then they got it, 1.2, they got it. So they call back, and they're like, success, Mr. Connor. He goes, geez, I can't express my appreciation. He goes, is Hannah there to... And he goes, hey, we look forward to when you get back, really honoring you appropriately. And she gets a sad face and crosses her arms and walks off. Then there's another ad. And then there's a captain's log supplemental. And uh, like I said, okay, we got that shard moved. And Riker's like, geez, that should do it. We did great. Uh, this is 30-30. Nothing. What does that mean? I don't Nothing. Oh, he goes, you need anything else? And the Aaron says, would you mind telling Deanna Troy? I'm sorry I didn't uh, get a chance to say goodbye. And Riker gives him, like, this knowing look. He goes, yeah, no problem. I'm sure she'll feel the same way, man. Uh, totally. Then they get a call. Oh, there's a breach in the biosphere. And Hannah's like, geez, I'm not sure if I could seal it. Uh, and then Jordy says, huh, you mind if I give her a hand? And Hannah's trying everything. Uh, amazing, something good, amazing good. Uh, but Jordy's kind of standing behind her. And he goes, why are you doing this? And she goes, doing what? We're in trouble here. And he goes, Hannah, Hannah. I have a visor that sees everything, even the smallest crack, you know, we get it like, uh, even within your hearts, I see it all. And I'm saying like, these two should have been the two that just got together. I mean, the way that like, uh, he sees it the, the deep on the inside, I can see a crack, uh, like, uh, the sunshine needs to come in. Why are you doing this? And she goes, well, I was born to be the best, but your technology is just so sweet uh, I can't, you know, I can't live back here. And he goes, well, maybe necessity is the mother of invention. You know, when you come up with stuff when you really need it. And she goes, yeah, I feel like I'm the victim of a 200-year-old joke. 
And then we're back on the ship and the staff's meeting because people are asking for asylum or Hannah, Hannah Bates is. And the, sta- the ship staff is like arguing, well, should we give it to them? Shouldn't we? Jordy versus Troy, like free will versus what's best for the colony. And they say, geez, well, we've, but Picard says, we may have done enough already. Uh, and he says, maybe it's time for me to go down there and meet Mr. Connor in person. Uh, hey, everybody, this is a little transition between this segment and the next one because uh, the recording, it's uh, like the recorder crashed in the middle of recording. So it covered some ground twice here, but, you know, it's uh, sleep time. So you can kind of see, so we're going to rewind uh, just for a second, and then we'll continue on with the episode. All right, so uh, here, uh, here, the next scene here is that uh, Jordy and uh, Hannah, uh, Jordy's tired, and they talk about kind of being like blindness and how they don't have blindness, and uh, has Jordy always been blind? And Jordy says, Jesus, like... Uh, you know, good thing I was born in Earth. Uh, and Hannah kind of talks about Jesus, uh, like, uh, well, it's just rough being blind. That's what our founders would have thought. And Jordy says, well, you know, I, like, I got something to contribute. And, and and they change the subject, so they talk about the visor and how it uh, scans the electromagnetic magnetic scan spectrum between 1 hertz and 1,000 tetrahertz. And converts those frequencies and transmits them. And then Hannah talks about the data conversion rates. And uh, they talk about compression and sensory overload. It's just interesting. And then they just got an idea. Just say, geez, what if we use the same idea for the tractor beam to move the stellar core away from your planet? That way it doesn't overload the emitters. Because that was what the hang-up was. They are like, well, we don't have the power to push the tractor beam. But Hannah kind of had an idea, so they say, okay, let's try that. And they say, okay, let's do it. That's a great idea. And then Jordy says, hello, irony alert. That's great if it was my visor that saves your perfect society. No offense. And then uh, we get on to the, back onto the planet. It's date night, and there's this prodigy kid, reci- like a piano recital. Looked to me like a... Uh, no offense to the kid playing the piano or to the people just sitting there on uncomfortable benches watching him play the piano because I do love classical music, but this looked terribly like, like, like I definitely, I mean, obviously I would be out on that society anyway, but I mean, how could you, if I don't know, it didn't look like a very pleasant evening, but it did seem like it was date night. And it wasn't just the regular people there on dates. Uh, like, but then there's a little, oh, also a lot of feathered hair. Nineteen, I think this was 1992, so I don't know. Again, the 80s influence. Uh, still not even sure what feathered hair is, but I guess I know it when I see it. And honestly, I still don't like I remember a couple of my friends saying, well, I'm going to feather, well, you see, I feather my sides or whatever. And I said, I don't know. I guess I didn't. That was back when I was in fur denial. I thought, well, maybe I, maybe what's on my head isn't fur. And one day I'll be able to do these things my classmates do with their hair. Not that I have animal fur. 
But uh, so I think like like I had some kind like I would hear what people said when they feathered. Doesn't it just mean freaking comb your hair back? I mean I, that's when I never got. I guess I don't want to mean to be agitated, but it's like because uh, I'm not really. But doesn't it just mean comb your hair back? What the heck is feathered or like brush it a lot? I guess that's the other thing. In this podcast, I use a lot of extra words, but in my normal life, I say, "Well, just say you're combing your hair." But why do you got to use feathered? You just say you're combing your hair back. So I guess like another reason I wouldn't fit in on this planet, feathered hair. I mean, genetic. They say genetically, your skull doesn't have human hair follicles. I'd say right. That's an advantage because it got you to notice. You know, okay, I won't live here. But then the dude rolls out, and him and Troy are in the ferns, uh, in like the uh, the fern area of this planet. And uh, the point, uh, this point does not make sense, really. Oh yeah, because let me get to the dialogue. Like they look out the window, and Troy's like, "Geez, what? A, like it's lovely in here, but outside of their base, it's like pretty desolate." And the dude's like, "Geez, I don't want to lose it." And Troy says, "Can't you rebuild?" And then I then I I guess I get it, get it a little bit, but the guy tells this nursery rhyme that he heard, which is it really uh, you repurpose it? They didn't even repurpose it. They're supposed to be genetically superior, and they just said Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and then they say together, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And they have a laugh. You know why do we tell these children these stories? And Troy says to prepare them for times like this. And he gets gets a little. This is when he says, "Well, Jesus, fragile as an egg, but impossible to reconstruct. That's what we are. We're integrated and refined to such a degree that any fundamental change would lead to chaos, which kind of uh, is a double negative or whatever you want to call it." She says, "Jesus, I'm sorry. I wish there was something to help." And he says, "You have. You've been my counselor." And she goes, "No, a counselor maintains a discreet distance. I think we're friends." And he goes, friends, that won't do either. And he goes in for kiss number one. And he says, will it? And she says, Aaron. And he says, I must confess, a part of me knows that if I transport for these walls, you'll be on the other side. Uh, talking about when he, you know, if they left. And uh, then he kisses her number two. And he says, she says, this is wrong. And he says, terribly wrong. And uh, I think he said certainly wrong, or maybe he said terribly wrong. Uh, for, and then he goes, kiss kiss number three, which is very mutual. Then they go to commercial, you know, because everybody get a cold glass of water. And then we have Jordy and Han Hannah, Hannah talking to Riker and Picard about uh, the visor breakthrough, 300% increase in efficiency. Riker's like, that's not enough. They're like, yeah, but then we can refine the shields. Uh, uh, then it's the next day, like the morning, you know, morning. Uh, and there's an overhead shot of Troy playing on the piano, just some notes. And it looks down on her for a while. And then Aaron comes out and we see that it's a star cross lover situation. Because he says, hey, you're up early. She goes, I'm going back to the ship. Uh, we can't see each other again. He says, why? And she says, well, it's the right thing to do. And he says, well, Jesus, are you mad? And she goes, yes, I shouldn't have let this happen. And uh, he says, Diana. 
She says, she's I could fall in love with you, but we can't really do that. And she goes, uh, how would Martin feel about uh, half betas away to DNA and your genetic balance? And I thought this was, I'm not exactly sure the premise delivery on this, but the whole idea that uh, is his judgment fogged by his love and attraction for Troy. I guess they did deliver on the promise of that. Because he says, well, geez, if we have to get out of here, you know, we could still date or whatever. And she says, geez, a few days ago you thought we were better than us. She goes, this is my fault. And he goes, I need you here. He goes, we don't have, he goes, uh, she goes, I got to go. And then, boom, Jordy and Hannah show up right in time. They say, we got to get 50 engineers down here to fix the shield. It's the only chance we got. And a tries bent. I don't know what that means. And then there's a mini quake. Uh, no other choice. Tries bent. Maybe transport. I don't know. Uh, transport in. Maybe that's what I said. Uh, then there's a mini quake. Then Aaron walks off sadly. Troy has a stern look. And then there's a commit captain's log. Uh, supplemental. It's a big day. They're going to move the fragment. Picard says, you may proceed, Mr. Hillforge. Uh, then they need more power, so they reduce the life support to minimum, and they must increase it, and their stuff starts to fail. And Hannah and Jordy are working hard. 1.01, they're not here yet. Uh, then they lose two of the emitters are down. They have 15 seconds of life support, and they're at 1.18. And then they say, no, no. And then uh, Picard says, Mr. LaForge. He goes, yes, sir. And then they bring power back online, and they're at 1.2. And they're like, we got it. We did it. And then they call the colony. They say, Mr. Connor, success. He goes, I can't express my appreciation. He goes, is Hannah able to hear me? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, I look forward to having you... uh, Honoring you appropriately when you return. And she crosses her arms and makes a sad face and walks away. And uh, then uh, uh, there's an ad. And then there's a captain's log supplemental. You know, we move the shard. Uh, Riker's finishing up on the planet. Riker's like, all right, that should do it. And then the crew starts to leave. Uh, and he goes, Is there, there's uh, nothing else, huh? And then this thirty thirty. Uh, left and then the alarm goes off and they say, oh, no, wait, first counter says, hey, by the way, uh, thanks for your help. Uh, could you uh, tell Deanna Troy I'm sorry I didn't have the opportunity to say goodbye personally? Riker gives him this knowing. He goes, I'm sure she'll feel the same way. He gives him this knowing look. Uh, then the, then uh, I'm sure she'll feel the same way. 30-30 that was. Uh, then there's a breach in the vi- biosphere, and Hannah's not sure if they could seal it. And Jordy's like, huh, that's interesting. Mind if I give you a hand? And then Hannah's trying to do all this work, and Jordy's kind of looking over his shoulder. He goes, yeah, that's amazing, great. Uh, he goes, why are you doing this? And she goes, what do you mean? He goes, he goes Hannah, I got this visor. I guess see everything, even the smallest crack. It's Subtext City. Crack all the way on your deep inside within your heart. And he goes, why are you doing this? She goes, she's like, after seeing your tech, I can't even. She goes, ours is so weak. I can't. Uh, I was born to be the best uh, engineer. And since you've been here, I realize that, you know, we're living in this uh, thing. And they say, maybe the necessity really is the mother of invention.
when you really need it, you figure this kind of stuff out. And she says, I guess we're the victims of a 200-year-old joke. And then we cut back to the ship, and Ricard's talking about asylum, uh, that Hannah's asked for asylum. And then they said, well, why shouldn't, you know, they're, they're, it's like uh, all, all the top-level crews going back and forth about what they should do. And Jordy's like, yes, but then they're talking, Troy's kind of like, well, what's free will versus what's best for the colony? And Picard says, well, we may have done too much to help them already. And he said, I think it's time for me to meet this Mr. Connor. Now, this is Aaron Connor, remember, not John Connor. I also, this scene, Worf, I, I, I think I need a personal Worf, because Worf raised his hand. He goes, why don't we just help them? Like, he always... Uh, even when he's speaking normally, a lot of times he raises his voice in an aggressive way. And that really tends, tends to kind of like, I like I get a, like I, I need someone to help me like with that. Well, she's like, this is just how I say things through. And they say, okay, like if Worf did that all the time, maybe I would get adjusted to when other people raise their voice. And then I like say, well, I need to switch on my ENA authority emitter beams, uh, so anyway, then uh, they're at Riker and Troy are on the lift. Uh, this was a good scene. And uh, Troy says, stop the lift. And she goes, Captain, i got to tell you something. I've used poor judgment, unprofessional. And Picard says, what is it, Counselor? Take a deep breath. And she said, Connor and I have a relationship. And on relationship, uh, there's like this uh, this Picard grimace and swallow. She goes, she said, he goes, I see. And she goes, yeah, it should have never happened. It was, uh, it should have been, I should have thought about it. And he goes, what is your status now? And she goes, I don't tend on seeing him again. Uh, and he has this thoughtful eye mute movement during that point. And he goes, well, do you not want to come? She goes, no, no, no. I think I should go along, uh, but I wanted you to know. He goes, all right. She goes, and she said, we just wanted to help, uh, and Picard says, geez, again, he reflects this, you know, his ideas, which are kind of the positive ones. He goes, we went into this with the best intentions. We all make mistakes. Uh, nobody's perfect. That's what being human's all about. Thanks. Thanks, John Luke. So let's see. Then we're back on the planet. Uh, they're debating there, the big three people from the planet, Hannah, Martin, and Connor. I noticed they didn't have any elders. I don't know if that's part of their society, too, like, that they didn't talk about. But, like, everyone, like, there weren't any elders there to kind of give them any wisdom. Maybe that would have helped. Uh, again, I'm not running any societies, but uh, but they have a debate Then Picard and Troy roll. And Picard says, let me talk to Mr. Connor. And then Hannah wants to put in her opinion, but uh, her and Martin act a little bit childish, both of them, for people that are superior to me. And then Troy and Hannah go for a walk. Aaron sends Martin out. And he says, Jesus, the Supreme Court guy, he saw this coming. Uh, he goes, I know what Hannah's feeling. Uh, he goes, I was really intrigued by your people, too. And I don't know if I use my best judgment and maybe I caused some of this problem. And she says, geez, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how we fix this. And even Picard says, well, geez, I wish I could see a way to fix this too. And they say, they go back and forth. They say, well, what are we going to do? I was born to govern it, not dismantle it. 
Amphicart says, well, I got to, you know, keep, make, air on the side of human rights. And, like, and then Connor says, well, I got to air on the side of the rights of everybody here. He goes, maybe you should just get out of here, like, like a thief in the night. He goes, like, Troy did in the morning. It was in the morning with my heart. Uh, and he goes, well, that's a little sim- simplistic. Uh, he goes, because it's a human rights issue. And they kind, of, they kind of talk about it. And Picard says, well, you're going to have to figure this out. You're the leader. Uh, you know, I don't know. And then so then they have a meeting, a big meeting. Everybody's at the courtyard. And there's chattering, and Aaron says, geez, okay, here's the deal. You can go, but I'd ask that you stay. What does this say? Megarathus. Megarathus. I don't know what the, uh, but basically, even though my handwriting's not clear, they say, he, he says, what if you just give us six months? Just stay for six months. And Picard says, well, it'll give you a chance to weigh the consequences. But Hannah's like, no, 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 no way. Would you want to live in a ship in a bottle, uh, and then they kind of point the fingers again about who's causing pain and anguish. Uh, so I think Hannah says to Aaron, it's time for you to lead us into a new era. And he says, like, he doesn't say anything. He says, okay, well, when you, if you decide to return, we'll welcome you with open arms. Uh, like, uh, then Aaron and Troy go for a walk and they kind of review the episode in some sense. He says, geez, I don't have any re- re- regrets, uh, you know, for falling for you now, but uh, it's going to be interesting picking up the pieces here. And I'm just not just talking about my entire engineered society. I'm also talking about, you know, my heart. And I don't know, he goes all the, and then he really like, uh, like burns her. He says, Jesus, hard as I try, I can't believe I fell for someone. Uh, you know, I have all these genetically, uh, compatible women, but I fall in love with you. I guess this is bad. He goes, uh, perhaps it's your inner imperfections which make you so unique, uh, but I'm in love with you, Deanna Troy, and I always will be. She said, thanks a lot. Uh, she, she goes, by the way, you're supposed to say that in much subtler and surface terms, but it is charming because it is true in some and that's it. And then uh, Total Burn, I put, uh, I Will Always Love You, Whitney, like the Whitney Houston song. And then there's a shot of the Enterprise, and Picard's holding a crystal. And Riker comes in. They got 23 people on board. And this was a learning moment. He's, Picard says, if we ever need a reminding of the importance of the prime directives, it's now. And Riker says, well, the prime directive doesn't apply. They're human Picard says, really, uh, well, our presence uh, messed it up. He goes, it's, he goes, we have to have responsibility. And Riker goes, we stopped that core fragment. And, I, you know, I also mean more than just, a, he goes, a fragment of a heart, too. And he goes, yeah, well, we're just as dangerous as any core fragment. And then they say the lovers of the Enterprise, just as dangerous as any core fragment could be. And then the episode comes to a close. All right, so the Prime Directive came up on this episode because I, actually I didn't know that the Prime Directive did not apply to people, humans. So I want to learn a little bit about it. And there's a lot of good articles out there that maybe we'll cover over this. But uh, this one's from the Memory Alpha Wikia. 
Prime Directive, also known as Starfleet General Order 1, or the Non-Interference Directive, was uh, one of the most important ethical principles, non-interference with other cultures and civilizations. Uh, It was a core, it was a philosophical concept that uh, personnel should refrain in interfering with uh, natural, unassisted development of societies, even if it was well-intentioned. Uh, and uh, it was so fundamental that all Starfleet officers swore to uphold it, even at the cost of, you know, anything. It's a precursor, though somewhat undefined. It can be traced back to John Arthur's uh, and Phlox's, uh ethical dilemma when they dealt with two species, one that was doing well and one wasn't so, doing so great, and they had to kind of come up with a doctrine that humans, like, when should, what should we do when we're out in space interacting with life forms and to not uh, interrupt the national evol- natural evolutionary course, um, you know, not to play God, basically. And uh, fundamental principles were an important part as early as 2152, but not a general order till 2168. So not that far off. You know, some of you... What is it, 2617? Oh, maybe not. We, we don't, we don't got to worry about it. Uh, directive remained until the 24th century. Applied to Starfleet, merchant marines, but not regular citizens. It was a complicated order. had 47 suborders, uh, but a high-level summary was no identification of self-remission, no interference with the social development of a said planet. I don't understand that. Uh, the directive provided guidance on what considered a prohibited interference, covering such matters as giving them knowledge of other worlds, uh, providing tech or science, uh, taking actions that would affect their development, uh, taking actions that support one group over another, helping them escape a negative consequences of their own actions, uh, getting them out of natural disasters, uh, even uh, hmm, even if it, uh, yeah, uh, subverting or avoiding uh, the application of society's laws that we saw recently at justice, interfering with internal affairs. And it has, there's a lot more on this uh, thing. There's a couple other articles I found. I'll just go to one tonight. Because uh, there's a longer one about uh, about it that we'll use another time. But this one's from Forbes, and it uh, raises the question, uh, is the Prime Directive ethical? It was written by Janet uh, Stemwedel. It was from August 20th, uh, 2015. Uh, within Star Trek, the Prime Directive is crucial regulation. I'm going to try to paraphrase. How well does it work as an ethical rule? It prohibited interference with other cultures and civilizations. In particular, it's attempted, aimed at preventing interference with the internal development of civilizations less advanced. Even though Starfleet officers take an oath to uphold the Prime Directive, even if it means sacrifices, it is not invaluable, V-I-O-L-A-B-L-E, invaluable, uh, Kirk violated it with regular regularity and, uh, like, uh, some people would it strictly adhered to it, but how does it fare as a general approach to ethics of sharing a universe? Uh, 
the prime directive reflects a consequentialist approach, a commitment to reducing harm, and a Kantian commitment to respecting others' autonomy. Uh, built into the prime directive is an assumption that cultures cultures are better off left to their own devices. Devices, devices could mean social practices or technologies, and the interference by Starfleet, even if well intentioned, it could mess up things in unanticipated ways. And if the culture in question is left to deal with the unintentional consequences, it might be worse than their own free choices. It also embodies an anti-colonialist ethos, a commitment to respecting civilizations, values, beliefs, and practices, rather than imposing better ones upon them. Well, so far, I like it uh, very good. Remember, when Star Trek started, it was during Vietnam, uh, the author says. Uh, as well as a policy of non-interference reflects a particular attitude to studying other cultures. Uh, namely, you're trying to understand how the culture and its members would behave if observers weren't there. Intervening is presumed to contaminate natural behaviors and authentic casual chains, uh, including indigenous technologies that flow from them. Uh, note that even observing the culture can interfere with it, which we found out. Uh, this is not quite the same as a measurement problem for quantum mechanics, where our own measurements of such systems involve hitting them with uh, photons or electrons uh, to the system we're trying to measure. Okay, that's over my head. Rather, it's more like the problem primatologists encounter in field studies uh, of whether their presence, if noted by the primates, uh, uh, messes up their behavior. If your concern is not to change the natural behaviors of the development of alien citizens at any cost, your best bet is to stay home rather than explore new worlds. Uh, but page two of the article says, but it, it does line up with uh, strong moral intuitions that we should respect the autonomy of other cultures and strive not to inflict unintentional harms on them. It also bumps up against the fact that Star Trek is all about the ethical project of sharing a universe. Sharing a universe with another culture is a different kind of project than treating a culture as an object of study. I like this a lot. Sharing a universe uh, puts you in a different relationship than you would be with photons uh, you're trying to understand, you know, something like that. And there may be circumstances where choosing not to intervene results in not going well. And there's a way that which respecting the autonomy by withholding information might be seen as a paternalistic move. Sharing the universe with other beings involves a reciprocity. Even if technological, technological attainment is different, it means recognizing you are owed the same moral consideration. Uh, maybe this is why the Prime Directive is not an, an exceptionalist rule. Even if Starfleet ought not to play God nor use its superior in technologies, ultimately ethics may require that we trust other civilizations to choose their own paths, even as they grapple, this is a direct quote, with the possibilities presented by contact with Starfleet. Really, sharing a universe in itself is in a kind of intervention. The trick is finding a way to share it on something like equal terms. So that's a great article. By, that's by Janet Stemwettel over on Forbes. Uh, 
So yeah, I guess uh, that I really that does, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And good night. I want to thank everybody that reviewed the podcast on iTunes, Sleep With Me Podcast.com slash iTunes. Maggie from NZ, New Zealand, uh, comforting. It's hard to get a soporific uh, uh, bedtime story for grown-ups, uh, right? Just interesting enough, but not too interesting. That's what I needed. Thanks, Maggie. Uh, then from the USA, take care, brush your hair. Uh, that's the reviewer's name. And they'd say, well, I'll take care, I'll brush my fur. Thanks. And they say, love this. That's it. Thank you. Uh, love not, know not. Uh, sheer sleepy artistry. When I first started listening to Gnarly Voice of the Narrator, I thought you got to be kidding. But my laughter of mockery turned into a laughter of delight, which turned into sleep of delight. And that turned has yet to turn into a sleep of mockery. What a brilliant way to both entertain, entertain and go to sleep. Forget the Grimm brothers. Listen to this, brother, as you grin yourself to sleep. Thank you. Uh, PMG, PMG says, amazing. If you've ever had anesthesia, uh, you know, when you, uh, they, you're waiting for it to kick in and the surgical staff just laughs uh, before you finish your question, it's like that. Genius. Thank you. And then Gaz East from the UK, perfect bedtime stories that struggle with sleep for a while. Don't know what it is about this podcast, but I guarantee it will work. Give it a try. Thank you. Uh, Ticket to Slumbertown, that comes from Loreo84, BrainBot from the USA. I have no clue what these bedtime stories are about, but the soothing tone and the calming background consistently put me to sleep faster than any sleep aid. Don't think I made it past the 15 minute mark before I've been asleep. Thank you for becoming part of my routine. I look forward to sleeping with you every night. Thank you. And speaking of you, Andy Moomoo04 says, uh, What's the end of an episode like? Never made it to the end. I usually start out in the middle. I've been using it for a few months. Never experienced the end of episode because it never fails to put me to sleep. Whole life I've had trouble falling asleep, not for any medical reason, just racing mind and wandering. Listening it shuts up my brain but doesn't keep its interest. Impossible to pay attention, but also impossible to pay attention to anything else. Thank you, Andy Mumu. R, uh, one, two, three, four, I think seven S is one, three, four. So that's a brain bot. R, one, three, four. Enormous help for anxiety-driven insomnia. Thank you. Thank you for being there with me in the deep, dark night. Thank you for listening. Then this one's from Australia, but, you know, don't let it reflect on the rest of the Australians. Moshi, what? Awful mumble, mumble, stutter. All the reviews are fake. It's just an hour of this man mumbling and stuttering. And I saw a lot of people say, well, that would be a good review that I would write. They say, yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, how about this? A stealthy cat. Uh, fantastic. Save my sanity. Your hard work and selflessness has saved me many doctor bills. Uh, being a chronic insomniac, I thought I had tried everything. Though I must admit, uh, drones takes the cake. Such a mind-blowing gift to, to help your friends beyond the binary. All the best. Thank you. Uh, this one's from Cherusi uh, D. Found through Harmontown. Took me a few times before I started loving this podcast. Listening to Ray's What Got Me to Stay. Nice rhyme, huh? Podcast is great because it's reminiscent of being on your phone, listening to an old friend ramble on. I don't sleep to the podcast, but it calms me down. Thanks so much, Meander on. Thank you.
How about this one? La La Lee 43, a brain bot that rhymes for you and me. Five sheep, I was desperate, tried everything except pills, and I gave this a shot, and I can't believe it worked. Uh, thank you, La La Lee 43. And finally, KC Cat, K Cat, K Casty, or KC Asty, Illy KC Asty. It almost rhymes with itself, Casey Asty. I no idea, but I'm asleep. I've been listening to this podcast on and off for a month. Every time I start an episode, I'm determined to find out what it's about, what the story is. Every time I fall asleep. So I have no idea. Well played, sir. Well played. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for reviewing the show. If you want to review the show, just head over to uh, sleepwithmepodcast.com slash iTunes. Uh, and just write an honest review about the show, like your experience or whatever. Thanks and good night. All right, everybody. So this is Sleep with TNG, Star Trek The Next Generation. And this one, uh, so like I thought I'd check in real quick. A couple things about, uh, well, one, I'm just starting to record this episode. I think this is this. So we're going to be talking tonight and probably next week about uh, season four. Shoot, I can't find my road. Like season four, episode two, I believe, uh, Family. And, like, uh, um, I'm trying to think of, like, I don't know, just such a rich episode uh, that I said, well, what if we linearize it? Because there's three stories. I, I, I don't like, I always hear how people talk about writing television, but I think there's an A story, a B story, and a C story. And the A story is Jean-Luc Picard's return to France for, France for his visit. And then we have Worf's parents visiting. And then we have Dr. Crusher deciding and then giving a tape uh, to, to her son, Will. It's Wesley. Wesley, Will, I think is it. Anyway, and I said to myself, well, geez, this is like, uh, this is a really, really uh, dense episode in a good way. So I thought I would at least attempt to break it up. And I, so I took notes in two different notebooks. So here's what I'm, propo- here's what I'm proposing to attempt. I, I won't know. Like, you'll know before I know. That's that's what's funny. Well, maybe not because it will be because, uh, you know, the shows will get edited and stuff. So I guess not. But uh, um, what I'm going to do is record the Jean-Luc Picard portion of the episode all in a row, just like it was its own just a Jean-Luc return to France story. And then maybe talk about some of the facts that came up and stuff uh and ideally that'll be like, that'll be, you know, like, well, that'll push us over an hour. I think it will. Like, that's my fear is that, uh, like, I don't want to, oh, like I said, geez, I really want to spend some time on, there's a lot of good stuff with this wharf story, even though it was a beast story and I don't want to miss anything. And this Jean-Luc one, be honest, the first time I watched it was a couple months ago. I watched it casually and there's a two-parter episode before it, which is really, really, uh, like a lot happens in those episodes. It was a season cliffhanger, I believe. And this episode would have presumably been like a breath of fresh air, but instead it's like a breath of like fresh, uh, uh, cold air. I guess like, a, it it's not like a dull, uh, it, there's not a lot of action in the episode, but there's a lot of emotional journeying. So that's one thing. Then the second thing is I always like to keep you updated on how I'm watching these episodes because this episode, I've adjusted my technique yet again, and I don't know if I'll stick with it. And kind of this is a new hybrid that I've been moving towards 
Uh, but this is the first time I implemented it, and this was a good one to implement it since I was switching notebooks and really digging deep. Um, so let me lay that on you too. So here's what here's what the viewing was for family. Like I'd watched it a few months ago, in a ca- like as a casual first, you know, just watch the episode. Then uh, I said, "Well, she said, how am I going to do it this time?" And what I decided is, I, I loathe like a lot of people. I don't like exercising, but I I think it's something I have to consistently do. So then I said, well, maybe when I exercise, uh, like work out on Friday and early Monday and early Friday in the mornings, I said, like, I'll like passively watch Star Trek, uh, this episode again, and kind of just observe, uh, you know, but but I'll be working out uh, to try to keep my day, you know, to keep gathering data, not the character data, but, you know, it was details about the episode. And then what I did was I, I broke it, like I decided, and I think this is what I'm going to do, because I think it was fruitful, fruitful, is I watched, I broke the episode into six parts, like almost every ad break, I, I would do like one night, so there's usually, I mean, seven nights in a week, but six nights that I watch, uh, and then on the seventh night I watch, a ca- I watch Star Trek casually. So I broke this episode into six parts, which are usually about 46 minutes, which divided by six, I have no idea. Like, I think seven, six times six is 36, six times seven, 70, I don't know, seven, seven four, 21, 42 minutes. So somewhere, maybe it's eight minutes, I don't know. But uh, And then it allows me to pause a lot more and, like, take a lot more details and then... Um, not worry as much about Jesus, like, uh, like gives me more space uh, instead of trying to watch it. I don't know. It's an experiment. So that's where we're at. And as usual, I have the episode on my old iPhone here. I'm going to fire it up. Hopefully the volume's uh, down, but it probably, who knows. And at some point, you know, all these updates will end up to, that'll be the end of this 4S. And then I don't like, uh, we'll see what I do. And then we have a transcript, and I have my notes, and I downloaded the episode, but it's not starting for some reason. Okay, so it's starting, and I don't hear anything, so that's good. And uh, but now, now after all that, i got to uh, pause because i uh, got to get some extra light in here. This is happening every week, I think. All right, so this, so this is the Picard run-through of this episode. So it opens with the Captain Logboard to start date 44012.3. And the Enterprise is tacked at McKinley Station, going through an overhaul and retrofit after the Borg incident. And he says, uh, Captain Picard says, uh, Picard, Jean-Luc Picard says, I'm confident the ship and her crew will be ready to return to service. And, you know, for me, like, I thought this was really good effect. Again, I mean, man, the show really stands up effects-wise. Uh, at least in these, like, whatever, I don't know what you'd call these effects, but, you, you, like, I'm pausing it, and, and the ship's got, like, uh, the Enterprise is kind of on this, like, uh, there's another ship on it that obviously is repairing it. And in the background, you see a blue planet, uh, like a water-based planet or whatever they call it. You say, whoa, wait a second. Oh, boy. And now we have Riker and actually the blue planet's in the background. And I saw some, some movement, which is nice. 
and even though this is this one scene is not about Jean-Luc, it is because uh, uh, he says ready to return to service. So we have Riker, and he's filling out uh, like something on an iPad, and he sends off and uh, says, go down to engineering. And then White Wharf comes in and says, geez, the phasers are good to go. And Riker and he said, I'm moving on to the next thing. And Riker goes, you're too, Riker, you know, he's got to use this, uh, he's such a sailor, this Riker. He says, you're too damned efficient, Lieutenant. And Worf's like, thank you, sir. Oh, boy. And he says, continue with the uh, testing. Here's the schedule for all the shore leave and the personal stuff. And he says, geez, by the way, I'm looking forward to seeing your parents here. And Worf's like, what? You know, WTF? He goes, yeah, they're on the visitors list. And we get to, like, uh, and he goes, you didn't nobody? He goes, no, sir. He goes, it's inappropriate for a Klingon to receive family while on duty. As humans, my parents just don't understand. And I said, tell it to, you know, tell, we, we, like, I wonder if he, he ever did a video, like, Will Smith, uh, you know, parents just don't understand. Human, I mean, in this kind of, this is a really, really rich episode, though. And, like, uh, I think it's just important because uh, he says, uh, Riker says, well, geez, I don't know because, like, I don't get it because this isn't a Klingon ship. If you don't want to see your parents, it's your business. Uh, he goes, but we don't get to Earth uh, all that often. You know, I could get you get you off duty while they're here. He goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. And then he goes, you're dismissed. He goes, Worf, are you worried about... Uh, uh, you know, what, what, what happened on the planet, like last season on the Klingon planets. And he goes, not at all. I've already informed them by the correspondence of my discommodation. And this is important thematically for the whole episode, really thematic episode. He says, I do not believe any human can truly understand my dishonor. And then, uh, that, that scene ends. And then the next scene starts and it was, uh, yeah, a little bit confusing. He opens with Jean-Luc in a robe, and uh, it was like, I was really confused because uh, in the background, and he's in the bathroom, or is at his vanity, and his chest is at, like, you can see chest hair, and then standing in the background of the mirror is uh, Counselor Troy. Her arms are crossed, but I said, wait a second, what is going on here? Because uh, it looks like he's in a bathrobe, but at some point, and he's looking at some sort of blue outfit or something. Also notice he had, like, oil candles or oil, I don't know, like, little lamps, uh, arms crossed. Where are they, I put? Uh, Picard's a little aloof. And since we got time, I can really, like, I'll run through my notes, and then maybe I'll run through the dialogue a little bit. And then maybe the scene again. Uh, where? Because oh, this room's huge. Uh, Picard's like aloof. Uh-huh, um, 20 years, interesting counselor. Uh, this was strange to me. Like, if you look, it's around, this is around 2.30 in the episode, so around 2.40, we see Picard's bed, I believe. And it looks like it's mounted at an angle, like that the head of the bed is lower than the foot of the bed. And, or the foot of the bed is lower. I don't know. I, I just paused it because then he would be talking about this for a while. 
Uh, but also at some point when he's walking, he realizes this isn't like he's wearing pants. Because at first I thought he was just wearing a robe. And I said, man, they must have super good boundaries. Or, you know, obviously it's like uh, something very casual. Because I said, what is he in a robe with Troy with? I mean, I don't think Starfleet Command would have, but he's got pants on. It's just his shirt. It's, uh, it's like airy, you know. He says, well, my chest gets hot when I'm on shore leave. And I would say, Jean-Luc, I get it. Totally, I get it. Uh, I don't know what you think. I'm better. Okay, so we'll go through that. Uh, uh, let's see. What other new choice? Could use some scrutiny. Home village. Interesting. Ricard smiles. Have a good cab. So, yeah, let's run through. Uh, so, yeah, Ricard says he's going back to France. His home village. 20 years. First time. And Troy's really working. She's trying to be therapeutic, as we kind of see for this theme. She says, interesting. And Picard says, come on, counselor. And she goes, I find it interesting. You know, you couldn't go on vacation for three years. And he goes, well, it's Earth. Uh, it's home. Do I need another reason? She goes, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, and he goes, look, uh, you know, I've been recovering, but now I'm better. And he even does this, like, fake, uh, raises his arms up, I'm better. And it really rings uh, that it's not true, like, uh, fake and uh, fake enthusiasm, like making muscles, I'm better. Like, my injuries are healing. And she says, yeah, the ones you can see in the mirror. And he says, I didn't think I'm better. All I need is a little time to myself. And she goes, oh, totally, time to yourself, but... uh it's just where you're going and that it concerns me. And Picard goes, if you think I'm heading home uh, because of what happened with the Borg, you can be my guest. And she goes, well, is that what you believe? And he goes, I hate it when you do that. And she says, Captain, you need time. You know, you can't recover quickly. She goes, it's perfectly normal, you know, to have uh, to take some time to recover from dealing with the Borg. Being a Borg, as a matter of fact, Captain. And Picard says what makes every therapist laugh after, you know, especially when you say you're better, they don't laugh then, but they say, what better place to recover and relax than the streets of one's home village? You know, or maybe therapists grind their teeth when you, well, no, I'm going to go home and totally relax. This time it'll be different, doctor or counselor. And Troy says, well, interesting. You have a good trip, Captain. And she kisses him on his cheek, and he packs some books. Uh, or no, he try, He looks at three books like he's going to pack them. And then he puts them back. I, didn't, I couldn't figure out what books they are. Like he does this, uh, what the hell, Jean-Luc? We're, you know, we're living. And then he puts the books back, and then he heads out the door. Oh, wait, he gets his luggage, had to change pages, and then turns back for one last look, and then... Uh, uh, the open. I was also going to try to pay attention to the story. That was a little bit harder. But as I fast forwarded here, um, I mean, the story, like, so Jean-Luc is recovering. Is it good to recover as he goes home? I don't know. It's a little, not a, I'm, I don't have it down where I can understand everything that's happening in these episodes quite yet. Yeah, but then we're going to skip ahead to this next uh, Jean-Luc scene. And, uh, oh, here's the story notes. I put Jean-Luc needing to heal and going up to, uh, going, going up to do. 
I don't know what that is. So is it misguided, question mark? And then Worf's parents come in the ship, him feeling like no human understands life. Is it Klingon? I think that was night one of my things. Then we see Jean-Luc in France, or France, and he's walking down a lane. And it's very lush. There's bushes, and there's a canopy of trees, and he's really uh, strolling. And he's in the same outfit. His chest is, you know, he's got wind on his chest. Uh, his bag is over his shoulder. You know, I would I would hasten to say there's a spring in his step. And then he slows down. He senses someone spying on him. And uh, he uses kind of out-of-date pop culture reference on this kid in suspenders. And he's really showing some chest here. And chest hair, he doesn't, like, uh, his chest hair doesn't really show up on camera. And the kid, I guess, like, I've seen, like, some people complaining, like, like uh, Star Trek uh, uh, cast members about the, like, level of polyester. Uh, but this little kid, he, he has, like, leather suspenders, and he has a shirt. It looks like a Cool Max-type shirt, like a good wicking shirt. I'm not sure on that, but it looked like it. And then they start walking, and they figure it out. Then the kid takes uh, Jean-Luc's bag, and there's kind of a cute thing. Like, uh, let's see. The, uh, first, he says, geez, are you a highwayman? And the kid goes, what's that? And he goes, oh, like, uh, don't worry about it. He goes, no, no, no. And the kid says, I know who you are. He goes, well, you have me in advantage. He goes, you're my nephew, Jean-Luc from the Enterprise. And Picard plays on and goes, oh, you must be my uncle Rene. And he goes, no, 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 the other way around, I guess, the kid says. And Picard says, well, I kind of like the other idea better. And then the kid says, well, geez, where have you been? And Picard says, on a starship, I've been busy. And Rene, the boy, says, well, father says you don't like it here. And Picard says, oh, maybe you didn't understand. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, uh, he said it. He said, you know, you're in a you know, angry SOB or arrogant or something. He goes, well, it's maybe it's time to change all that. And he says, maybe we could talk about it later. Uh, then we get to the winery and, uh, or look, look like a winery. And the kid's like, mommy, mommy, he's here. And we see his sister-in-law, Marie. She's in blue, very sky blue. She's very welcoming, very concerned and uh, Picard, time to get out. So what does that mean? Try to get out. Oh, he tries to get out of the parade, I think. Or no, he wants to gets out of staying. He tries to get out of staying there. Oh, I'll stay at the village. And this brought up a question for me. She says it's your home. It will all you will always be your home. Um, do thanks. Look that different. Uh, everything as I remember it. Uh, and at some point, Picard kind of puts his hand to his face, thoughtful, but a little bit paranoid or something. As, as we run through the dialogue, because he says uh, they talk about how her, his brother and his father are so similar. She says, oh, Jesus, it's so good to see you, Marie says. Uh, delighted you're going to stay with us. He goes, no, no, I don't want to impose. She goes, oh, no, it's your home. It will always be your home. Does it look different? And he goes, no, it's amazing how little it's changed. Everything is as I remember it. The house, the hills, the bushes, the trees, untouched by the passage of time. 
And she says, Robert's worked hard to keep it that way. It's important to him. And Picard says, as it was to our father. That's what she, you can see stresses him out a little bit. And then Renee says, I'm going to be a ship captain. And Picard says, she's you look just like my brother. I've expected to see myself coming out playing with you. And then they say, geez, your brother's look at Robert. I keep calling him Robert because that's my handwriting. But it's Robert. Sorry to anybody any Roberts out there. Yeah, there's Picard really nervous at uh, 11.08. If you want to see Jean-Luc uh, looking vulnerable, 11.08 on this episode. And uh, then, let's see, he heads out to see Robert, who's like taking a big handful of grapes and tasting them. And then they have some dialogue, which we'll discuss. But Picard looks off. It's good. It's good to see you. Wind picks up... Uh, that's what Picard says to his brother. He said, oh, it's good. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Then the wind picks up, and his brother doesn't even say anything. And then he goes, are you tired or what? Because you look awful. He goes, get out of here and make yourself at home. And then the thematic thing comes again. He says, I must try to take care of this poor, sick vine. And then the camera pulls out to a shot of modern France, and uh, Picard walks away. Oh, but yeah, Robert first says, geez, you got here. Welcome home, Captain. And uh, he goes, would you take a shuttle? And Picard goes, no, I can walk. I already seen Marie and Renee. And then I, I caught the rest of the, uh, seems like I, did, I got the rest of the, uh, uh, the rest of the dialogue. Too. Also important things, they eat at 8 o'clock. That seems very French, 8 p.m., and let's see, I'm just waiting for this shot to come up of modern France. So like you see the vineyards uh, contrasted, like it's a slow pull out, it's windy. And then you see like these, like an old castle, the vineyards, and then some radio towers and some modern looking painting buildings. So really cool. And then it's uh, like we like a little while and then it's France at night and there's a light coming out of the house. There's cricket sounds, and they're eating dinner. Robert, Rene, Marie, and Jean-Luc. And uh, I was like, are they having rabbit stew? I don't know if that's like a presumptive, but uh, that's what I was wondering. And they have wine, and they have bread, and they have water. And we'll go through the dialogue, but there's like passive-aggressive entanglements, uh, about the ocean and the parades. Let's see. Really nice traditional house. We got candlelight and uh, nice uh, like lighting because of the candlelight. I mean, I don't want, like, I think Robert and Marie are like a little bit older than uh, I would think for Renee's parents, especially Robert. I mean, he should, like, I don't know if it's the wine that's been so hard. Like, he's like, uh, it looks like he's lived in the late, like I say, he's been out in the sun. Uh, I mean, especially up against a youthful, youthful Jean-Luc. Uh, like, uh, Jean-Luc carries himself like he's been, I mean, I guess if you are a Starfleet officer, you do have to be pretty healthy. So they go back and forth. Uh, and let's go through the dialogue because it's interesting. Uh, Marie says, Jesus, your buddy, old buddy Lewis wants to get a hold of you, which made me laugh last night when I was watching it because I was like, oh, that's uh, Walt Jr., uh, his friend, his best friend is Lewis, too. 
so who would have thought Walt, Walt Jr. and Jean-Luc Picard would have the same name, best friend, Louis? And Picard says, Jesus, he's still working on raising the ocean floor. And Marie's like, oh, yeah, he's a supervisor and very proud. And they're trying to, like, Robert says, I don't know why we would need another continent. I'm over it. Uh, you know, he goes, I'm over continents. And Jean-Luc says, Jesus, the first, I guess the first barb in this situation comes from Jean-Luc. Because he says, uh, it's exciting if you would understand the potential of exploring a new world on our uh, planet. Pass the butter, please. And you see, wow, Jean-Luc's family is just like mine. It makes him reactive instantly. Even a great man like Jean-Luc uh, can be passive-aggressive. And he says, he, uh, Robert says, well, I guess I just not, I don't understand it. And they say, Jesus, a parade. The Marie says, a mayor wants to give you a parade in Kisa's city. And Jean-Luc says, oh, no, no, no. And, of course, you know, this is a, like, this is a power dynamic because Robert, Robert and Marie, see, they seem happily married, but Jean-Luc is definitely a superstar and he seems to have a great affinity for Marie, just as friends, like a plutonic one, but still I would view it as a threat if I was Robert, uh, like even if it's on a subconscious level. So he says, oh, he just needs a little coaxing deer. And Picard then refers to himself and he goes, no, he does not. Uh, I'm here to rest and spend time with my wonderful family. And Marie said, well, I already warned the mayor. And then they cheers their wine. And Picard drinks it, and he he studies it, he smells it. He says, is this the 46? And Robert says, nope, 47, you bonehead. Remember when I used to call you uh, a little a little bonehead? That didn't, that part doesn't happen, but he goes, no, no, this is a 47. You've been drinking too much synthethol. It ruined your palate. And again, they, the, Picard says, on the contrary, it, it makes your palate better, so there. And then they say, geez, this is good. And then Picard says, leave it to Robert to marry the best cook in France. Uh, and Robert says, well, your technology is doing its way to ruining cooking, too. I won't have a replicator in this house. And Picard says, my mother and father were the same way. Father wouldn't let mother have a replicator either. And Robert says, ah, this was a good one. I really started this a lot. Father understood better than anybody the danger of losing those values we hold most precious. And Ricard says, I don't think you have to lose anything just because something's convenient. And Robert says, in my, like, in my view, life is already too convenient. They say, like, uh, Marie says, geez, you guys give it up. We're at dinner. And Renee says, I did a report on starships, and Marie's like, and he got a ribbon for it. Uh, best the teacher had ever heard. And Ricard playfully says, good for you, Uncle. He goes, I wrote a report about starships once. And Renee says, did you win a ribbon? And Ricard's like, I don't know, I don't recall. And Robert says, I don't find your modesty very convincing, brother. Of course you won the ribbon, you always win. And Renee says, do you still have the report? And Picard says, no, I don't think I do. And then we're like, because Picard's not good with kids, he doesn't get the hint. Renee says, well, I still have mine if anybody wants to read it. And his mom, she, Marie says, go get it and read it to your uncle. 
And as soon as the kid leaves, you know, Robert says, Jesus, it's hard enough to protect him. Which kind of, this is like another really nice uh, theme in here. Uh, he says, Jesus, like, you can't just protect him from, you know, why encourage him? We need to protect him. Like, this is like my internal critic. Like, why would you ever leave France and have conveniences and whatever? And Ricard says, Jesus, like, I'm not encouraging him. I just answered his questions. If you weren't so narrow-minded, you'd let him see the world as it really is. And Robert says, you can raise, like, total burn. He says, you can raise your sons however you wish. Oh, wait, no, no, you don't have any. Well, allow me to do it with mine. Let's see. Marie has to help Picard because he doesn't get the kids' hints. Oh, at the end of the scene, Picard's look says, uh, what was I thinking coming back here? I thought that was funny. Then there's a commercial break. Uh, then Picard and Lewis are in the vineyard to walking. And he says, Lewis says, one man's idea of paradise. And Picard says, no, two, my father and Robert. And we get a little bit of taste of Picard's backstory to, through this whole episode. But him and Lewis, you know, he says, she's never have I met anybody less interested in grapes than you, Jean-Luc. And Jean-Luc says, no, 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 I was interested and I was proud that my family was preserving the traditions. I just wasn't bound by those traditions. And Lewis said, geez, you always reach for the future and your brother for the past. And then Picard says, well, geez, there's got to be room for both. And he goes, what are you up to, bro? And he goes, well, it's into hydroponics for a while, but they shut that down. And Picard says, Jesus, I should, you should have listened to me. He goes, if I listened to you, I would have never gone cycling with the Bloom sisters and married them and all that. And then Picard says, what's up with this Atlantis project? And he goes, well, he goes, I'm just one of 200 supervisors. My wife acts like I'm in charge of it. But he goes, it's really exciting. And Picard says, yeah, I've been reading about it. And then Picard goes, Jesus, just one thing I don't understand. And then there's a beat and he says, Jesus, you're a terrible swimmer. And they laugh. Uh, and Lewis says, well, I, I suppose we all find ways to confront our greatest fears. And then Picard says, how are you going to raise it up without, you know, messing with the tectonics? Uh, and they say, geez, we haven't quite figured that out. Uh, and Picard goes, geez, on, on the Enterprise, he goes, we used harmonic resonators when um, we were on Drama 4. Not exactly the same thing. And Lewis goes, oh, man, we could use a leader like you. He, would, he goes, I know you'd never leave Starfleet, but uh, Picard goes, nope. And then he goes, well, geez, if you're so interested, why don't I send you some of the behind-the-scenes stuff to read? He goes, you, any thoughts you had? And they say, okay. Picard says, totes. Uh, totes my goats, as a matter of fact. And let's see what else we have. No two men, Robert and father. What does this pun mean? Oh, what is it? No, no, that was Lewis's pun, uh, pin. Lewis's pun, Lewis's pin. I really liked how Picard uh, cracked him up. Uh, then I tried to run through the story again. Ship's under repair. Uh, Picard is under healing or repair, uh, but going home a little too soon or too fast. Uh, or uh, going home to heal or is it too soon? And then we see the kid and Marie and there's the theme of like home always being the same and never changing. 
And then something about Robert, you know, caring for sick, sick vines. Uh, then the dinner with the idea of tradition versus and uh, protecting traditions versus technology. And also of like cloistering their son, Robert cloistering their son. And then this idea of this new job potential with Lewis. And let's see, then we see this mini, like the next scene with Jean-Luc is like this uh, laptop. It doesn't have a keyboard, but he's on chapter four, page 31, reading about the Atlantis project. Uh, Jean-Luc is, I couldn't tell if he was in a sea green or a sea foam robe, uh, but he's kind of staring into space. And then Marie's like, uh, she comes by. And she's like, hey, Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc. But he's just kind of staring off for a second. And she's like, what's up? He goes, well, I've been thinking. Lewis mentioned they need a director, and I've just been fantasizing about it. And she goes, well, why wouldn't you if it's just to fantasize? And he goes, well, thinking about leaving my career in the enterprise. And she says, well, you've been through a bit. Uh, and he goes, no, it's not. that's not it. And then he's like, or, or is it? Uh, and she says, well, geez, it'd be great to have you here. You know, you and your brother are such a ball of laughs to be around. Maybe you'd even start to like one another. And then Picard says, well, I already like his choice in wives. So I said, oh, boy, that's inappropriate, dude. Like, even if you mean it potentially, you just, I don't know. I mean, coming from him, it's believable, but... And he goes, she said, never thank you for your correspondence. So he does mean it from this genuine place because she's been sending him letters. And he says, it made me feel like I'm part of the family. And she goes, you're not part like part of the family. You are Jean-Luc Picard. Then we see even more old school because the doorbell rings and it's a jingle jangle physical bell above the door. And Robert goes to answer it. We also see their parquet floor is pink and sea green. I don't know why. And then Lewis is there. That's when I realized that he was Walt Jr.'s friend. And Lewis kind of is overstepped because Robert's like, all right, let's get some wine. You guys can talk business. And Robert says, what do you mean? And John Luke says, nothing. And Lewis is like, well, actually, I made a couple assumptions, uh, about our plans, and, you know, we, we the Board of Governors want to meet with you. And Picard's like, what? And they say, well, it's preliminary, you know, making you an offer. And Picard's like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you said you were interested. And he goes, I never said I was interested, interested. I'm more, you know, same thing with Marie, what Drew's assuming. It's not that I'm interested in Marie. I find her interesting. Same thing about this, uh, and they say, well, Lewis says, well, geez, just listen to him, man. It's free to listen. And then he goes, geez, uh, okay, fine, I'll listen to them. And Lewis says, geez, you're not going to regret it. I'll see you in the morning. And then Picard goes back to kind of staring off and then staring back at the computer again. Also, Robert Robert was uh, shining a box the whole time. And Picard he seems torn. I thought that was important that Robert was, like, listening in and shining a box at some point. And then we have another commercial break. The next time we see Jean-Luc, he's drinking alone, drinking wine and thinking. Also, it's, like, interesting, the kind of country French theme. There's, like, a pitcher and a bowl. And I'm not sure if that was, like, how you'd wash your hands. Uh, 
uh, I don't know. And there was like matching candlesticks and it was all like, uh, you know, what's that stuff like, like China, like a nice, uh, I don't know, painted and stuff. I don't know what you call it. Like glass. It's not glass. It's ceramic. I don't know what that stuff is, but it looked good. I didn't see any roosters. I, like people in America, when you have a country French house, it always feels like you have a lot of rooster stuff. I mean, maybe when I was a little kid, I'd play at somebody's house. Uh, but Robert comes in with freshly picked flowers that he's kind of still, like, trimming and holding in a rag. And uh, then they're talking about control, which we'll get into in a minute. And Robert, as him and Jean-Luc talk, he spends a lot of time. Jean-Luc's kind of just staring. They don't make a lot of eye contact, uh... And Robert kind of acts interested, like he's interested in this corkscrew. He's kind of spinning it in his hands. He's got, he's got a, he has shoulder pads on, but I don't know if that's the style. I think he's had him on the whole episode. And suspenders, maybe Jean-Luc's has less uh, shoulder pads, but uh, whatever the shirt is, it looks really comfy. The seafoam shirt uh, or robe. And they're kind of going back and forth talking. And you can see it's getting more and more stern. And, but they're still, like, barely making eye contact. And then Jean-Luc gets up and leaves. Uh, but the conversation kind of goes, like, Jean-Luc's drinking. And his brother says, geez, I don't think you can handle that. Synthesol, synthesol or whatever doesn't have that, like, it uh, doesn't get you drunk. And Picard's like, yeah. And he goes, well, this will. And he goes, yeah, now that's something I'd like to see. And Picard says, what do you mean? He goes, gallant, gallant uh, Picard, out of control. And then he acts a little bit innocent. Like he's like uh, kind of, he goes, geez, mind if I ask you a question? What happened out there? And Picard says, is this a concern? He goes, no, curiosity with the Borg, I mean, what, what was up with that? And Picard says, you know what happened. He goes, no, not precisely. He goes, I, I know you were humiliated. And then he said, man, this, this Robert is really, he's a, he's a handful. He goes, I always thought you needed a little humiliation or humility. Either one will do. And so Picard rolls out. His brother, like, walks right after him. Uh, and this is around 34 minutes in the episode. It's probably worth a watch, uh. Oh no, 34 minutes is like this this dialogue, so we'll get to it. Uh, else, uh, Picard storms out. Why do you walk away? Yeah, okay, so he really sounds like, when we do this dialogue, he really sounds like the Emperor from Star Trek. Uh, it's, it's, I'll do, I won't do the Emperor voice at 3445. Let's see, let's do the dialogue first, and then I'll do the observation, because a lot of it uh, stops being dialogue related. Robert says, why are you walking away? That's not your style. And Picard goes, I'm over it, bro. And he goes, oh, he's so tired. He goes, yeah. He goes, Robert says, what are you, tired of the Enterprise too? The great Captain Picard back down and then into the water with Lewis. He goes, well, that's not the brother I remember. But maybe that you're writing your own story. A local boy returns home to hero's welcome. Picard goes, I'm no hero. He goes, of course you are. He goes, you never settle for less than that ever. And Picard says, what? And he goes, oh, you canceled the parade to look good. 
And he said, Picard says, that's not what I'm after, man. And he goes, oh, Mr. President, school president, valedictorian, athletic hero, arms raised in victory, which is a really nice callback to when he raises his arms kind of in fake victory uh, when he's with Counselor Troy at the beginning. I just noticed that that is really nice uh, writing. I mean, like, this is an old, older-fashioned show, but, uh, I mean, it's still a lot of nice things to point out, is my point. I hope I'm not being too—well, it's a sleep podcast. I can be as much of a fanboy as I want, right? Uh, but he goes—Picard says, what, are you jealous? He goes, that's right, I'm jealous. I had a right to be. Picard goes, what? You have a right to be jealous? And he goes, yeah, I'm your brother, watching you be the winner— and then we get the uh, prodigal son thing, which I like find appealing because he says, yeah, you were breaking all the rules and kissing all those people. But, uh, you know, I was one by father's side, the older brother, the responsible one looking after you. And because he says, looking after me, you were a bully. And he goes, well, sometimes he goes, but uh, sometimes I enjoyed it. And then Picard says, uh, like, it just gets better and better. Uh, let's see. Let me read through my notes. How's the dialogue? Oh, what was the part where he says, uh, where he sounds like the thing? That was when he said tired. Where is that? Uh, maybe that's later. Oh, that was at the beginning. He go, Oh, he goes, yes, tired of the Enterprise, too. Uh, the great, like that part, uh, he sounded like the Emperor. And he said, of course you are. Admit it. You'll never settle for less than that, and you never will. That just reminded me of uh, Return of the Jedi with Luke talking to the Emperor. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense without the audio. So, um, but yeah, so they're walking through the uh, the grounds of uh, the Picard house. His brother's arms are behind his back. Now Luke's a few feet in front of him. Well, he pesters him, and then finally Picard says, you're not going to bully me anymore, by the way. He goes, go ahead and try now. But when he says it, he like uh, uh, his eyebrows raised, or maybe his brother's eyebrows raised, when he says, you want me to look after you again? And then they have a, a mud fight, because Picard's like, come on, man, uh, I'm sick of you. And so they have a mud fight, growls in the vines, like because uh, Picard's growling. As, uh, they're really like, here's where they face off. You're so jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous. There's really good acting, too, uh, by the brother. Uh, he goes, Oh, yeah, I'm so sick of being your brother. You missed your hot stuff. You know, this is very, uh, this, is this archetypal? You know, it was my job to look after you. Look after me. Picard's really, like, panting almost. He's really had enough, uh, and he goes, see, sometimes I even enjoyed it. And here's where Jean-Luc says, you know what, uh, go ahead, bully. But he's like, it does seem like a little bit smaller. Oh, and this Russ says, why'd you come back? Uh, did you come back because you wanted me to look after you, you again? And the Picard says, and that's when the mud fight starts. And uh, it's pretty hilarious uh, watching them. I can't tell if it, it must be stunt people, too. Uh, but it, like, I'm not watching it in slow motion or anything. Ground, they're, uh, Picard, they throw mud at each other and then they really, like, they're exhausted and then they start laughing, uh, for just a second. Cause then, 
you know, after the, the release of adrenaline, you know, Picard says, she's, you were asking for it. And Robert says, you know what? You've been really hard on yourself. Uh, and then Picard like has a second release of sadness. Cause he says, geez, they took everything, the Borg, uh, and they used me and I couldn't stop them. Like I should have been able to stop them. And I tried and I failed. I wasn't strong enough. I should have been, I should have been able to stop them. I should have. And he's crying. And Robert says, well, my brother's a human being. And then the healing moment comes. He goes, this is going to be with you a, long, a really good moment. He goes, this is going to be with you a long time, Jean-Luc, a long time. You have to learn to live with it. Now you have a simple choice to live with it below the sea with Lewis or above the clouds with the Enterprise. And they're in the vines, like where he originally said, I'm going to help the sick vine. And then he says, Jesus, uh, Picard says, I guess I did come back to be healed. And then Robert says, you know what? I still don't like you. And he means it. It's not like a joke. Uh, he goes, uh, he, he goes, yeah. But we, we, and I said, wow, that's powerful. Like, uh, you like if there's people in your life, you say, you know what? I just don't like uh, if that was allowable. I don't think it is. Because uh, usually you just feel like, well, it's my fault. I don't like this person, you know? Uh, and that's so with Ro- Ro- Robert. Yeah, so then they help each other up. Uh, I think you were right after all. I still don't like you. Then there's a commercial. Uh, then we see Mud going into the their house, and then the brothers are drunk. Uh, when Marie's get, eyes get home, cover up like a couple of... Oh, yeah, so Marie comes home, she says, what happened? And they cover it up like a, a couple of Monty Python characters. They're like, oh, it was my fault. I tripped in, you know, they, like, she's like, why are you two mud wrestling? And she goes, what if your father saw you? And Picard says, well, he sent us to bed without supper. And she says, well, I'm glad you got it out of your system. And Picard says, yes, you're right, Marie. I'm going to have to cancel that meeting. It's with the governors and Lewis. I got to get out of here. She says, already, Jean-Luc? He goes, yeah, it's time for the ship to go, and I belong on board. If I should ever doubt it again, I know where to come. And then we have a parting scene with Jean-Luc back in his uniform, uh, which I think is powerful, and he's with Marie and Renee, and Renee's holding his bag, very proud. And his brother's standing in the background with an ascot on. And he gives him a wine and two kisses and a real hug. Uh, and he walks off in uniform. I put that there. But Jean-Luc Robert says, you know, here's the 47. You know, drink it with somebody special. Uh, you know, they really have a moment. Even they make eye contact. And uh, even his brother's eyes soften a little bit when he hugs uh, Jean-Luc. Like he does care. Uh, which is good because this guy was stern, whoever this actor is. And then we see Picard walk back down the same lane with Lesso springing us up a very determined pace. We see his back with his uniform and his bag. And then Worf is seeing his parents off, uh, and he crosses, they cross paths with Jean-Luc. And he says, hey, what's up, uh... And then as the door closes, like Picard's coming in from the transporter, he smiles uh, uh, because, you know, Worf's, uh, like, uh, parents are getting on his nerves and stuff. And Worf's nerves, not on Picard's. 
And then we see Marie and uh, Robert eating dinner alone in this night. And Marie says he's still out there dreaming about starships and adventures. This reminded me of uh, Christmas Story, the movie. He's dreaming about starships and adventures. It's getting late, and Robert says, well, let him dream. And then we, uh, like, there's like a very, very, uh, like, um, iconic shot, I guess, of, uh, a kid under a tree. It's Renee in this case, like stars in the sky. He's got like very, like very, like his knees up and there's a shooting stars and there's a constellation and the episode comes to a close, even some city lights in the background, uh. Uh, really well done. His knees up, you know, just like the like uh, picture should be. And the episode ends, uh, and that worked out pretty good. Like, so, uh, yeah, there'll be a part two uh, next week. Uh, good night, everybody. Okay, these are the thank yous for Star Trek Family episode. Like, this will be a two-part Picard episode. I want to thank everybody that did a review of the podcast. Uh, kind of unbelievable. This comes from Session SF. Uh, I had insomnia since my teens, now in my 40s with teenagers of my own. Surrendered that I'm not a sleeper. Uh, but what, what's worse is all the thoughts in the wee hours that led me to listen to podcasts in the night to distract me from my thoughts. Uh, discovering sleep with me is like an oasis in the desert of sleeplessness. I put it on and uh, two, then uh, to fall asleep, then two or three more times in, during the night. When I wake up, I can't get more than 10 minutes through before I'm out cold. Often I'll listen to it during the day because it's quite charming. Oh, thank you. Uh, but it might, at night, the technique is perfect for pulling my mind away from anxious thoughts, allowing me to sleep before I know it. It's a game changer. Uh, just donated to support the podcast. Thank you. Uh, Jessalia uh, says, can't sleep without Scooter. Uh, the podcast worked wonders for me. Drew found just the right balance between interesting and boring uh, to let me drift off. I'm ADD, so it's difficult to turn off my mind. Uh, this podcast let me focus on one thing instead of bouncing around. I strongly recommend. Thank you. Christine Double X Gaga. Yes, a podcast is great. I can only fall asleep to the sound of other people's talking. It's a lifesaver. Thanks. Uh, Sadie Lola uh, from the USA. Totally works. It's such a cool, weird podcast. I thought someone talking and not getting to the point would bug me, but it's hilarious and relaxing and totally puts me to sleep. Thank you. Lamb Great for Z's. That's from Australia. Friend told me about it. I've attempted to listen to an episode over the three or four months. Uh, turn off the lights, press play, and soothing rambling. Uh, sometimes I try to hear a story, but I'm usually sleeping 10 to 15 minutes, and I can listen again. Part of my sleep routine now. Uh, there's one episode that didn't work in the, at a fair with background noises, but the rest have worked well. I'd recommend. Thank you. Uh, this one's from Brainbot, UAF7 uh, from USA. Never made it through an entire episode. Love the podcast, Scooter Delivers, and Sawing Logs in 15 minutes. Call me Roy from uh, the UK. Can't go to bed without it. Revelation. I've had trouble getting to sleep for years and have not been disappointed. I've also recommended my friends who love it too. Oh, thanks, Roy. Uh, can, can I call you, Roy? Uh, especially around night shifts as a vet nurse. Wow, uh, I've used it almost every night for six months. Thank you. 
Uh, how about this one? Kevess, uh, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. That's a brain bot. Uh, listen every night. Show's been helpful. Listen to fall asleep. Sometimes I listen to calm my anxiety during the day. And uh, CCTBFS from Australia says, quirky podcast to put you to sleep. Uh, I've been listening to sleep, sleep in the podcast for a couple of years now. It's amazing. If you're not looking for traditional guided meditations, you may need to look elsewhere if you are or not. Uh, I was looking for something, anything to help me put asleep when I landed across this. It took me a few attempts to listening to try to work out what it was about. To be honest, I've listened to hundreds of episodes and I'm still not sure. Thank you. It's quirky, hilarious, sweet, strange podcast. I love Scoots. And my bedtimes are nicer because of him. Oh, that's why I do it. And Mujelina from Australia. Give it a chance. I'm from Australia and coming across this podcast was the best. I've had chronic insomnia and anxiety. After trying everything, meds, therapy, etc. Listening to Scoots mumbling and meandering tone has helped me for the first time. Also played it when I'd wake up, you know, and feel anxious. It helped me feel grounded and not alone. There can't be enough mumbling. Thank you to everyone who works on the podcast. So thank you for your nice reviews. Yeah, if you're out there and you want to review the show, just go to sleepinmepodcast.com slash iTunes. Uh, thanks. All right, hey, everybody. Welcome uh, to another episode of uh, Sleep with TNG. And uh, we're talking, this will be the second episode about family. Uh, season, <laughs> let me look here. Uh, season five, no, is that right? Season, it was episode two, maybe season four. Of course, now my phone is like uh, not acknowledging that I was just playing uh Next Generation. Yeah, so season four, episode two, that, that was a season four, episode two. And this is our second run-through, and the reason we're doing two run-throughs of this. So last week was Picard's version, Picard's family episode. And this week will be Worf's, uh, Worf's family episode with a little bit of the Crusher family and I just broke it up just because it was really in-depth and, and especially Worf's thing with the, his parents I thought was really relatable. Also, I recorded like half of this last night and then uh, the recorder wasn't running. I'm just looking. It's running right now. So, um, yeah, so we'll run through Worf and Wesley's story and we'll skip over Picard's in this one and we'll, we'll see kind of what comes up. I don't know. I really, really... Uh, I don't know. I, I like Worf, and I thought this was a really good episode for him. Uh, now, the scene does start with, uh, like, uh, the captain's log. They're docked at McKinley Station getting repairs after the Borg incident. And then we have Riker sending off a crew to engineering, and Worf comes in. He's kind of looking grouchy. Surprise, surprise. And he's like, geez, I got everything done. Uh, Riker's like, okay, well, here's the final schedule for the personnel uh, and then shore leave and stuff. Actually, let me watch the run through because Worf's Riker's amused. He says something to Worf. Worf looks at his little, uh, his pad, his pad, the one he has right now, looks like an, uh, an, uh, one of those portable NESs, the old ones. And he's got it. Now Riker's looking intrigued. One eye, one eyebrows up on Riker, kind of. And uh, looking directly at Worf, Worf looks away. 
uh, Riker's kind of speaking with a little bit of authority and inquiry, and now he's uh, dismissing him out of the corner of his mouth. Riker, oh, as uh, Worf heads the door, Riker says one more thing. He's leaning on a chair. Worf's looking back and talking. This is uh, groundbreaking, groundbreaking stuff. He thinks, he says something, he turns, he turns back, he says some more. And he heads out. Uh, so let's see what it really said. Uh, oh, wait, this is John Luke's uh, run-through. So I have the wrong notes in front of me. But I do have the uh, the transcript. Worf says, you know, phasers are done. Riker says, all right. And then Worf says, well, now we're working on power supply. And he goes, you're too damn deficient, Lieutenant. Worf says, that's right. Thank you, sir. And he says, yeah, here's the per- final schedule. By the way, looking forward to meeting your parents. And Worf's like, what? And Riker says, yeah, they're on the visitors list. Uh, can't wait. Uh, and Worf says, no, uh, it's inappropriate for a Klingon to receive family while on duty. Uh, as humans, my parents don't understand. And Riker says, well, I don't either, Worf. This isn't a Klingon ship. And if you're trying to dodge seeing your parents, that's your business. And he goes, well, we really, really don't get over here to Earth that often. And I'm sure we could arrange for you to have more off-duty time. You know, if you want to get off-duty and totally hang with your parents. And he goes, no, 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 please, no. And then Riker says, dismiss. But then he says, wait a second. He goes, are you worried about what happened on the Klingon planet? And Worf goes, or him and them finding out, are you trying to cover up something? And Worf's like, no, no, I told them about my discommendation. But this is where the whole episode, the fulcrum, I believe, Worf says, I do not believe any human can truly understand my dishonor. And let's see, what else came up? I was wondering what the two symbols on his sash are, so hopefully at some point I'll look into that. And then uh, we have, you know, the Picard, Picard story goes, and the episode opens, and after the opening... We have Picard in the transporter room with O'Brien. And let's just see a little bit of the visuals here with no sound. Trying to get through the opening. Seems extra long. Uh, We see a shot of Earth in the ship. It says family and the uh, thing fixing it. O'Brien touching some buttons. Worf comes in. He's already glared right at the transporter. And he looks, I don't know if Klingon sweat, I would assume they do, but he looks uh, sweaty. I don't know if he's always this shiny. And he's, they're kind of talking. Worf's hands are behind his back. He's uh, walking. He's pacing. He's doing some pacing. And uh, looks, I mean, he always looks grouchy. I don't even know why I would be bothered. O'Brien, he doesn't look as, you know, I don't want to make any, like O'Brien, like, uh, he's not smiling, but he still looks kind of amused. And uh, now Worf's turning back, his parents are transporting in, his mother's in this beautiful purple dress, and his father's, they're holding hands, his father's got like a teal shirt and then a jacket on, his mom kisses him, she's like holding her hands together under her chin, she's so happy to see her boy. Also should be noted, Worf's parents are human, so he's adopted. Or, uh, I, I can't remember, I don't know the backstory. And now Worf's dad's greeting O'Brien, which we'll cover in the uh, the transcript, the dialogue, part of my notes. 
Worst mother also has kind of like a bun. I don't know, an updo. I don't know if she has a bun or an updo. And she also has like uh, stuff in her hair, in her updo or bun. Like uh, kind of like Troy sometimes has like design, you know, jewel, like a uh, hairpiece. I don't know what you'd call it. No, not a hairpiece. Uh, like hair jewels. And they're still talking. And Worf's kind of like, uh, come on, Dad, you're making, you know, you're making me. And then there's a mother, she's kind of leaning in, uh, shutting the father down, kind of uh, trying to send the father messages with her eyes. And now they're heading out. And this is what I really like. She touches his hair and worst posture. He really, like, his posture really changes. Uh, Really good acting because his posture is uh, much more passive and his shoulders are slumped. And I wonder how much fun they had with that scene. Uh, let's see what else I got here. Uh, post open, Worf and O'Brien, mother's never on time, so human. And he says, I wish they would come so it would end, like it begins soon so it ends soon. And O'Brien kind of says, I know what you mean, and Worf's like, unlikely. And he goes, the last time my father, my father was here, he was chasing nurses, dude. It's always something with parents. And then they two to transport aboard, mother, father. Uh, Mom gives him a semi-hug and a kiss. And dad has a strong shake. And he goes, would you put on some weight, son? Sergei's the mom, Helena. Sergei's the dad, Helena's the mother. He goes, you still chasing around the ho- things on the holodeck? And uh, Worf says, let's get going. He goes, no, 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 let me talk to this guy over here. He goes, hey, Chief Petty Officer Sergei Roshenko. Uh, USS Intrepid, which I'd like to see the Star Trek. Um, wonder if we're ever going to see if, or if we have, you know, I miss all this stuff anyway, like Wesley's dad or now Worf's father. And he goes, she's Miles O'Brien. He goes, oh yeah, don't, sir, good to meet you. He goes, don't call me sir, I used to work for a living. Unlike this officer. And then his Worf's mom says, you know, you're proud of your son being a, a officer. And he goes, oh, yeah, can you imagine someone, like, raising a, a child that's an officer? And the wife still tries. She says, Jesus, plenty of time for you to waste with the boys. Uh, she goes, your father is so excited, which is really, like, relatable. And Worf's kind of like, oh, oh, great. And let's see, really relatable. I lost my spot. Uh, but, yeah, the father says, yeah, I want to see everything, the whole ship. Uh, he goes, I got all the specs and the diagrams of these ships. And Worf's like, Dad, we're in the middle of a repair. I can't give you a tour. And he says, well, why don't you ask the captain? And then his mom says, don't embarrass Worf. Uh, we're here to see him, not the ship. And then he says, fine, fine. And then the mom says, oh, geez, your hair's looking a little long. And that's when they head off. Yeah, excited father, mom touches his hair at the end as they go out the door, uh, acting his posture, show hers, what does that mean, show hers, shoulders, oh, posture and so- shoulders, I thought it said positive, show hers, looks back at O'Brien like, please rescue me, uh, then we have a Beverly and a Troy scene, this is at uh, 13... Uh, 25, I guess. Uh, and uh, Beverly gets a couple mocktails uh, from a dispenser. One is an orange melon color, and the other one looks like fruit punch. And, it, and then she's bringing him over to Troy. 
So I tried to guess which one would be for Crusher and which one would be for Troy. I was wrong. I had a 50% chance of being right, and I was wrong. And uh, he will going to, question mark, question mark. And then there's a doorbell. Box. Oh, box gets delivered. Oh, her and Will are thinking about going somewhere. I, I, let me, I think I caught it in the transcript. Maybe uh, France or England or something. Uh, but then the doorbell rings, and they say, Jesus, this is, it's uh, on the box. It says, Lieutenant Commander Jack Crusher, USS Stargazer. And it says, his uniform and some odds and ends. A book, uh, uh, How to Advance Your Career Through Marriage, uh, in uh, De Beverly says uh, it's a joke, uh, his way of proposing. And then there's a card in there, like a digital card for Wesley from Jack. Uh, I forgot. Uh, D. So we'll run through the dialogue. And then she says, are you afraid what it might say? More humor, more harm than good, she says. Uh, perhaps this will help him understand, I think Troy says to her. Uh, oh, Angel Falls, that's where Troy says they, she's thinking about going. Uh, and Crusher says, oh, Venezuela's great. And let's see, oh, she says, Jay, career through marriage. Uh, she says, yeah, Jake sent it to me in medical school, way of proposing. And then the disc for Wesley, she says, Crusher says, uh, maybe I forgot it or maybe I was trying to forget. And Crusher, or Troy says, Why? And she says, it's a message from Jack uh, to Wesley he recorded right after he was born. A gift for when he grew up. He was going to try to make a lot of them, but, you know, he didn't get that opportunity. And Troy says, well, what are you afraid of? And she goes, well, I don't know if it'll do more harm than good. Wesley's finally come to terms with things. And then Troy, I don't know if this is, like, I don't know what Troy's uh, therapeutic relationship is with everybody, but she goes, well, Wesley has a lot of questions about his father, things you can't answer for him. Maybe this will help him understand. So this kind of turns to Will Smith. I don't know if any of Will Smith's kids will write a song, like like kids, or maybe Will Smith will write a song about his kids. Kids just don't understand is what, uh, like, uh, uh, Dr. Crusher seems to be saying. And let me see. I'm watching the scene again. I don't know what room they're in. A really big room with a lounge, but not the bar. Whatever, 10 forward. And uh, like a pla- oh, like a, it's like a plastic suitcase as opposed to like those tube uh, uh, luggage things uh, with uh, the uniform. Oh, also, you probably want to know, I thought uh, Dr. Troy, or yeah, is it doctor? Is Troy a doctor? I thought Dr. Crusher was going to have the melon-colored drink and that Dr. Troy would have the red fruit punch drink, but it was the opposite. I was wrong. I don't know. I, I guess, I, yeah, I was making assumptions. Uh, uh, so, like, whatever the melon, you know, the melon ball or whatever, that's what uh, Dr. Uh, Counselor Troy is drinking. And uh, right now, uh, Doctor Crusher, she's looking down. She's looking down at the essentially a memory stick, uh, or well, no, no, memory sticks don't exist anymore. Like an SD card, but a big, bigger version. Like an what are those other ones called? Compact Flash. Professional photographers still use Compact Flash, I guess. 
But yeah, they're still talking. I'm noticing some a nice painting. I've been noticing that like a like a, a paintings. Okay, now we're in engineering. So let's do the visual run through. A lot of work going on in engineering. We've got one, two, three, uh, maybe four extras like working in engineering, and then Worf, his parents, and Jordy LaForge uh, come in. As opposed to all the other Geordies on the ship. And uh, Worf's dad's really talking to Wesley. Worf's eyes are wide. And, and his mom, she's not happy. Also, you see, like, some, even though, you know, Worf's mom's human, uh, the way she has her hair does kind of um, harken to at least the same head shape as uh, Worf. I don't know if that's intentional. And, uh, but he does seem like a split uh, version of both his parents. Uh, like his wharf's very muscular and broad shouldered. His dad is, uh, very broad shouldered. And his mom, her eyes can get wide, and wharf's eyes have a tendency to go wide at things. She has a very expressive face. The dad has a full beard, a very thick beard, trimmed. Makes me think of, uh, like, uh, that he should have been cast in, uh, what's that, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm getting mixed up, but now him and Jordy are having a private conversation, Worf's father and Jordy, and Jordy seems to trying to be greeting him with a quiet empathy, and the scene ends, so let's see what my notes say. There's a star here, so it must be important. Engineering, there's lots of work, scanning in progress. The tour, Mom, Dad, Worf, and Jordy. Door opens up, uh, and there's glaring. Uh, we have taken enough. Uh, we have something enough. Uh, nonsense. Uh, and Worf's look off when someone says nonsense. And Mom puts a stop to Sergey's story. And, and uh, how about uh, the new engine core? And Worf says, Worf, why don't you show... Oh, like, uh, the dad wants to see the Worf, uh, and the mom wants to see something. And then, like, so Worf go, Worf's father goes off with Jordy, and uh, he says, Commander LaForge, uh, call me when... And then he kind of softens. And you know, we'll get to this in the dialogue. But as soon as Worf walks off, dad mode kicks in, and the dad says, uh, geez, there's something I want to ask you about my son. And uh, Jordy says, sure, chief. So let's see. Uh, they go through. Oh, Sergey was telling a story about when they went to school, and Worf was uh, uh, like, uh, like, Worf was dominating all the kids that had, uh, like, a, like, a, like bad attitudes, like that weren't nice to him. And the principal said, tell me he's an only child. That was the punchline. And then Worf says, we've taken enough of the commander's time. And Jordy says, no, 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 we're ahead of schedule. And Sergey goes, that reminds me of enough story. And then the mom says, that's enough story, Sergey. And that's when he says, geez, I want to see this warp core or whatever. I used to have one on the Excelsior class ship, uh, and Jordy says, that'd be great. How about you, Mrs. Roshenko? And he, she says, no, no, no. Worf, I want to see the Arboretum, I guess. Um, and then he says, Commander Forge, call me when father wishes to leave. But he, at the end, he kind of says it nice. 
And the dad says, oh, I can find my way back, Worf. I know, like, I, I got all the specs memorized. Just like a proud, a very proud, like, oh, you know, a little bit over-involved, but in a loving, excited way uh, for his son. And that's when he checks in, you know, he kicks in dad mode because he's worried about his son. Uh, then what's the next scene? Oh, let's see. The next scene I think is, this is going to be, is this our first scene with Guinan? I think it is with, since we've been doing this, uh, Star Trek is sleep with TNG. And this is a really good Guinan scene. Another character played by Whoopi Goldberg, a character actually whose backstory I know is only limited to the few episodes that I've seen with her in it. And other than this episode, those were all casual viewing, so I don't even have any notes. So, you know, I, I can, but uh, another wonderful character, kind of like is a, like another version of a counselor and a wise person, even though, uh, like, not in, not in the elder sense, but like a dispenser of truth and wisdom. And really, really in heart. I, I don't know. I really, really like this character. I, I like, uh, I think, uh, and I don't know, it just adds a nice thing. I don't know what season uh, Guinan started, and I know, like, a little bit about what I've learned about, uh, but, but uh, I don't know. So this is our first Guinan scene, I guess, and I'm probably saying it wrong. So it's at the bar, which I think is 10 forward. Mom and Dad and Worf, crew loves you. Uh, maybe this isn't a guy in a scene. He goes, mother and father, I wish you were more reserved. And they say, geez, we're just excited. Like, this is, a lot of people have been through this. Maybe, maybe in high school, but uh, maybe as an adult in some other way. Geez, I wish you were more reserved. They're like, we're just excited to be here. And then Worf gets called up to the principal's office by Riker. And then mom and dad, shame, something, I can't read it, share, shame, a worried look goes over mom's face, uh, shakes her head. She stands and rubs her hands and says, somebody says, maybe we should leave it alone. And she, maybe the father says that because she says, I can't, I'm his mother. And then she goes to the window and dad has a hand on mom, like maybe her shoulder or something. And says, I'll show you mom's shoulder. And then they meet Guinan and we meet Guinan. She shakes her head and nods. More one dumb hands. Oh, she maybe she puts her hands out. She says, "Let's sit, sit together." And I don't know who sighs. Someone sighs. And then she gets a funny line. She goes, "This is something I want to ask you about uh, prune juice, which will go. To, that'll be in there." And I say, "Wharf." Uh, and he, she goes, like, it ends up that well, Morph was kid. He refused to eat any human food, only Klingon. And he said, geez, it was tough. And she goes, he got through it. Uh, this is where she empowers him. So I'll save that for uh, the dialogue. Uh, but it gets really important at the end because it says, geez, uh, I'm afraid Worf uh, feels we don't understand him. And they say, well, part of him may. Well, let's read the dialogue, and then because it is really good. Uh, let's see. So when Guinan goes up, she, she comes up behind Sergei and Helena, and she goes, you know, sooner or later everybody comes in here, and they stand by those windows, and they look out and stare, and they're looking towards home, and it doesn't matter how far it is. Everybody looks for it anyway. And she goes, she's your wharf's parents. Can I ask you something? She goes, how come you never gave him prune juice? And Helena's like, what? And she, she Guinan says, uh, 
Well, he never had it before he got here. Now that's all he drinks is prune juice. And that's when they say, well, geez, he only wanted a uh, Klingon flu food. So we had to learn how to cook it. We never learned how to eat it, but we, it was difficult. And then Guinan says, but you got through it. And Sergei says, well, we didn't do anything special. And Guinan says, really, didn't you? Just look at him. He's pretty special. I guess I just got emotional. Did you hear that? I, I literally did. I, I really feel, I don't know, like Guinan can really, uh, when she does her truth telling, it's a little different because it's this truth of the heart, uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, or the truth of the spirit, maybe. But she says, geez, really, like you did a great job raising Worf. Like uh, Helena says, well, it wasn't easy for him, you know, growing up without other Klingons. And Sergei says, we, we tried to let him discover his heritage by himself and find his own way. And Guinan says, well, so many parents could learn from the two of you. And then Helena says, well, I'm afraid that Worf doesn't feel like we understand what he's going through. And that's when Guinan kind of, she says, well, part of him might feel that way, but there's another part I've seen. A part that comes in and drinks prune juice. A part that looks towards home out the window. And the home he's looking for isn't a Klingon empire. The home is where you two are. And the scene ends. Also, if you're wondering what Worf's parents are drinking. Actually, Worf's drinking a light, like, light pink drink that could be prune juice with a, like melted ice. Uh, Sergei's drinking like a aquamarine drink in a tumbler. And then, uh, Helena's drinking out of like a, like almost like a beet, like a small, thin, tall, light blue drink. Out of, I don't want to say a beaker. One of the ones where you measure, uh, really skinny, like a highball glass, I guess, but even thinner than that. And they're, you know, kind of still encouraging Worf, uh, but Worf's kind of still, now Worf's getting his call to go back up to Riker. And now we're seeing the parents' concern. Actually, his mom is really good. She's made this really sad face. And now they're pacing around the ship, kind of, well, what should we do? We can't just not, we can't, you know, our son is hurting is basically the thing. How do we help them? How do we help him? Now Guinan comes in, and she's kind of wearing, like, something you'd expect, like, a spiritual advisor to wear. Not a bar. She's a bartender, I think, essentially. I mean, clearly, but it plays a much bigger role in this. But uh, she's got, like, a kind of headpiece on, covering her whole hair, and then a flowing uh, bluish green, like a lot of aquamarine. This one's like a like a bluish green robe. And she sits down, and she's got a nice smile, but she has a nice manner of looking, like, with bemusement. As of, I mean, is that bemused uh, as opposed to amused? Uh, but her mom, Worf's mom really gets a kick out of it. She's, like, smiling, too, and really enjoying sharing, like, uh, the story about Worf's food. The father's even laughing, all smiles around. Now it's turning to a little bit of a sad face. You know, it's like, well, it's a little bit tough right now. Son, son's a grown-up Klingon. And, I mean, this is like a theme for, like, uh, our relationship is moving into this new world now. Because I don't know. I mean, if Worf was a human, I'd peg him at uh, 33. But he could be 28. I don't know. Uh but that's just my guess. I mean, it could be a little bit older, but I would guess like 33. 
But I don't know, like, uh, I don't know anything about Klingon ages, uh, but he was raised on Earth. Uh, so presumably he, that's around his age, if, you, if you're trusting me, who's just making it up and guessing. Uh, but, yeah, it's like really see the full range of Whoopi here, too. And, you know, I was a bit, by the way, I was a big fan uh, back, way back in the day when I first saw my first Whoopi Goldberg movie, which is comedy. Uh, before she was doing nun comedies, jumping, jumping Jack Flash, uh, uh, way back in the day. I think Bobcat Goldthwait was in that one. Uh, but then we get another really good scene with Worf. Uh, oh, first we have a Wesley scene though. And it's a short one. Mom and Wes are there. She kind of holds the card and the stick and Wesley kind of has this look of, uh, as the scene plays out, this look of joy, but stunned, like stunned, pleased, and joy at the same time. Uh, that this is clearly a special moment because mom calls him and he goes, Jesus, mom, what do you mean, message? And again, I already guess I know how strong Dr. Crusher's mental, emotional makeup is after remember me but she says geez i don't know what's this message because i haven't listened to it. it's your father's for you he made it a, a couple weeks after you were born and wesley says she says why and she goes well he thought it was important to tell, say something to you and make sure he didn't forget to tell you later i mean this one kind of makes me think geez i wish i had this idea i'm, I'm no jack crusher i'll tell you that uh I'm a Jack <laughs> with three, letter, three letters after that in this A-double. <laughs> uh, but then Wesley says, well, do, do you know what it says? She goes, no, no, no. But he wanted you to have it when you turned 18. And I want you to have it too. And this is kind of a kick for someone who's just started watching the show. And if, for a couple of years, it's like Wesley's, our little Wesley's all, already grown up, already 18. And uh, that's the end of the scene. Let's see the run through here. Dr. Crusher kind of has this awkward smile on her face. She's looking down and then trying to make eye contact with Wes. And the shot's over Wesley's shoulder right now. But uh, he's kind of leaning in, but his posture's not super erect. Now he's standing. They're both standing, and he's looking down. This is when he gets this good look on his face. He knows this is a special moment for him. And he actually it seems like he's feeling or acting, I mean, good acting, like the, the mixed range of emotions. Then we go straight into this uh, wharf scene, which if you do yourself a favor and watch it right before 30-minute mark of the episode. Like, a couple mind-blowing seconds. First off, we have Worf in the mirror, like, doing some beard grooming or something. But then it, like, reveals where he's doing his beard grooming. He's in this strange chair. And again, I guess because I don't know anything about Klingons. Uh, what, like, like a chair that, like, in the mirror is also a sculpture, and his chair is a sculpture. His chair looks like both these things look like, like, if you were to say a 1980s stereotypical yuppie, like, so if you had an 80s rom com, like, I guess, like, the most, like, I don't know how many people saw National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but, uh, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus play and her husband play like yuppies. I think that's an eighties movie, and maybe they're like, but like, uh, just like this strange ultra modern. Like he's got this grooming mirror, but it's in his living room on a like metal sculpture. Then he has this chair. It's a black chair. 
it's shaped like a human hand so that you'd sit in the palm of the hand, but the hand is like a, it's a black uh, metal sculpture with balloons on it. So the fingers would be tapped. Like it doesn't look like a human hand. It's shaped like one. It more looks like just a, like if you were make black metal human hand, like just like really bad modern uh, art. And now they see, I don't know if this is the worst place, gigantic uh, crew quarters on the ship. Uh, but now they're in Worf's like private part. Like, I don't know if it's his bedroom. They're sitting down, Worf's talking, but looking away from them. Really intense look. Uh, now he sits down with his parents and his mom has a very caring look. Uh, and Worf kind of has a... Uh, like a more vulnerable look. The father kind of has a, like, a, mom's now, like, getting close to tearing up. Uh, even Worf is. Uh, the father's got a very calming, uh, you know, he's got a beard, so he has a little bit less rain, you know, ability to show, but his eyes are really showing caring. And I don't know if this is pathos, pathos or pathos, but I think Worf has a lot of pathos in his face right now. Um, now he's, now he's glaring though, but I don't think it's a glare. It actually isn't a glare. It's just, I'm mistaking it for a glare. And the parents are making one last loving overture and Worf's accepting it, uh, with a bit like a very, and now they're all holding hands, all of them. A uh, really beautiful moment. Uh, so let's see, what are my notes? Worf's grooming his beard in the mirror. The doorbell rings, he yells, enter, like, cause he always over talks. I put hold, which must meant hold the phone, 1980s ultra-modern yuppie hand balloon chair, and the mirror is a sculpture, and they say, are we disturbing you? And someone, I think Worf says, I thought you were going to your quarters to sleep, uh, and then they said, no, 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 we're here to tuck you in, and then this, we'll get into the dialogue, but he says something like, geez, when I heard you were on the visitor's wish uh, list, I'm not sure... Uh, I wanted you to come, and his face at this is really good. And then they say, you're our son, and that's when they all hold hands. Uh, but, yeah, let's see. Worf says, enter. Sergei says, are we disturbing you? Worf says, no, but I thought you were going to sleep. They say, yeah, we came in to tuck you in. They really said that. I thought I was joking. And then Worf says, yeah, when I saw you on list, I wasn't sure I wanted you to come, but now I'm glad you're here. And the mom, Helena, says that we had to come. And the father underlined is by saying, our son was in trouble. We read about the discommendation. And, like, this is paraphrasing, but my mom says, well, we didn't understand it totally. The father said we didn't have to because we know the kind of man you are. Mom says, whatever you did, we know everything you do is for a good reason. And then this is just really human. I mean, even though he's Klingon, Worf says, I must bear my dishonor alone. I mean, this scene, I mean, I guess all three of these plot points really define family in a different way. And, I mean, I guess like a, like an, an unidealized, an idealized, unidealized version, I guess, you know what I'm saying? I mean, because it's TV. But he says, I must bear my dishonor alone. And the father says, that's not true. And the mom says, I'm sorry if it's human of us, uh, but if you're hurting, you must remember we are with you. And holy cow, I'm get, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional, but because I guess because I've had this push pull with people in my life, I guess. 
Who would have thought I'd be projecting on Star Trek characters to grapple with my internal emotions? But uh, the father says, we're proud of you and we love you. And the mom says, you're our son. And, and, and I mean, I guess you can look at it in a cynical, trite way. But that's not the job of my podcast. You know, my pod, I guess this is, my, you know, the benefit of being uh, like making a sleep podcast is to really just enjoy it. Uh, and they all lock hands. And it really, uh, really was a, wonderful. And I mean, I'm saying this genuinely because it, it, like, it's amazing me like enjoying Star Trek because really I think when I was a t- angsty teen, one of the reasons I passed it over was because it felt too sweet and 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 trite or something and i'm realizing uh i don't know i guess when you have when you have so much emotion like they say well jesus the opportunity for me to project uh and grapple with stuff through wharf this is what an opportunity but yeah just a really nice moment and uh, let's see i'm watching the picard mud fight right now in the background and right now is the laughing scene and I think we're getting close to finishing this up here. We got uh, the next scene is with uh, Wesley outside. And he says, load program crusher one. And I mean, talk about mind boggling what's about to happen. Wesley says, program, the computer says, program ready, enter when ready. And uh, Wesley walks in and. Uh, who's standing there but his father at, uh, like, a very young age, age when Wesley was born, 18 years ago. So I don't know how his father was. Like, he looks pretty young, though. And due to strapping, I mean, this guy, he, like, a great casting. Um, so Wesley goes, but he has a run program, and then the dad's there, and he's his dad's talking to a camera. Uh, like, so, you know, maybe the technology was different, or maybe, I don't know, but he's looking into a camera, uh, to make eye contact directly with Wesley. And, I mean, she's like, maybe, she can't, I don't know if Counselor Troy and, and uh, Will are gone, but maybe she should keep Counselor Troy or Guinan close by for these kind of things. Uh, but Wesley's father says, hey, hello, Wesley. I'm making this recording. You're 10 weeks old, and I just want you to know who I am right now. He goes, because by the time you watch this, you know, I won't exist uh, I mean, which he meant in a different way, because he says, I'll be older, more experienced, and a little wiser, hopefully. Uh, but this person will be gone, and I wanted to know what your father was like when I came into this world. And he says, Jesus, when I see you lying there in my in your crib, I realize I don't, like, I don't barely know how to be a father. So let me apologize for all my mistakes. Uh, I guess this, this sounds sadder than the scene was. Um, uh, or Wesley's kind of taking it. He's just more absorbing it. And we'll go through the visuals in a second. But he goes, geez, I hope uh, you don't uh, grow up resenting the fact I was gone so much. Uh, kind of comes with the uniform. He goes, I don't know if I can explain what Starfleet means to me, but maybe you'll understand one day. Maybe you'll even want to put one of these uniforms on, or maybe you'll be a doctor like your mother. Which makes me believe that, uh, like, she wasn't in Starfleet originally. I don't know that, though. He goes, you're only a baby, but it's, uh, you're remarkable. I can see your face, in your face, all the people I've loved in my lifetime. Your mother, my father, and mother are family. 
And he says, I can see me in you too, and I can feel that you're my son. I don't know how to describe it, but there's this connection, this bond. I'll always be a part of you, Wesley. Well, I hope this made sense to you. I'm not sure it makes sense to me, but maybe next time I'll do a better job. Love you, Wesley. And Wesley says, goodbye, Dad. And that's the end of that scene. And here we are, we're watching the run-through. Wesley looks really stressed as he's going in. He's like, uh, like he's holding his breath, uh, and his frown, his mouth's a little bit open, he's gulping. I don't know, I never noticed this, but he does look a little bit, he has a little bit of Ralph Macchio in him, a little bit. And he's got his hair, you know, his hair is good, it looks good. He's run program, now he's facing his father. Wesley's hands are tight, balled up, bunched up. Uh, his tentative steps as his father stands proudly. His shoulders a little bit slumped forward as his father stands taut. And his father's definitely, I mean, his father's older, but he's also very broad, you know, barrel. It's his dad has barrel chest, uh, but it's very similar haircuts, uh, also, he's in that blank holodeck with the black and yellow stripes or the black squares with the yellow stripes, uh, uh, which would be probably better than, like, their living room or something. Better to see him in an unreal situation. Wesley's, like, now his face is a line as his dad's talking. His dad's looking down every once in a while. I don't know if he wrote a script for this. Uh, now it's kind of feeling like they're talking to one another. And now Wesley just did the Picard shirt pulled down when his dad mentioned the uniform. Now his dad's kind of making eye contact with him and not the camera, but I don't know if that Wesley was just Wesley's positioning. And the dad's kind of shaking his head as he talks. I do that a lot, too. Uh, now Wesley's he's got a tiny, he's turning tiny into a smile. I mean, his lips a little bit. Almost, or he's soaking it in, looking down. Maybe he's not going to smile because he just looked down. And but I mean, I think it's a good moment, especially if he's eighteen to like tra- transition him. Uh, but he's still like a little bit. He went to shake or touch his dad, and then his the program ends and his dad vanishes, and then they zoom. Well, I never noticed. Like I mean, I didn't put that in the notes. He says. Uh, Oh, yeah, here we go. He faces, I love you, Wesley. And Wesley reaches out and tries to grasp his father, but the image vanishes. And he says, goodbye, Dad. So, yeah, that was a tough moment, Uh, but also a healing moment. Uh, Then we have Worf uh, saying goodbye to his parents, walking down the hall with them. Something I can't read from here. Cook cooks both ways. Pie. <laughs> These several notes. Tay T E Y cross paths with Picard. Sergey tries to get a bigger tour, and the door cuts him off. So let's see the dialogue. Oh, his mom says, "Do you want us to send anything from home?" He goes, "Yes, yeah, send me some pie." Worf says, and the mom says, "Okay, it's been a while, but I think I can still make that uh, Klingon pie." And then Worf, then that's when they see Picard. He says, welcome back. And he goes, these are my parents. Uh, and they shake hands. He goes, delighted. And Sergei says, you got quite a ship here, Captain. And Picard says, have you had the f- full tour? And Sergei says, well, because of the repairs, I didn't get to see everything. And then the mom says, Sergei, let's go. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I have all the specs and diagrams at home. 
And let's see, just see the renter if we pick up anything, because this is the end of the episode. We get one more shot of Earth and the ship as they're all walking. Worf and his mom have their hands behind the back. And the dad kind of, he's a little bit, him and the mom are a little bit closer together. The dad's standing a little bit off. Uh, so, you know, and then they're all laughing about the pie. And now they're crossing paths uh, as a family with uh, Picard. And Picard seems pleased uh, to meet them. They bow and shake hands when they shake hands with Picard. O'Brien's watching in the background, too. And uh, then they say, well, no, the dad says, and they say, come on, let's go. And Sergei's still talking to Picard, and the scene comes to a close. And then the episode closes with the child, you know, looking up at the stars. Uh, so a good episode, a good episode about family, a good episode about Star Trek, and a good night. Okay, I want to thank the iTunes reviews, Lurgeon uh, from Australia. Grateful for this podcast on the surface. Sounds like a guy mumbling his way through an incomprehensible story, but it's a lot more than that. The entire thing is carefully calculated to distract and lull the listener to sleep. Starts out making a lot of sense, becomes vague, uh, and then you're asleep. Precisely what you want from it. Uh, this isn't something you listen to in the car or doing gardening on. Put it on when you can't sleep. Thank you. And then Clara, Clara, with an E, uh, sleeping like a Z's in Oz. Also from Australia, relaxing and soothing meandering tones from a clever podcast who found a balance between interesting and insignificant rambling. Perfect to switch off and snooze with. Uh, give it a 10 out of 10 dreamy feather pillows. Uh, Golga the Tramp from the UK. Dubious to start, but now I like it. Always had struggled to sleep, watch TV. Didn't want to sleep to the usual podcast, uh, but this uh, sleep with me is perfect. Uh, First, it may seem odd. Uh, why is he talking about streetlights, city say boyfriend, wheelbarrows? But soon you realize the general rambling is engaging enough to push away the stress of tomorrow's to-do list. Uh, and other stresses at bedtime, when paired with a gentle voice, uh, that reminds me of 70s night shift radio, will help you soothe down. Usually, I uh, used to could fall asleep in 40, 50 minutes, but sleep with me is about 20. Recommend for anyone, give it a few nights and have it a go. And have a go. Forever grateful that my new boyfriend helped me sleep. Thank you very much for the review. Audrey Ch from New Zealand. Can't stand his voice. Terrible doesn't work for me. Drives me nuts. Can't stand it. Uh, feeling bad, I'm the only one. Uh, so I got to put a negative review. Thanks. Uh, little Jutka from the USA, my new Ambient podcast really works. No idea what he's talking about. I drift off. Uh, this man talking about nothing every night. Uh, thank you. Uh, game LC just works. Don't know why. Unexplainable phenomenon. Street, sweet, charming, goofy load of stream of consciousness introduction followed by a silly story, but that's only if you get that far. Thank you. Uh, then someone from central New York, one of my peeps, J-M-Y-P in uh, central New York. Love it. Been using it a couple months, never got through an episode because I go to sleep. Uh, thank you. Uh, then Wannis123459, so that's a brain bot, a lifesaver. So helpful, br uh, brilliant. Thank you, uh, USA. Spaceman Hartley, helpful. Past few weeks have been overthinking about stuff, causing me to not sleep. It stumbled on this podcast and uh, been a real factor in making my warnings way more refreshing. 
thank you. Old Slow Fat says, uh, Lifesaver, Scooter's Gifted Guru. Uh, calming voice, perfectly balanced, abstract thoughts, and calming the mind. Taps into an innate brain function that reminds me of falling asleep as a child. While trusted adults conversed in the next room. Thanks, that's one of the things I'm shooting for. Uh, tennis from Tennis Monkey from the UK does not like the podcast and says that most uh, people in the UK would dislike it with a passion. And uh, so that was that was like one of the meaner reviews I've ever gotten. Uh, DRU1076 from Australia. Guys, helping thousands can help you too. There's a reason so many people support on Patreon. Scoots is a 12th Dan and Borfu and the Grandmaster Borshido. He has honed his techniques and knows what he's doing. Don't, do warning, do not use while driving, walking, or operating heavy machinery. Thank you, Drew. Uh, Lazy Lizard uh, says, Great podcast, help you fall asleep from Canada. Like the glass, after the glass silver story. Wish I could hear the end, but I always fall asleep. My only complaint is the chatting at the beginning. Uh, sometimes the intro wakes me up. Otherwise, great podcast. Uh, Lee H. says, awesome show. One of my favorite podcasts. Thanks. And then, sorry to end on a low note, but HNSS1167. His voice is annoying if you're trying to fall asleep. Hard to understand, too. Confused about why this is so popular. So uh, thanks, thanks everybody for writing the reviews. It seems like it's just like, yeah, I uh, really appreciate it. And if you want to write a review, go to sleepwithmepodcast.com slash iTunes. And uh, thanks so much and good night. All right, everybody. Tonight we're going to be talking about Season 5, Episode 25, The Inner Light. And this episode suggestion came in from our good friend, Lauren Sporer, who makes a criminal podcast, one of the best podcasts out there. She's also one of the nicest people on the planet Earth, or or I guess, uh, like, what do they say? Space, or in any final frontiers, you say, geez, Lauren's going to be nice to you, even if there's a shortage of uh, supplies, probably. I mean, even if you practice magic. Anyway, she suggests this episode. I remember her telling me about it uh, before she even suggested. She said, did you see this episode where Picard blankety, 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 blank? You know, because I don't want to spoil it. Uh, so thank you, Lauren. Make sure to check out Criminal Podcast. If you, I mean, I think you probably have, but if not, get it on your list. And this is a like, this is an episode. Uh, oh, actually, let me get it started. So I got my setup here. I got the transcript at the ready. You got the old iPod. Am I recording? Okay, yeah. I get to, like I get overwhelmed with this technology. So obviously, I don't think I'd fit in on the bridge of uh, Starfleet, uh, the Starship. Uh, let's see my notes here. So it, it, actually, there's an interesting opening because uh, it opens with these like the rainbow warp streaks. Uh, you know, like the white light is streaking in a rainbow pattern. This is the first time I've noticed it. I, I don't know, but it's like rainbow. It's a Roy G. Biv. I'm watching it. Yeah, because then you can see the ship slow down. And at first, like I was pausing and I thought it was only the streak would go blue, red, yellow, green. But then I said, but not always. And, and then I noticed a little indigo. And they said, maybe because the, I said, where the heck is Roy G. Biv? And I don't know if they still teach Roy G. Biv in schools. That's uh, how you remember the spectrum. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Does the visible spectrum change? Uh, I mean, wasn't there that dress controversy? I don't know if that had to do with Roy G. Biv, but uh, 
red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violets. And again, I always wonder how can blue get so much love because blue, indigo, and violet. I guess violet's purple. Violet Beauregard. Uh, but then it ends up, it's just like, it, it is Roy G. Biv, but it just doesn't always red. Uh, red, yellow. Oh, wait, was there orange? I don't know if I saw any orange in there, but there was red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And let me tell you about my watching technique this week. It was a carryover from last week. So I watched it once after I talked to Lauren for, for pleasure, just, you know, cash watch. Uh, then I went to watching it in these seven to eight minute increments, like usually with the, the, the length of an ad post, you know, between the ad breaks uh, and, you know, pausing a lot. So it maybe takes me now 30 or 40 minutes to watch seven or eight minutes. Uh, probably 30 minutes. And then when I work out on Monday and Friday, I watch it, and now I'm watching it again. Picard's in his season five coat. And let me just run through the visuals. There's something appears on screen. It's like a probe. And it's got fins, and uh, the crew's, like, everybody's, this, oh, this is a tangent. I guess I might as well do it now, though it was later in the episode when I realized it just today. Yeah, and this is like some of you will laugh at my uh, foolhardiness, and I'm not joking. Like I didn't realize till today. Oh wait, these are some archetypes on here on the ship. Like uh, today became clear, even though Worf is from the Klingons, which are a warrior-like group of uh, warrior culture. I was just noticing Worf went into his default mode a couple of times, and his warrior side came. I said, "Oh, he's a warrior." And then they went to data, and I guess I don't know what archetype data is other than, like, the the, the data, like, fact-based uh, being. Then Jordy, I don't know, like, because uh, Jordy's more on the engineering, so he's kind of on the, I don't know what what he, what Jordy archetype. And then, I don't know, is, is Riker the trickster? That would make me more jealous of Riker if he's a trickster. Uh, then Dr. Crusher, I don't know if she's the healer. I don't, I don't know my archetypes. I don't know my ass from an archetype for sure. And then I don't know if, is there like an empath? Troy wasn't, I don't think Troy's in this episode at all. Now that I'm thinking about it. She was at like a, you know, a retreat conference or maybe a retreat. Uh, anyway, that was something I noticed. Let's see what my notes, and I paused it. Uh, We've detected an object we cannot identify. Oh, and then Picard says zoom or magnify versus zoom. I thought that stuck out to me. Nowadays we say zoom instead of magnify. Uh, Data, he says, and then they say, Data says, I got no record of this probe we're looking at. And then Worf says, this thing's taking up a relative position. And then I got to go because I can't understand my handwriting. And they say, Data. And I think he says talodextic, a ceramic alloy or something. And then uh, Jordy says uh, not very not very sophisticated. But that was a cl- this is a clue. Like if we look at these Star Trek episodes, especially this st- style one. And again, like I'll just get, break any delusions you have about me. He did not figure out... Uh, I think I got close to figuring it out towards the end, but I, I didn't figure out what the mystery was. Mostly I didn't figure it out till they explained it to me. 
But that ceramic alloy and that it's not very sophisticated as a clue. I mean, you'd have to be freaking Sherlock Holmes to figure it out with that clue. Or, you know, a smart person. Yeah, then Worf, de- then the action starts to heat up because Worf detects a lower level nucleonic beam. And Riker stands up from a seated position. So then they say, okay, now it's getting, you know, he says shields up. And Data says the beam scanning, it's sending out some sort of unusual particle stream. Uh, Worf is like, this thing is penetrating our shields. And then there's a flash of light and Picard sees it somehow. Uh, increase. Oh, Picard, I think Picard says they're trying to move away and the ship is following them, taking up relative position. So I think Picard says increases speed to head shake. I don't know what that means. Increase speed to head shake. But then there's a flash of light and uh, Picard faints. Uh, uh, but Riker catches him. He goes, I got you. And there's this soft, fuzzy Riker uh, cradling Picard. He says, don't worry, Captain or Commander, I got you. And then it, but then it fades and gets fuzzy. And then it's a woman looking down at us. Uh, we're looking through the eyes. Actually, we're not looking through the eyes of Picard. We're off left. And she's smiling as she comes into focus. She says, she's well, finally. Picard looks up. She says, she's how are you feeling? And she says, hey, Cayman, can you answer me? Picard's not moving yet. He's looking around, trying to process. And now he gets suspicious. He says, where am I? And she says, you're feverish. She says, freeze program, computer, cut it out. Uh, end program. He thinks he's on a holodeck. He's got a blanket on, and I guess we might as well go into what he's wearing because it's, uh, well, no, he gets up. We don't have a full shot of his outfit yet. He says, Enterprise, come in. And the woman says, geez, you're not well. And Picard is serious, seriously suspicious. He goes, who are you? She goes, this is your house, uh, your home. Uh, We don't see his outfit because then it fades to the open. Let me just read through what else I have here. Raker catches him so gently, uh, soft focus, Raker, woman smiling. Well, finally, how are you feeling? She's talking to Picard, who's on a couch. Cayman, can you answer me? Picard gets, uh, I don't know what that, like, I can't see, see a three-letter word. I can't de- de- decipher. Suspicious look. Uh, I had to, I, re- I took the time to rewrote suspicious, because if I didn't, it looks like subguar. But I rewrote suspicious so I could read it. And it says, look, suspicious, look, what is this place? You know, she says, you're feverish, Cayman. Freeze program, computer, end program. Oh, well, here's my notes on Picard's outfit. Picard pulls off his blanket. He's dressed like an elf. Uh, he, and he is. He's dressed like, like, a, like an elf in a universe where the elves aren't as stylish as the ones we're familiar with. And he says, I asked you, what is this place? He's serious. He says, you're home, of course. And then there's an opening. And he's still not doing good about tracking the story, but it opens with a strange probe. Picard faints, and then Picard's confused. He's in a new home. Okay, then we have the opening, and then the ship flies across the screen. Picard faces the woman. He has Sanal Tide like Prinks. Oh, he has... Man, my writing is... I don't know what this is. He has something. 
but their outfits are in like a like an upscale tie-dye print. Uh, his is green, hers is more of an orangish red. He also has this like leather uh, belt uh, like uh, like uh, with uh, rings. And his pants, they they were like uh, like straight out of King and I or something. They're uh, tight around the uh, below the knee, and then they're puffy above the knee. I mean, that's like I I don't know if I'm familiar with King and I, but that's just what I thought. Uh, also, his chest is out. Uh, in uh, I guess I'll talk about it later. But man, is uh, Patrick Patrick Stewart's in unbelievable shape. Uh, the house is very upscale with, like, uh, tapestries and sculptures, which th- that one kind of uh, doesn't fit. And on the walls, Picard backs away. He's, like, asking questions. Another thing is he, like, he, like the house had a security panel to open the door, and he automatically knew how to get out. Uh, like, what button to push? I didn't know about that. And... Let's see. So he's testing things. He backs the door. She says, you really shouldn't go outside. He's like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going outside. I will. And then he knows what button to push. He strides off. She does not follow. I thought if he wasn't healthy, she might follow him. I put double question mark. That was WTF number one. WTF number two, like I was putting myself in Picard's shoes, which is probably a mistake. I would have been really worried about getting lost. And not being able to find my way back home. But Picard doesn't seem to worry one bit. I Like, I mean, maybe because I'm sober now, but I used to, like, at a hotel, I could never find, if I, you know, and I, my mind wouldn't remember. Even now, I don't remember hotel room numbers and stuff. Uh, like, what floor were we on? But he doesn't worry about it. Then it's Arbor Day, and they're having an Arbor Day in defiance of the drought. And uh, they say, down with the drought, yay, Arbor Day. And they're planting trees as a symbol of survival. And Picard rolls up to the guy in charge. Uh, But Ty, Richard Real, I I don't don't recognize his name, but uh, he he looks familiar. Uh, Whatever button I just pressed, I just messed it up, messed up. Big time watching it. Don't worry, though. I got it under control. Uh, the Arbor guy, he's in a blue tie-dye print, but with like a weaved greenish uh, vest. Uh, and Picard says, I want back on my ship. Are you the one in charge? Uh, and he says, the fever, it's taken your memory. Uh, I forgot what Picard said. Cayman is Picard's name. And then I like he says, "Yeah, it must be." Like Picard starts to play dumb. He like he does it terribly because uh, he's very serious at this point. Obviously, he's woken up on a strange planet with a new like new wife. Uh, and actually, this guy's his best friend, so he plays dumb and he tries to get more info. He goes, uh, "He goes so." He goes, "Your but he goes, who are you?" And Batai says, "Your best friend, Batai." You know, you kind—he uh, goes when no one else around. You call me Tie Dog, and Picard goes, "Ah, Tie." And you say I've been ill, and he goes, "Yeah, for like a week." Uh, your wife, uh, she should have put you in the hospital, but she's caring for you herself. Oh, and he also says Aline, and Picard says Aline, and he goes, "If you don't remember, that's your wife." Uh, and Picard says, "And what is this place?" And this guy with Tie—he's really nice. He says, "Geez, maybe we should go see the doctor." Buddy, 
Amvicard goes, no, no, it'll all come back to me. He goes, Resic, uh, Northern Province. And Picard says, what planet? And the guy goes, holy moly. He goes, you look great, but uh, he goes, let's go home. And Picard says, no, 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 just humor me. What planet? He goes, Catan. And he goes, Catan. Picard says, no, it's not a Federation planet. You know what? I'm going to go for a walk. Uh, And the guy goes, dude, you've been ill. He goes, no, no, exercise will do me good. Reacquaint myself with the surroundings. Uh, But the guy, like, he kind of laughs at different points. The guy really seems to care and have concern. Oh, this one I put, like, yeah, Patrick Stewart's in, holy cow, good shape. Uh, like, ripped. Uh, like, like Patrick Stewart's all muscle. And, and, like, he's not jacked. He's just very, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, man, I don't know how old he is in, in these, uh, but, man, like, whatever is extra, like, I don't know why they didn't come out with the Picard diet or whatever. Or pea stew instead of P ninety pea stew pea stewy. Uh, I mean seriously, I don't know if there's any interviews with what I, what he was doing to stay in shape, but he's in like excellent excellent shape. Yeah, says he's gonna go for what? Get reacquainted with myself. I didn't realize that was a double entendre. Guy watches him go. Picard goes and climbs a mountain that overlooks the city. And they definitely live in, like, a rocky valley, like, mountain-type province. It looks very cool. Uh, but remember, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. It looks very cool, but remember. And then he heads home. Then I did a story check. So we got Picard on a strange planet. Everyone acts like he belongs there, looks around. So, yeah, my story plotting still needs work. Uh, then Picard gets home. His wife's been up late waiting for him. He knocks at the door instead of just coming in. She says, thanks, goodness. Why did you worry us? You know, I said people were looking for you. And Picard, I don't know, you know, like typical. And she says, are you uh, hungry? He says, uh, hungry, thirsty, exhausted, uh, totally famished. He goes, suppose that means it's not a dream. And she goes, you think your life is a dream? And Picard really gets teed off. He goes, this is not my life. Very loud. Uh, and he has this thoughtful look on his face, and she's at a loss, clearly. She's like, well, let me go get you some food to break up this awkwardness. And Picard kind of glares at the floor. He does a lot of holding of the arms of the chair he's in. And she says, where'd you go? He goes, well, I walked for hours. Uh, Yost out of bed. What does that mean? Let me see if I can figure that out. Uh, just, I think she just said, geez, you just barely got out of bed. And then she gives him some stew or something. And this is like this Zen eating moment, like where they say, chew your food 50 times or whatever. Picard savors every drop of the food. I think because it's real food and not a from a multiplier, whatever those things are called. I mean, he tastes every drop. I put Zen Travel or Light. I don't know what it probably like. He's very contemplative uh, and curious now than his earlier combative mode. Quite, he goes, let me ask you some strange questions. Uh, and she, go, she goes, okay. Is there any other stars in the planets in the star system? Uh, do you visit them? 
interface says everything. Goes, what about communications? How do you send a message to other places? She goes, voice transit conductor, dude. Do you want to send a message? She goes, yeah. When can we do it? She goes, tomorrow. And then she says, are you just worried about, the, what about our relationship? Aren't you worried? She's stunned, uh, like, basically. Don't you, aren't you, don't you care about us? Uh, now, something, of course, what do you have? Oh, Picard says, geez, oh, yeah, I'm concerned about us. Anything you could tell me would be helpful. How long have we been married? She said, three years. I'm so, I'm so happy about it. Picard goes, what do I do for a living? She goes, you're an iron weaver at the best. Uh, she goes, but you love playing the flute. And Picard goes, the flute, really? And she goes, yeah. And then she gives him a little whistle. Has a little tassel on it, and uh, he goes, "When did I learn to play it?" And she goes, "Well, you don't, you you don't know how to play it," uh, which kind of contradicts what she said. But she says, "You keep trying," and he, you know, picks it up, gives it a little blow, and he goes, "Huh?" And he goes, "Well, thanks for this. This was delicious. Uh, I'm just gonna curl up on this chair here." And uh, we'll send that message out tomorrow. I'll be out of here. And she says, she's come to bed, please. And Picard says, like, then he gets, yeah, she doesn't mean to, to sleep. Uh, and Picard says, oh, no, I'm sick. I totally am sick. I could, like, uh, I'm going to be sweaty and talk. I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. Any, I'll just sleep on the chair. And she goes, let me be the judge of that. And then she leans forward, like, uh, and at first you think Picard's, like, looking like at her neck, at the nape of her neck seductively, but really he's looking at a pendant on her necklace, which looks exactly like the probe, which is like an octagon with two fins, I think, with some red highlights. And it has one light on it, not the pin, not the thing on the necklace, the actual probe. But Gar goes, where'd you get this? And she goes, you gave it to me, baby. Uh, it was your first gift. Then we're back at Riker... And he calls, he says, the captain's, something's going on with the captain. Uh, then we go to an ad, and then Riker and Crusher, Riker's like, or Crusher's like, everything's normal but his brain function. And then then we do, do everybody who gets a chance to help. Uh, Riker says, Data, what do you think? And Data says, it's just unusual, the particle emissions, they can't block them. Then Worf says, we should just destroy the probe. And Crusher says, no, we don't, we got to figure out what's going on. And Riker's doing a good, I don't know if this is consensus building or not. I guess not because Riker's in charge, but Riker says, all right, yeah, let's stand down Worf for the meantime. And he goes, let's back off a little. And then they say, Data's like, the probe's following us. And Crusher says, it's connected to him like a tether. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, Picard, go to bed, low energy, rubbing the arms of his chair, zoom in. A fake out where he sees the satellite as a necklace. Uh, uh, wharf, destroy a probe, not wise. Crusher says, relative position connected to him like a tether. Oh, this is this is the next day at WTF2, <laughs> big time. It took me the first time I watched it. Like, this is, I was like, it's something different about Picard. I mean, it didn't hit me in an instant, but he's got a hair. 
and it doesn't look good. It really, like, you see, man, he's way better with shaved head look. Uh, but he's got hair and a sextant, and uh, I think he would only have neither. If, I mean, if you, like, he would only have a sextant if he had no hair normally, uh, if you catch my drift. But he's got, like, just hair on the sides and the back, and... Uh, I think I was really staring at it. I think it's like like makeup, you know. I mean, I'm positive, but uh, I don't know. It just was me. I think I was just like staring at his head and his hair. But it did like uh, it did add the passing of time. I think they needed it to show the passing of time. Uh, but Ricard's outside doing starship. Like his wife says, "Geez, are you dreaming of starships again?" He goes, "No, just looking at the sun, dear." Uh, figuring out this drought and she goes no you're trying to figure out where you are and where your ship is and how you can get back to that life and then boom Picard drops us well that's that was five years ago but it's still inside me and she goes was your life so much better there gratifying fulfilling and uh, that you stubbornly cling to it and, I mean, again, like, when you think about the way that the show tests the character's mental, uh, like, the resiliency, Picard is really resilient here. Because uh, then, I mean, overall, like, dealing with this uh, incredible experience of just starting a new life that's uh, already been going, you know, while he wasn't there. Uh, but she says, geez, was your old life such great? So he goes, yeah. She goes, oh, it must have been so great. You know, all the stories... Uh, but you don't mention anyone that loved you like I do. And Picard says, I'm sorry. He goes, it's, it's, it was real, as real as this, and you can't expect me to forget a lifetime spent there. And she says, actually, I can, I came. And uh, she goes, five years I've put up with your other life, and uh, when do I get you back? And this is kind of like a theme that plays out a little bit. He goes, well, I don't know. I know it's hard on you. And she goes, when are you going to start living this life? Let's get a family going. And then Bataille saves the day. He's a buddy. He says, hey, what's up? And then he says, we got to go talk to the government stooges coming by from, you want to check it out? He goes, uh, yeah. And he goes, do you want to come, Elaine? And she goes, no, you're on your own. That's how you do it best. And then Bataille says, oh, boy, that was rough. She's strong-minded. And Picard goes, well, he owns it. He says, well, it's not. He goes, it's more me. He goes, I've been difficult. Uh, and Bataille, as any best friend, goes, yeah, and for you too, it's been difficult. He doesn't, I really thought, I don't know, I liked this. He said, yeah, it's been difficult for you too. And some of these scenes in a, like a third or fourth viewing make a little bit less sense uh, when you try to figure out what's really happening. Um, but maybe you're not supposed to overthink it that much. Let's see. So wife seems jealous. Uh, five years, double explanation point. Uh, never loved you as I do. I, actually, I, I said, well, I think everybody that's worked for Picard has loved him. And I'm sure people have, like, uh, romantically loved him, too. But the love his crew has for him is very deep and genuine and goes, beyond, you know, well beyond a professional relationship. I, I think Riker, for sure. I mean, I think everybody. So I, I, I guess I have to take exception with that. That uh, even though Aileen or his his wife, uh, she doesn't own loving Picard. I mean, I think maybe I might love Picard. I mean, in a different way. 
than that. And I'd say, well, I mean, I think I love Picard, like, like a hundred percent bald better. So actually, I don't know if that disproves that either. Uh, what did I say? I've shamed you. When, when do you get, when do I get you back? I don't know. Maybe that was a projection. So then they go to meet this government stooge, uh, who's it's Arbor Day again. And he's there. Oh, so you have trees. Uh, and the battalion says, yeah, hope is a powerful weapon. And there's a lot of people in the background. And then the government stooge calls battalion alarmist because he's worried about the drought. And Picard drives, says, uh, let me drop some science on you, Stooge. Uh, I mean, this government guy is definitely, I mean, this episode could have been made one year ago, which is interesting because he's a climate change denier. Now their climate is changing for a different reason. The supernova sun, I guess, is slowly going supernova, which is causing drought and temperature increases. But, uh, just interesting that, like, the timelessness of this uh, this episode, like, thematically. So then the Picard says, uh, well, but here's some science for you. And he goes, well, Cayman, uh, tell me, but I don't want to quash your ideas. But Picard says, we could build some condensers. And he goes, no, we can't. Uh, and then I don't know if this was like, a, 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 like, I guess I start to wonder like about this, like who told this story? Because as we, as the, um, um, what do you call that? The curtain peels back. We see that this is really a narrative within narrative kind of situation or maybe to triple. I don't know, but I wonder what the, uh, what are the, I forgot the name of this planet, Cassian four or something like, I don't know what message they were trying to get enduring. But it seems like if the, if this was the message they were broadcasting, it's interesting that they broadcast as the official message that the government stooge was like the government was like a, a bit of a letdown with this whole situation. You know, usually official messages would make the government look good. Um, where this is more telling the truth. Well, they they didn't think we, like there was any reason to worry about this drought and that it wasn't going to be bad. And then Batai says, like, uh, gee, that, that went great. Uh, the government loves you. Oh, there's also the greetings, be well. And then Batai says, go carefully. Those are kind of the way they're greetings, which is good when you're thinking about the narrative thing. The guard's like, yeah, that didn't go good. And then Batai says, no, no, things move slowly. Uh, things take time. You think the guy also said, like, uh, like, this was di- very didactic. I don't know if this was here in a pedagogy, whatever, very, he said to Picard, I think you'll like our form of participatory government. And I said, well, they snuck that one in there. Uh, but, but then Picard's in a better mood. He says, dude, you got to come over for dinner. Let's hang tonight. And the guy says, you said, but I says, you I noticed you were speaking as a member of this community for the first time. And then it's nighttime, and like Bataille and Cayman are just kicking it. I'd like to kick it with Cayman, but like Bataille's drinking something. Picard's playing his flute or his whistle, or I don't know. Like it reminds me of the recorders. It was like a smaller version, uh, but the sound very much like a recorder that you know you had to use in grammar school. And he was playing Frere Jacques at first. Uh, and Bataille starts to give him the business. He says, man, you're brooding behind that flute, eh? 
And Picard says, I'm immersed, uh, different. He goes, it helps me think. And he goes, I really enjoy it. Uh, Bataille says, you're getting better. And then Aline comes out. It's like passive-aggressive, like competing for attention mode. She says, hit the road, Bataille. And he goes, yes, ma'am. And he says, good night. And they say, good night. And then she says, go carefully, Bataille. And then she picks up his shoes. She goes, I'm not, this is the last time I'm picking up after you, uh, buddy. And Picard says, yes, man. And she goes, she says, I'm sorry. I don't want to, you know, this is very real, uh, like marriage stuff. Or related. She goes, I don't want to be a nag. Picard goes, no, I'm sorry. He goes, uh, everything you said today is true. I've given you so little and you've given me so much. And she goes, well, you're a good man. And he goes, well, I'm not a good husband. You know, I spend my time. This was funny, too. He goes, I spend my time charting the stars. And I disappear for days at, the t- days at a time exploring the countryside. And uh, he goes, just like my old life, old habits, uh, you know, die hard. Also, I saw, I, I think I might write some fantasy fiction about this, uh, mostly about his son, Bataille. Uh, but maybe about Picard's adventures on the countryside, came in on the countryside, uh, but we'll see. And then Picard says, uh, you know, I want your permission. I want to build something. And she goes, well, you already have a laboratory and a telescope. Uh, you don't need my permission. He goes, for this I do. And she says, what? He goes, a nursery. And she goes, you got to be kidding me. And then Picard says, well, unless you want a porch, uh, that would be easier to build. Uh, I could get on that. And she goes, no. And then they have this deep romantic kiss. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Picard stops. Oh, there was like one continuity error. Like Picard had stopped playing, but the music was still playing with the flute. No, I'm sorry. He breathes. Uh, I give you so little. You've given me so much. Uh, Days at a time exploring the countryside. They cracked me up. Old habits. Uh, then we have. Then we go to the ship after their big time kiss. Riker, Geordi's uh, progress. He goes. They're using a solid propellant. I can trace it. And Riker goes. So we'll send a probe after to find out where their probe came from. And then Data says, I think we could reflect and disrupt the beam. And he says, what do you think, Dr. Crusher? And she goes, I wouldn't pull, you know, you don't want to pull something out. You know, we don't, we're not sure what would happen. Could do more harm. And then Worf says, the captain is under attack and we must do whatever we can. And this time Riker says, I'm uh, inclined to agree. Let's cut the cord. And then there's an ad. Uh, then there's a post-break. There's a daughter, a little girl, which, I mean, it's pretty quick to assume it's Picard's daughter. She's in pink. Uh, she's playing uh, piano, Piard, playing Picard. Uh, she's playing on the, oh, Picard's playing on the flute. Uh, he really needs a haircut. His, his sides are wicked bushy. Really underlies how good his look is. Oh, with his bald, yeah. His wife's holding a baby. The parents are in very formal outfits. Uh, it started, I think it was at this point that I said, wait a second, Picard's like Link from, uh, uh, now I just can't even think, Zelda. He's got his flute and his, he's dressed like an elf. Uh, he's Link. And it, like, uh, it is, it's true. It, it, like, uh, this is Picard's Link moment. 
I mean, here we go. I mean, I don't think Link ever wore a rusty-colored outfit, maybe, but uh, at the beginning of cards in the green. Now it's 2439, though. Maybe Link, when Link was married or something, like in his formal. He just held out his hand to, to stop the applause. And they're having a party. Uh, yeah, very elvish, pulling in Link. Uh, there's a nice spread for the party. There's like a modern punch bowl. Looks like a lemonade. There's like dinner rolls and like some sort of cheese nut log, I think. Everybody's like, whoa, boy, let's get to these snacks. Uh, Picard does some handshaking. Oh, what was the name of that band? Uh, uh, Locomotive Mouse or whatever. Uh, Ian, I can't remember. I thought I would remember between now and when I took the notes. Uh, oh, I just thought of it. Uh, now it just rushed me. I can picture the album cover. Past Masters, was that the name of the album? It's like a 60s band. Uh, locomotive breath did i say that already anyway then bataille they named the kid bataille in, the honor, in his honor and ricard says something about the warmth of friends and then he starts breathing a couple times he breathes again he goes up on his tippy toes and uh then he faints and then back on the ship ricard's in a little bit of trouble and Crusher's like, get that beam back up. And then it's like the, one of the TV procedural shows, like uh, originally ER was the big one. Because she goes, cortical, cortical scanners or something, you know, stimulator beamers. And they say, check. And she goes, you know, 20 megavolts of a Megatron. And then the beam's back and then Picard's back and Crusher takes a deep breath uh, then we see uh, outside, daughter no older, but that's wrong. And she says, happy day, father. Picard's looking older. And her his daughter's name is Maribor. And then they're both on the case. She's like doing soil tests. And she goes, you know, this is a long drought, Father. She goes, we got 25 years of records here, and we both reached the same conclusion. Picard says, I haven't reached any conclusion. I don't function by conjecture. And his daughter says, a good scientist functions by hypothesizing and then proving or disproving by hypothesis. Scientific method, yo. And Picard says, what about Danik, uh, this dude? And she goes, why are you changing the subject? And he goes, well, I got a hypothesis. He loves you, dear. And she goes, I thought you were teaching me to pursue the truth, no matter how painful it is. Uh, it's too late to back off now. You know, our planet's in trouble. And Picard says, yeah, beyond trouble, so maybe you shouldn't worry about uh He goes, maybe I should have filled your head with trivial concerns, games and toys and clothes. And the daughter says, I don't think you mean that. And he goes, no, but he goes, it saddens me to see you burdened with the truth and when it's out of your control. But she also takes in Tar because she says, well, maybe I'll, maybe, maybe I will take a, take another look at this Danic character. And he says, seize the time, Maribor, live now, make now the most precious time. Now will never come again. And she says, I love you, father. Let's see what else. I love you, father. Um, and in the ship, they see Riker pacing. Uh, Crusher says he's stable. Jordy says, uh, followed a probable trail to Catan. 
uh, Star, let me see, let me see what they actually, what they actually say. He goes, yeah, we, he goes, it goes to, uh, Catan, a Solarian sector. Riker says, never heard of a data. He goes, unmapped system of six planets inhabited. Nope. Uh, Star went Nova two, 1,000 years ago. Oh boy. And, uh, and it's a mystery. I put mystery, bomb, bomb, bomb. And then add, which I mean, it still was a mystery to me in, uh, Prob oh, here's the thing, like, uh, I don't know why I put prob, oh, probe, prob, P-R-O-B, I should have added an E. Octagon with a fin on the top and the bottom, with like the tail of an airplane with one light uh, or or the bun in some red highlights, uh, oh, one red light for the beam. Okay, then we have Picard with a big, like, a world-class telescope, uh, like the nicest one you could have at your house. Also very steampunk because of the metal he used. Uh, he's taking notes. Uh, his wife comes out. They're both much older. She says, put away your shoes again. And uh, thanks him, and his wife uh, thinks that thanks, he says. So him and his wife are getting older. Then there's a flout in the night, I put, uh, and Picard, it's Bataille, his son, and Picard belly aches about Bataille, and his wife says, well, Bataille's got something on his mind, and Bataille comes out, he says, Father, I want, I'm, I'm into music, I'm not into, like, the rest of this junk, like, uh, job stuff, he really has to stand up, and Picard's, like, looking very old and grouchy, he goes, I'm dropping out of school to play the flout, and Picard goes, oh, no, you're not, uh, and he goes, well, that's what I want. I love to play the flute. And the father says, well, you're all over the place. Math, botany, flutes. And Bataille says, uh, but first it's been the flute the whole time. He goes, this is the life I want. Uh, and Ricard's eyes move and he says, huh, okay. He goes, maybe we'll talk about it later. And Bataille says, but he knows, Bataille knows what that means. Uh, and he says, thank you, father. Um, let's see, determine, look, uh, through it all music, this is my life, I want it, well, we'll discuss it, and then the wife says, after all these years, you still surprise me, and Ricard says, well, who knows how much time I'll have, uh, to follow his dreams, Eustace is a provoke, what does that say, can't stay silent, Eustace Okay, I can't figure out my writing, but it's uh, something is to provoke. You can't stay silent. Uh, basically, he's going to go talk to the government stooge about the evidence about the drought. Uh, evidence is too pronounced. I can't stay silent. And his wife says, what a surprise. Then came in and the administrator argue. He goes, what do you want? He goes, uh, why are you going to spread these things about the planet? Uh, it's trouble. And Picard goes, they're facts, actually. And he goes, you got to tell somebody that will actually know what to do. And the minister says, I don't want to stir up trouble. And then he takes it Picard's side. He goes, actually, he goes, we knew about this two years ago. That's it. Uh, this is on the beach. Uh, he goes, did you ever read Neville Shoots on the Beach? And Picard goes, that's uh, an Earth book. He goes, well, that's what we got here. We're in the on-the-beach scenario. And Picard says, well, can't we do something? Like, And he goes, no, no, like I said, it's an on-the-beach scenario. Uh, there's nothing we can do. 
And Picard says, what about genetic samples, at least? You know, you got to let the civilization live on. And then the mystery says, there is a plan in work, but I can't tell you more than that. Uh, dum, dum, dum. And then Bataille shows up. He goes, Father, Mother's in trouble here. So Picard runs home and came and actually he says goodbye to his wife who goes to live in the, uh, I don't know, like a, like the great moisture evaporator in the sky. And then there's an ad. And we see Picard playing with his grandson, uh, like playing around, having fun. The daughter comes in. She's in a hat. Yes, I had a crush on the daughter. I mean, she's very, I don't know. I just, I mean, I said, hmm. I said, is this my attraction to Picard playing out? Uh, but she comes in and uh, uh, everyone, I noticed everyone was in their finest clothes. Picard's being a curmudgeon. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first, the daughter comes in. She goes, there's some children making a lot of noise in here. And Picard says, you don't got enough sunscreen on. You're outside for so long. She goes, don't worry about it. Uh, and he goes, how about you, young man? Do you, you know, he's tickling the kid. Do you have a sunscreen on? Skin protector, they call it. Uh, and then Bataille comes in, his kid. He was looking more and more like uh, Picard. He goes, happy day, everybody. Let's go see this launching. And Picard's like, a launching? What are you talking about? And everyone's like, Dad, the rocket they're sending up, we're going to go watch it. He goes, I'm not going anywhere. And Bataille says, come on, me and I'll take your kid to see the launching. Uh, and they go, and then Picard says, this is just too too hard, uh, this on-the-beach scenario. It sounded so good in the book, and especially when Dear Scooter always says he would like to see that as a movie with Jude Law. The only role Dear Scooter's cast is Jude Law is the guy that drives the car, race cars. And then she, she says, Dad, what are you talking about? He goes, it's just hard, you know. And she goes, come on, Father, let's go watch this launching. He goes, how come I didn't hear anything about this launching? And they all put hats on. Very good lesson. Again, very, a lot of foresight about uh, we, we're all supposed to wear hats like that, I guess. I don't. I, like, uh, I wear sunscreen, but not hats like that. Yeah, she says, please come, Father. And then the father and the daughter, they hold hands as they walk. It's a intense white sun. Uh, and then father says, what is this launching? Uh, and then it's, uh, she goes, you know all about it. And then it's flashback city. Like, oh, the, the mystery is revealed. Uh, it gets ultra trippy. Because uh, Picard, Bataille's talking to Picard. Uh, he says, uh. Like, oh, well, all the, crew, uh, all the clues unravel. Because uh, Bataille's the one. He goes, don't you remember, good old friend? Uh, first, his daughter says, you've already seen this thing, what, what they're launching. Picard says, what do you mean? And then Bataille says, don't you remember? And Picard says, Bataille, you look great. What's up? Uh, and he goes, you remember when the first time you saw it right before you got here? We hoped our probe would encounter someone in the future, someone who could be a teacher, someone who could tell others about us. So I assume Picard's either working on a seminar at some point or a book about these people behind the scenes. And then Elaine shows up. She says, yes, my love. And Picard says, Elaine. She goes, the rest of us have been gone for a thousand years, but if you remember where we were, how we lived, we'll have life again. And then we watch the rock. Picard says, Elaine. 
And then the rocket shoots in the sky, and she goes, Now we live in you. Tell them about us, baby. And let's see what else I have. Picard, oh, oh, it's me. Oh, that, that's the other thing. Like, uh, he goes, oh, I'm the one uh, that's supposed to talk about you. I'm the one it finds. Uh, and then that's when Aline says, yes, yes, my love. Picard's very old in this scene. Oh, oh, I, I really liked that. Uh, probe finds me. And then uh, we're back in the ship. Picard stirs. Data says the beam was shut down. Picard wakes up. He's like, what the heck? And uh, please, please, Catan. Is that what it says? Please, Captain, don't. Because uh, he tries to get up. Uh, and he goes, what the heck, uh, Captain? Uh, and then he goes, this is the Enterprise. I'm Jean-Luc Picard. It slowly dawns on him. And he goes, how long? Uh, he's all doing that in a whisper. And then Riker says, 20, 25 minutes. And Picard says, 25 minutes. Uh, and then he kind of needs help to get up and go to the med bay. Like, so Riker and Crusher help him. And he walks off with Riker. And then he, or Crusher, he looks back before he gets on the turbo lift. He has this huge smile as he realizes it was neither a dream nor reality. Uh, kind of bolt. Then uh, we're in the ship. We're in the captain's quarters. And Picard's looking at some giant sextant, like some sort of uh, like digital, se- digital, but also manual sextant. Uh, and he walks around looking at his relics. And then his doorbell rings, and Riker comes in amused. Of course, he's got a rectangular box under his arm. And he goes, you feeling better? And Picard goes, yeah, but I'm having to recover, rediscover my home. And Riker goes, we got in the probe, but it deleted everything. Uh, he goes, we found this inside. And he hands him the box and he leaves. And inside it is the tasseled recorder or whatever. And Picard pulls it out and he plays his like song that he's been playing throughout the episode. He plays it perfectly. And the episode comes to a conclusion. All right, I want to thank some people for iTunes reviews. Uh, Lazy Lizard from Canada, great podcast, help you fall asleep. I like the glass slipper. Sometimes I wish I could hear the end of the story, but I don't make it. Uh, sometimes uh, the intros wake me up, but otherwise, excellent podcast. Thank you, uh, Lazy Lizard. Uh, uh, Lee Huto from the USA says, brilliant, awesome show, one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you, Lee. Uh, then HN S eleven sixty seven. So this is Brain Bob. It says, what? Uh, one star. His voice is too annoying if you're trying to fall asleep. Hard to understand, too. I'm confused to why this is so popular. And then another, then a nice one comes in from BFS uh, P73 from the UK. I suffered from insomnia for years. This works better than anything I've ever tried. Scoots' voice lulls you into a safe place and stops your mind from thinking about everything. So pleased I found this. And thanks for all the Australian and UK listeners that have written reviews in the last few weeks. You know, with the end of this, this last harsh reviews from the USA, but, uh, you know, it really helps uh, when someone, uh, so I appreciate the reviews. Uh, Alyssa from Nash uh, says, or Elisa, Elisa probably, not a joke, uh, except for my pronunciation names. Uh, listen to this joke one night uh, when I wasn't sleepy. I've never looked back, not a joke. It calms my busy mind down. 
Scooter helps create a safe place for me to go to sleep. I also listen to it on an international flight so I could nap. And as always, I didn't make it through the intro. Tell everyone I know about it. And then JMO999 from the UK. Soothing, friendly tones from Scooter. I'm someone who only recently attempted to deal with your sleeping issues. I was convinced that therapy would work. Then I discovered this podcast and found a treasure trove. Scooter's the most relaxing, friendly, nondescript, creaky voice you could find. Stories are told with a level of a fair bore. Oh, I get to look that one up. I like that word, fair bore. Uh, that keeps you semi-engaged, but uh, feel relaxed enough to drift off, drift off or drip off. Varied types of podcast episodes, are, but always the same low, comforting tones from our hosts. I've nodded off to this voice many times. Thank you. Uh, Jimmy Bimmy from the USA says, absolutely wonderful. I have a deep appreciation. His care comes from listeners pouring through. Along with his oddities and musings, his gentle humor, endless creativity, and sheer wonder over words and language are impressive. And somehow lulled me to sleep. Sometimes I wake up anxious in the morning and get caught in my thoughts. And I turn the podcast off and drift back to sleep. So grateful. Give it a few tries. His lovable weirdness may take some people a bit of adjusting to. Thanks. Thanks. That doesn't make sense. More effective than pills. The scooter's my best boyfriend I ever had. I tried listening for insomnia and anxiety. I've yet to stay awake for a whole episode. Took a time or two to get used to his soothing, creaky tones, but now it's a friendly sound. The sound of sleep coming to meet me. It's a nice change. Thank you. Uh, UK Sleep With Me fan. Sleep within minutes. Love this podcast and fall asleep to it every night. I don't understand some of the negative reviews. I find the voice very soothing and I'm British. Thanks. Uh, Golgus the Tramp uh, from the UK. Dubious to start, but now I like it. Uh, always struggled. Used to watch TV. And, uh, you know, the lights kept me up. I didn't want to sleep to my usual podcast. And this turned out to be perfect. Uh, first, it seems odd. Uh, you know, what what is he talking about? Uh, but soon you realize the rambling is engaging enough to put away tomorrow's to-do list and uh, whatever keeps you awake. Paired with a gentle voice, like in the 70s at night shift radio, helps soothe you down. Especially as a Brit, I find the American tones work well. Usually I'm drifting to sleep uh, within 20 minutes. I would recommend to anybody. Thank you. Uh, Robin in Saxapa. So grateful this podcast. Podcast works got me through some challenging times. The scooter's great. So just gauging enough to turn my mind off. Uh, droning puts me in a, uh, puts me to sleep before the intro's over. If you're in need of a safe, nurturing pay place, uh, this is it. Suzettis, uh, I can never go to sleep without my boyfriend in his soothing tones. Very useful. Thank you. Uh, Stella Starr from Ireland, wonderful, uh, truly entertaining while remaining drowsy, comforting, and warm. The nicest way to fall asleep. Uh, Abby from Wales, thank you, thank you. Great for sleeping and relaxing. Found this podcast a couple of years ago, extremely glad I did. Scooter's U.S. draw is certainly relaxing enough to put me to sleep, but sometimes the con- it's, it is the confl- content, which I suppose is the purpose here. Aside from that, I do find the podcast very helpful overall. Uh, it's perfect if you need something to doze off to. And Abby kind of misses old uh, intro music. Uh, helps me wind down quick, quickly. Maggie Mimsy, got an anxious mind that runs in circles. Can't fall asleep each night. For years, I drowned it out with the TV, but my quality of sleep wasn't great. Heard about this podcast a few times and another favorite one. I bet you it was MFM. 
and was not disappointed. Uh, was able to turn out the lights and fall asleep within 15 minutes. Uh, so grateful. Thank you. And finally, Soapy in Nova Scotia says, Sleep With Me podcast. At first I was skeptical, what the heck is this? But I tried another episode, and now I can't imagine going to sleep without scoots in my ear. If you can't sleep, this podcast is for you. Weird and wonderful all in one. Two ears up. Thank you, Soapy. And thanks, everybody, for reviewing the show. If you want to review the show, just go to sleepwithmepodcast.com slash iTunes. Thanks, and good night. Okay, hey everybody. So tonight we're talking about uh, season one, episode nine, Hide and Q. I think it came out in nineteen eighty. Is it true? True in nineteen eighty seven. That like uh, is it like I don't know. I don't have a research in front of me, but I thought uh, I just read that somewhere right before I hit record. So I'll be straight with you, uh, you know, because it's what we're, we're trying to develop an honest relationship here, of course. And uh, like I can't like like uh, no one recommended this episode. That's what like first off. So I chose this one uh, just because of the t- the time frame of watching the episodes and recording. And I said, OK, I've been keeping the Q episodes in my back pocket. So anytime I really need to get get an episode done. I can just slot in a Q episode because John Delancey is delightful. I hope that's the actor's name. Lace, like, uh, <laughs> great. Uh, but, it, like, so, but this episode, I mean, I guess it was because we've reached the heights. Uh, we were at the heights of season five, and we've really had some hits the past few weeks, thanks to, thanks to some great suggestions. Uh, this episode really shows some, I don't know if wear and tear, it just shows that the show really did find its legs in an amazing way. And this was one of the episodes where they, I guess they were more in the stage of like finding their legs. Uh, so I can't strongly recommend this episode. This is the first episode. I don't want to pay anything. This is about being positive. But this was the first episode that I can't be like, like that I wasn't... Uh, <laughs> This will be, they think, the sixth time I've watched it, too, once I start hit play on my phone here. I think one, like, I watched it once for pleasure months ago when I kind of did, like, I watched a bunch of Q episodes. Then I watched it with our new, my new watching way, which is to watch just one uh, segment in a really focused and intense way. And then to watch it twice, like, when I'm working out, uh... So many times, that's only four times. This will only be the fifth time. Give me, give me a break, critic. You didn't do that much work. Uh, but there is some interesting things in here, of course, for a sleep podcast. I just, uh, and I don't know, like I didn't research anything about this episode. So it felt like there was some things missing. So let me add a, that caveat that maybe because I didn't watch the episodes leading up to it. Uh, well, we could talk about this right now. Like, it seemed like Riker and Picard's uh, relationship with the, was a little strained in this episode. And I was confused by that. Not in a, uh, not confused by the fact that it was strained, just a situational strain for this particular episode. And I couldn't tell if it was something that was recent events or if it was, uh, like just a general thematic thing. Or if this was like an attempt, a successful attempt, if it was, to advance Riker's character. So if it was that, uh, I think mission accomplished. Because, I mean, you know, Riker develops the Riker swagger. 
which in later seasons is a true swagger instead of like a, 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 a what do you call that? A, what is that thing with the plumage called? That bird with the plumage? Of course, like a peacock. Like he, he when Riker's tr- tr- swagger is not a peacock swagger, it's a true swagger. Or the like the swagger of actually like that Riker is a peacock. Like instead of like emulating a peacock, you, you know what I mean? Or it may not make any sense. Like uh, like Riker's swagger is out of the truth of Riker's comfortableness. Uh, where, so I don't know if this was one of the things that pushed him to his true swagger instead of a faux swagger. Is what I mean. Like Riker doesn't need to, he doesn't need a peacock tail because he has his, 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 he's just, uh, and we did have some good moments in here. Now I don't like, I don't, I'm a, I'm a sober person and I don't recommend any, like anything like this, but if you are like, uh, like in the, uh, like you watch TV shows at 420, either in the morning or at night, uh, this might be an episode for you uh, because it did have moments where I was like, Wait a second, what's going, whoa, man, what ha- What just happened? And where I was just wondering how it would feel if it was back in the day. And I was pulling, you know, it would be like, whoa, because like, there's just some odd moments. Uh, so all that said, uh, it was Hide and Q, Season 1, Episode 9. Uh, opens with our captains. Well, let me hit play, sorry. They just, uh, violation of Star- Starship Protocol here. Of course, my phone won't flip to the correct, uh, it's on the wrong season now. Oh, now the app has to reload. I I don't know if the phone updated recently, but it's really, I don't know, it's not, it's not long with us, this uh, iPhone 4S. uh, Okay, so we have it, hide and queue. Oh yeah, original air date, that's where I saw it, November 23rd. So right before Thanksgiving, 1987. So wow, like that was a long time ago. Even for even for me, it was. Uh, so I, I think in nineteen eighty. No, I, I it already had hope. I didn't have hope, uh, but uh, actually in nineteen eighty seven, I did have new hope. Uh, anyway, okay. So uh, captain's log having dropped right now. Oh, oh boy! Important note here. Let me pause it. Uh, Again, an important note. I guess I'll do it before I get to the cabin's log. They show the hallways. And again, because they skipped around season one, there's wallpaper on some of the halls. Like right now I'm watching uh, Dr. Crusher coming out, and she's headed. Uh, she's like, they're getting ready for this rescue. Uh, captain's log, they dropped Counselor Troy off. She's going to see her family. And they were close to Sigma-3 solar system when a colony had a distress call. So Crusher, Dr. Crusher's organizing things, but I noticed there's wallpaper in whatever hallways they're showing. A lot of staff, a lot of movement. Yeah, it's gray, uh, not horizontal or vertical, the other one, uh, diagonal, thank you. Uh, Gray and white diagonal wallpaper, which, I mean, again, I say, whoa, man, what did I... What happened? Uh, GG wave. What does that mean? GG where? I don't hair. Golden gate where? Sigma six. Uh, uh, call. Drop off Troy. GG where? Oh, G six uh, shuttle. She took a G six shuttle. 
Uh, first shot, what is this? I put wallpaper with gray angled paper. Really WTF double question mark. Mining trouble, uh, working as a team. They're really working as a team to get down there with uh, Riker and Data and LaForge saying, okay, let's get out, let's get doing this. And then the Q entity comes and really stirs up trouble. Let's, uh, like, there's all sorts of uh, pomp and circumstance, like a disco ball with moving disc. And this is pre-LED lights, so this is really really a show Q's putting on. Uh, Data says it's a Q entity, sir, because they run into that force field net. Read solid. Uh, Not now, damn it, Q. Uh, Picard says, full stop. Uh, Then Q's there is an illusion. Shows Tashi. Oh, shows. I don't know what that means. And uh, Tash and Worf really spring into action, which was awesome. Worf literally jumped over a railing. Like, uh, it was awesome. All caps. I spelled awesome wrong, but it still was all caps. Then Worf addresses the Q. Is that what that says? Worf addresses the Q. Let me see. Let me check the uh, thing here, the database. Let's see, reversing power, not now, Q, full stop. Uh, if this is Q, I'm, I'm addressing, we're on a rescue mission. Uh, Q is like, we've been studying you, and we want to help you realize your most po- impossible dream. Picard says, however intriguing that may be, we're on, we're, we're, we've got an urgent mission. And the Q says, my business takes precedence if my magnificent blinds you. And then Q shows up as a Starfleet Ad- Starfleet Admiral Q at your service. He he, he looks like he did like this gold uh, uh, outline on his own, like at home. Like even for the Q, I don't think he used any of his like uh, cosmic energy. I think he just did it. Like he went to a dance accessory shop and said, "What do you have? Do you have any um, like seconds of stuff you'd put on a, a children's dance costume for a dance recital, because I'd like to put that on my Starfleet Admiral outfit. And then the episode opens. Uh, let's see what's the next uh, story. Oh, sorry, they're on their way. I, was try- I didn't do a great job of this again. They're on their way to save the miners, interrupted by Q with a grand offer. Another thing to note in this opening scene as I watch it, Q's hair is a little bit off. I don't know... Uh, just, just something off about it. Uh, let's see what else my notes say. Post open, halted by the immense, immense grid of Q. We have some, uh, dialogue we'll go through. Uh, Q and Picard go back and forth, then Q and Riker, arms crossed, head held high. That's Riker. A lot of that in this episode. Amusing. I might, uh, Q dismisses, uh, Worf, uh, who gets irritated. Picard says, no, Worf. Macro head with a micro brain. He says, and Worf growls. Picard wants to get to his rescue, uh, and gets more and more irritated while Q pesters him. Really, you, I'm looking at Picard's face. He's really not happy. Then Q2's current to Riker. What do you make of my offer? And Riker says, we don't have any time for games. And then Q gets to say, games? Did someone say time for games? Uh, Pachek, Chikud, Interest, and Shad. 
That's what my that's what my handwriting said. Pachaki for interest's sake or something. To the game. Uh, let's see what else. Anything else? Uh, let's see. Q says, uh, "Oh, hey, the, the redoubtable Commander Riker, which we'll talk about in the like we talked about in the opening." Uh, he goes, "You, Riker, you find this all amusing." Uh, and we said, "You know, that's when Riker says, "Yeah, well, we're on our way on a mission to help people." He goes, "Oh, you always need help." Uh, then Worf, we have that. Guard said, what about this impossible dream being realized? Uh, when the rescue is com- completed, I'll, I'll listen carefully to you, your proposal, and see if it's acceptable. And uh, Q says, oh, do you want your human values on that? Come on, Picard, why, don't you, why do you distrust me so? And he goes, why? All our history together, uh, you're, you know, you're a jerk. And Q goes, Really? Take my still, like, because he says, you seized our vessel, and you interfered, and you put us on trial, and you did froze people and stuff. Uh, and then Q said, the Q became interested in, your, in you. Does no one understand this good fortune? He goes, quit your close-minded military stuff, Picard. Uh, and he goes, Riker, what do you make of the offer? And that's when Riker says, we don't got time for games, uh. Oh, this one Q talks like a little Shakespeare. He goes, perchance for interest's sake, a game to the game. Uh, then they're teleported to this rocky planet with a green sky and like two moons. Uh, or planets. Uh, but it turns out they're moons. One's bluish and smaller and one's orange. They're very close to each other in the sky. Uh, Data knows, he says... Uh, Oh, it's, by the way, it's Jordy, Data, Tasha, Riker, and Worf on the planet, I think. And Data says, this is a, cl- a class uh, M planet, uh, gravity and oxygen within our limits. Uh, Illica uses the Royal R, because I don't think this Data need oxygen. And then what else? So we could be anywhere, if it even exists, Data says. Uh, and then Riker says, well, it won't be boring with this Q. Then Captain Security Engraving. What does that mean? Oh, Picard's on the bridge. He says he, he's by himself and he calls security, calls engineering, turbo lift control. No one answers him. He's by himself. Uh, no one. The doors don't even work. Uh, turbo lift control. Uh, then Tasha, we're back on the planet. Tasha spots a cue. He looks like he's dressed as Napoleon. It ends up he's only Napoleonic, uh, you know, if you're scoring this at home. Uh, join me, Riker. Uh, games need rules and playing, playing order. Nothing reveals humanity so well as the games it plays. And Q sits down at a tent with blue banners, crosses his legs. He's got really nice boots on, really nice uniform. Uh, he invites uh, Data to, or Riker to sit, and Riker says, Data, what do you think? And Data says, well, he might be, it might give you some vital info. So Riker reluctantly heads over to Q, and Q raises his glass to him. And he drinks, at first I said, is this a lemonade or a liquefied school kid paste? And he offers Riker to sip in his indeed old-fashioned lemonade. Uh, Riker says, what about my people? And he says, Q says, whatever you like. Uh, 
games need rules and playing and watching it all unfold. I don't think any more dialogue's important, but uh, it's like a command post or whatever they're sitting at. Riker's very suspicious. I guess rewatching it with mute, uh, just watching um, Riker's facial expressions, he really had to work hard this episode. Indeed, old-fashioned lemonade was just what I was thinking about. What about my people? Gets out hot out here. And this is at 9.50, really important. They all, drinks appear in everyone's hands. Uh, like, Data has something green. Jordy takes a sip right away of, like, something light blue. I don't know if Tasha drank. I don't see her drink yet. Uh, but Worf, he, uh, he, like, stares right at uh, Q and pours his drink out. Uh, like, at this hilarious glare. This is at 9.50, if you want to see it. And throws the glass. Uh, and then, you know, Q makes fun of him. Don't don't drink with your enemy. King and Code, no wonder you always lose your battles. And uh, Worf puts his ha- ha- chin up a little bit more. Tolid hours change. I don't know what that means. T-A-L-D. That's not a word, is it? H-U. Also, Q's wearing a giant ring on his pointer finger. Uh, Games need risk. Uh, Something to win, something to lose. Uh, And then Tasha starts to get irritated, so he gives her a penalty. Tasha's out in a penalty box. uh, And he says, geez, if if you don't win the game or anyone else commits a penalty... There's like there's only room for one person in penalty box, and then there's an ad. Also, so the, uh, Q's outfit is like full on. He's got like the things I don't know what they're called on the shoulders. Uh, uh, he's got that. He's got like some sort of sheep or something medallion, or I don't know. I don't know a lot about uh, Napoleonic uniforms. Uh, Double breasted. It's got stitching. It's it's got he's got everything. He's got emblems. He's got ensigns. He's got it all. Curtain rods. He's had a few. He's got medals. Yeah, one of the medals on the center of his chest. It looks like a sheep with a crown and some wheat. Like wheat, like a crown weighing wheat and a sheep, which maybe makes sense. Like a French crown, you know, weighs your weighing your sheep to tax you or something. Uh, but let's see. Your face. This is some of the dialogue that was important. Riker says, "Oh, you're still fascinated with the human past. Uh, maybe you're not that original." And Q says, "Al contraire, uh, it's the human future that intrigues us and should concern you most. You of all species cannot abide stagnation. A change is at your heart, uh, and what are you going to change into?" And Data says, that is what humans call a truism. And Q means not original. And Riker says, well, you're the one that said it. And he goes, this isn't human. This is a weird planet. This isn't part of human past or future. And Q says, true, I took it out of your captain's mind. It's the the dressing for the game we're going to play. Now we'll figure out the rules and rewards, familiar setting, that sort of thing. And then Data says, this is a Napoleonic era from Europe, late 18th century, early 19th century. Campaign headquarters, tent, French Army Marshal. And Riker says, oh, Marshal outranks even an admiral. And Q says, of course, dude. And uh, he goes, well, this is a weird Napoleonic equipment on an alien planet with twin moons. And Q says, see, I got imagination, twin moons. Uh, he doesn't actually do any twin mooning, but he goes, 
The game should reflect that. Maybe a test of strength. Uh, well, he goes, you don't have any strength. A test of intelligence? No. Something to win, something to lose. And Riker says, well, what if we win? And Q says, the greatest future you can imagine, which, of course, uh, means if you lose, it's not going to be great. Uh, and Worf says, if the game is fair, we'll win. And Q says, fairness is a human concept. Think imaginatively. The game shall be, in fact, completely unfair. And all Sasha says is you've gone too far, and she gets a penalty for that, which I think is like a pretty uh, uh, strict uh, and unkind. Uh, then there's a commercial. Then uh, Picard's alone on the ship. Uh, crew has to deal with Q, who wants to play a high- Oh, no, this is a story summary. So Picard's alone on the ship. Uh, crew is dealing with Q, who wants to play this high-stakes game. Tosh is at risk, but there's a big reward. And uh, then back at the ship in the net, uh, ding, there was a bell sound at some point. I couldn't figure that out, Uh, or maybe it was my imagination. Picard's on the deck. He's pacing or he's looking for something. He sits. He says, Captain's log, but the computer's so slow. And Picard says, damn it, can't even make a freaking, can't even record my thoughts. And then Tasha's behind him. She says, I wish I could help. And Picard's like, what? And he turns around, and we'll get to the dialogue. Very high. Oh, this is a moment when I thought, is, he, is everybody high or what? Because uh, Tasha starts crying from frustration. It just, there was something, I mean, maybe it was just like a way to let us know that this was Q's illusion. But even Tasha seemed to be out of character, crying. Yeah, this was, oh yeah, there's a lot of highness here. Because she's like, it's so frustrating to be controlled like this. Uh, and then she's mad at herself. Uh, no standing order. Oh, no standing order on the bridge. Uh, no, no, something about in a penalty, when in the penalty box, you can cry. And, to, and then she says to him, this was real, like, uh, she goes, if, oh, if you weren't a captain, like in a romantic sense, she says, if you weren't a captain, uh, I put what double question mark? Uh, Q characterizes that he's a sitting with a cane. A Q something that he's he's sitting with a cane. He's watching. He's criticizing. Polely over Q seems mad or fed up. Uh, I think he's getting mad at Picard's like a genuine helping of Tatasha without any wanting anything anything in return. Uh, Picard pats Tasha gently, then he walks down to the lower bridge, and he's staring at Q. Oh, that was a good moment. Let's see. Uh, but it's just something emotionally off about the scene, and even Tasha's, like, she is very, uh, in touch with her, 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 her being. Uh, but just something off about the scene where he says, uh, because even, uh, Q says, what are you, fraternizing with lower officers, uh? And he goes, oh, then Q turns off the penalty box. But, yeah, let's see what time code this is. Captain Picard is like 1450. He stares, really stares hard as he walks down to the lower bridge the whole time. At Q, he goes, oh, Mr. Marshal of France, Mr. Hotshots. Uh, and then this word, re-clevers, something, we'll see. Uh, takes the job he gets. Q seems to be about to crack up with joy. I'm going to have to look at the dialogue. 
starts messing with Picard's stuff. He he's like sitting in Picard's chair, touching like the captain's log and stuff. Uh, then at fifteen thirty-seven, Picard's got this like his hand on his chin, and then he gets really amused. Uh, he goes, "Oh, you're going to take on Riker this time? Excellent!" He's almost laughing. Then they make a bet. Uh, like, uh, you know, if, if he wins, he gets to hang with Riker. If he loses, he's got to leave humanity alone forever. Again, my handwriting. Q Confid, C-O-N-F-I-D. Confident. I guess I just didn't finish the language. Uh, Picard's kind of chewing on his bottom teeth as, like, Q heads off. Uh, well, then there's an interesting cut. It, it close-ups on Picard, then it just cuts right to a close-up on Geordi, and they pull back. He's got a furrowed bow. Let's see. Uh, a Marshal of France, ridiculous. That's what it was. And uh, he says, uh, Q says, I take what jobs I can get. For example, uh, Star, though, then he starts messing. He goes, this is like, he said, like Captain's Log. This is Q. He goes, Captain's Log, uh, I'm a butthead. My name's Picard, you know, stuff like that. And he goes, you're stuck here, Picard, like an insect in amber, while your crew plays out a game to test if your first officer is worthy of the greatest gift that Q can offer. And that's when they make their bet. Uh, then, I mean, actually, this episode now in the recap has got a lot of good moments. I was wrong. Because uh, then we're back, Jordy close up. Jordy's leaning against a rock, and uh, he says, can you see Worf? And Data says, oh, yeah, and the third ridge, moving along. Uh, and then Worf does this action run. Like, he does, like, a fake left and a fake right. He's, like, it's really cool. I mean, everything Worf does is cool. He's spying on the French soldiers who are, like, half pet, half soldiers. Uh, strange, very strange, again. Where I'm like, what is happening here? And they have a little encampment with their Napoleonic tents and cannons and stuff. And then we're at Picard's office, and Q, Q's feet are up. Uh, oh, also, oh, no, wait. At the end, Worf runs back. Then Picard goes into his office. Q's got his feet up on his desk, reading his papers. No, he's reading Illustrated Shakespeare, Globe Shakespeare. And Ricardo's like, why do you gotta? Uh, why can't we just discuss this? Why do you have to like play games? And Q goes, uh, the play is the game. I'm surprised you have to even ask, as I read Shakespeare, who put it so well. And Ricardo says, well, Shakespeare had more than one viewpoint. And he goes, uh, then Q says, all the galaxies a stage. And Picard says, world. And he goes, oh, you know that one. He goes, well, if we were living now, he would have said galaxy. And then uh, he says, uh, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets upon his hour on the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And Picard's kind of, like, Picard definitely is, like, uh, cues out of his league with Picard. Because uh, Picard says, uh, you know, he just kind of schools Q. Q. But Q's like, I could do some Hamlet. And Picard says, oh, well, how about the irony in Hamlet? I, I say with conviction, what a piece of work is human. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, 
how admirable in action, how like an angel, the apprehension, how like a god, or something. And then Q says, oh, you think you're, you think human, this is again like a little human jingoism. Did I put that in the notes? If I did, it like I wouldn't be able to read my own handwriting. Oh yeah, Hamming Hamlet. There's a Q stands, uh, seems nervous. He throws the illustrated globe of Shakespeare at Picard and then vanishes. But yeah, oh, Picard says, oh, like, uh, maybe humans will be like this one day. And Q says, you don't think that's going to happen. And he goes, is that what you're afraid, that we'll ascend to godhood or something? And that's when he takes off. And then we're back on the planet. Jordy, uh, Riker, and Data are getting ready for the soldiers to come. And they're kind of talking about their weapons, their muskets. And Data's like, you know, they're muskets, man. We got nothing to worry about. Uh, Riker tests out his phaser. And he's like, oh, yeah, they, they got no chance against us. And what do they say? Well, I don't think it does that sound right with Q. Oh, and right after he tests it, Worf runs out of hiding. This is another one. What time is it? Like, uh, it's 1940. He rushes out, uh, like, because he hears the the banging. And, like, uh, he says, drop your weapons. And they say, they say, oh, boy, Worf, you're really on edge. He says, this is a warrior's reaction. And then he kind of reports on what he's seen, you know, that they're in uniform, but they're not human. They're some sort of pet. And they're moving in, and Data said, he, Riker says, Data, if you got a theory of what's going on, and then Q appears, like Data turns, and then Q is dressed as Data, which is totally weird, even for Riker. And Q says, think fast and move fast, Riker. And then he pulls Riker aside, and then Jordy has to deal with the like the, the musket dudes. Riker, Riker takes care of business, and Jordy's hiding out. And then Q says, this is your chance. Uh, may, he goes, transport them back to the ship. And Riker says, really? You let me beam them? He goes, send them the same way I can. I've given you the Q power. Uh, don't you get it? You're, and he shows him how, like, the hand move, where you take your palm facing towards the ground, and then you turn it up facing towards the heavens. That's the power of the Q. Huey Lewis once sang a song about it, I think. Uh, it was around the same time, the 87 or something. And then Q, Riker does it, and it works. He does the power of the Q, and he transports everybody back to the ship, uh, stares at his hand. He says, oh, boy. I thought, you know, with uh, Troy not being here, I was thinking of something else with his hand. Uh, then post-break, Enterprise is facing the net, uh, Q and Nat vanishing bridge. Uh, Tasha sitting, she's moving her hands, power comes back on. Picard comes out of his office says, power back on? Say, oh yeah, we're back online. And they call engineering and look like, oh no, we, we were never offline. Uh, just a Q-style illusion. It's as though we never stopped. Uh, then the crew comes back, uh. And Picard says, where's Commander Riker? And they say, well, geez, we were under, this was a really, really weird moment, uh, too. Because they say, we're we're dealing with these animal French soldiers. uh, And Picard says, Data, what what do you think? And he goes, you may find it uh, aesthetically unpleasing. 
I could just file a computer report on that. It's just so weird. Aesthetically displeasing. I could just file a report on that. And they say, geez, what about Riker? He go, they go, oh, I expect he's okay. Q has an interest in him. That's what Picard says. And they say, what interest? He goes, well, I wish I knew exactly. But he goes, we got to proceed with this rescue. And then we get a, a pretty deep acting scene. We see footprints in the sand. Then we see Riker. He has a, a very stoned laugh, a hearty stoned laugh. He's sitting on a rock with his back on the rock. And there's like a lot, you notice in Star Trek, there's a lot of standing, like when you're leaning on your knee talking too. Yeah, what is this? He's staring at the heavens, uh, laughing hysterically, 2340. Looks like it looks like he's off his gourd. And then let's see what it says here. Uh, Q's like, what are you laughing about? And he goes, uh, you, you're a joke. He goes, really, I gave you the gift of the cue, and you're laughing at me. You got no gratitude and no appreciation. Saved your friends. He goes, uh, don't you understand? You could go back to the ship or Earth or wherever you want. Uh, and Riker says, what do you need, Q? And I guess this is where I don't want to, like, where a lot of watching this pays off. Because, uh, well, I'll tell you in the, the visual, but right now let's do the dialogue. He goes, you really need, you're in desperate need of something. What is it? Uh, and Q goes, I don't need anything from Earthlings. He goes, you're starting to sound like your captain. And then Riker says, well, that's a compliment, but not an answer. And Q says, I'm giving you a gift. Uh, and Riker says, sure, for out right of the goodness of your heart or something else. Uh, and he goes, uh, Q says, well, after Farpoint, I went back to the, where we're from, the Q Continuum. And Riker says, where is that exactly? He goes, oh, limitless dimensions of the galaxy in we, we, which we exist. And Riker says, I'm sorry. He goes, yeah, you don't, you can't understand it. Uh, but you will when you become one of us. Uh, and Riker says, what? Uh, and he goes, Can, quit interrupting me, Q says. Uh, how am I, how am I going to teach you about the nature of the universe? Uh, he goes, when we first saw you, we thought you were just, you know, regular mammals. But then we uh, saw you were unusual by your limited ways. Uh, and he goes, at some point, you know, you won't be limited by time and space, maybe. And Riker says, that's right, we're growing. Something compels us to learn, explore. And Q's like, right, the human compulsion. Uh, unfortunately for us, he goes, it's going to get stronger and stronger eon after eon. Riker says, eons, eh? How far will we advance? And Q says, a future you cannot yet conceive, even beyond us, maybe. So you've got to be prepared for it. That's why we selected you. So you can bring us this human need and hunger so we can understand it. And Riker says, I guess you mean that as a compliment, or maybe it's just my limited mind. Uh, he goes, but I, to be a part of you, I don't even like you. And Q says, you're going to miss me. Yeah, but let's see. Let's do the notes in the run-through visually. You know, there's lots of strategic arm crossing, and Q turns his back, uh, puts his finger up after four, far point. At some point, Riker stands when he says, become a part of you. I don't even like you. You're going to miss me. Like, if you watch this whole scene and you watch Riker's face, at the, some point the, the t you, see, you do see where he gets tempted. Uh, it's very subtle. I don't know the exact moment because it was earlier today I was watching it. 
uh, when Riker says, or when Q's kind of talking about the future of humanity, like for a brief second before he rejects Q, he, you could see where he actually does hook Riker. Like right now, Riker's looking at him. They both have their hands on their knees in different ways. Q walks away, but then he pauses, walks back, turns around. And he tries his different, you know, a little soft sell, I think. At first, Riker's smiling. Out of the goodness of your heart, fingers up by Q, sits next to Riker real close. A little bit softer. A little bit gentler. Talking about, and, and this gets Riker's attention. What do you mean exactly? And then we get some close-ups. Uh, Riker says, I don't understand. Riker, Riker's eyes are gray. Uh it was the first time I noticed that. No wonder blue-gray. No wonder he's got that swagger. So, yeah, some moment in there he hooks uh, Riker. Uh, then Picard, Wes, and the crew show up unarmed on the planet. Uh, French, you know, French animal soldiers are coming. They, they do a bugle fanfare. Picard's yelling. I couldn't tell if he was yelling at Riker or at... Uh, the bugler, he said, and he says, where's Q? He points, and he says, if you have an answer, I couldn't tell if he was pointing at Riker or, like, this is when, this rest of the episode, Picard is really upset with Riker. And it just felt like it was a little bit, it was hard for me to grasp the level, I mean, unless you go into the, look, like, thematic thing of a father and a son, and that, the, like, so, so there is that thematic thing, but it's just like, uh, up until now, I didn't absorb that uh, the trickster Q or whatever is trying to seduce, you know, Picard's son essentially away from him uh, with this temptation of becoming like and a crew member, his essential crew member, to becoming a Q member. Say, so, what, what, what is that a members only jacket? No, it's a Q member jacket. Uh, it's new. It's from the Q Continuum shop. Uh, Okay, what do you tell you? So, okay, so anyway, we're back on the planet. Let's see. French, this French soldiers start coming. Worf goes, uh, like, totally Worf style. And then he lies down. Uh, then Wes goes to his aid, and Wes, Riker says, no, 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 no. Holy cow, what is this handwriting? To he like a pebby pebbyous team team. With godlike powers, kicks it, Daddy Yu Yu. It's really what the notes say. You know, if you're a five dollar patron, you get these notes. Uh, Daddy Yu Yu, D D U U, kid that as Riker drops the Q shield. Okay, net. So, uh, I don't know what Pebius means though. Pebius team team. But Riker says, no, no, damn it, uh, to him. Pebius team team with godlike powers kicks it. Daddy, you, you. Kid that. As, and then he drops the Q shield net. That's at 28 minutes. Oh, he does this great throw up uh, where he throws his hands in the air. He throws the net up uh, like uh, something out of like a musical. And then he does it again and everybody... I, I, I thought of like a moment that probably doesn't exist in Tom. I don't know why I thought it was Tommy the musical, but like where you pretend it's like almost like if you had a handful of, uh, what's that stuff called? The sparkly stuff, uh, 
sprinkles. No, they're not sprinkles. Uh, the shimmering glitter. And you reach down like you were pulling the glitter out of the earth, and then you swept it upwards and outwards, throwing it into the air. I guess Joe probably used to do that a lot on uh, Arrested Development. Riker does it with the Q power. Very Tommy or something. And that's not all. Then he, like, so he does it once with the net to protect them, then once back to the ship. Uh, and then everyone finds themselves on the bridge. But let's run through some of them, uh, if there's any interesting dialogue. Uh, oh, Wes is like, Commander Riker, what's happening? I was at school. And then uh, Wesley, no, damn it, damn it to hell. That's what Riker says. Uh, Oh, once he puts up the force field, that's when Picard says, Riker, you, you did that. And then Riker says, and that's not all, Dad. I think that's probably what I meant. Daddy, Daddy, you, you. Yeah, like, probably because the dynamic was like, Picard is not happy. And Riker's like, I got the Q powers, Dad. Take that. And then this was, again, like this, Riker's standing on the bridge, very straight. His arms are crossed. He's very proud in a negative kind of unhumble way. His chin's up. This is at, uh, what minute are we at here? 28 minutes. Very, uh, because it's those grid, the wounds, only the Q could do that. And uh, Riker's very, he's really, uh, Data's staring at him in shock, uh, Card looks off again, and then an ad break comes. But Picard doesn't like it. Uh, only the Q can do that. Oh, yeah, Picard turns, and then dram- very dramatic music. That was another thing. The music gets better, and, uh, like, this was very uh, early, I mean, like, late 80s, 87 style, some of this, uh, like, uh, melodramatic music, uh, uh, then we got Captain's Log. The Enterprise is heading towards the planet. The planet's looking great. Uh, like, it really stands up to the test of time. The, like, uh, the visual shots. Uh, it's like partially in sunlight and partially not. Uh, then we go uh, Captain's Log. Uh, you know, they're headed, they're 12 minutes out from getting dealing with this mining trouble. And uh, they need help. First officer, uh, William T. Riker, needs help just as badly. But this is uh, a subject out of my experience, out of any human's experience. And then they're in uh, Picard's office. Uh, He goes, "Uh, what am I going to tell you? He goes, you know the implications. And Riker goes, "Uh, no one's offered to turn me into a god before. And he goes, I thought you roll. And they said, no, no, talk about that right now. And he goes, well, what the Q's offered you, he goes, uh, he goes, it's true. I guess it's a limitless power, it seems like. Uh, and Riker goes, yep. Uh, Ricard says, geez, if you're going to refuse, he goes, are you going to keep it or refuse it? Because if you refuse it, you shouldn't use it again. It's too great a temptation for humans right now. Uh, the wisdom of Ricard. And Riker says, are you worried that I won't be able to say no, Papa? And Picard says, are you strong enough to refuse it? And he goes, oh, yeah. And then Picard says, no matter how tempted, maybe it's just they were short on time this episode because uh, there's a lot to do in 15 minutes. He goes, no matter how hard Q makes it, and Riker goes, you got my word. And Picard says, don't disappoint me, son. I mean, more or less. Uh, and then they're ready to beam down.
Let's see, Riker in the office. He's standing at Picard's desk, hands clasped, arms on desk, leaned in. Will, how the hell do I advise you? Picard stands, you know as well as I. They talk face to face. Picard's very stern. Riker conducts total eye contact. Uh, we see the globe illustrated its back and it's uh, placed by the door and it's a little glass thing. And Data says, we're ready to leave bound. They go into the mine. And at first, Riker, there's a door that's stuck. Riker tries to open it, and then he says, Data, you take it. Uh, just a little awkward. They find some huddled people. Uh, Jordy finds some rocks that got to get moved, so Data moves the rocks, the asphalt, and concrete. And they're like, if only we got here sooner, we'd be able to be more useful. And Data says to Riker, if you only had that kind of power... And Dr. Crush is like, what are you guys talking about? And uh, Riker says, I can't change time. I can't break a promise I had to Dad and, you know, sneak the car or whatever. And it was super, super dramatic 80s music. Most dramatic 80s music ever, I put. Then we see the ship in orbit. Then we're on the bridge. And father and son have a showdown now. And again, maybe it's the episode before that this was leading up to this, or maybe I just, like, I'm tuned out. Uh, but Riker's not happy with Dad. He says, I shouldn't have made that deal with you, Dad. I could have saved everything. Picard says, I was right, you know, to, to tell you to keep a promise. Uh, can't get used to this godlike power. And Riker goes, oh, yeah, I can. I can control the power, Dad. I totally can. And Picard goes, you, what if you like it too much? And Riker goes, as soon as it's convenient, Captain, I want a meeting with you and your staff. Uh, and Picard says, once we're done uh, with this operation, I'll discuss this with you. But Riker, as he's saying that, White Riker just wa walks right off, like breaking all sorts of rules, I would assume. Uh, let's see what else my notes say. Bad music. Silent face-off with Picard. Again, seems like everybody's stoned in this episode. Exchange with bad music. Riker rebellious, like a rebellious child. Then we're in orbit, and then Riker just rolls right back in. So it was a weird... They may have cut a scene here. Because uh, Riker just strolls back in. There's ominous music. And then there's, like, an alpha dog off. Like, who's alpha of the ship? And it's, like... Uh, I guess this thematically carrying forward... Uh, in developing Riker is important. What happens next? Because he gets, uh, it's not his ship. Uh, Jean-Luc Picard's uh, glare scowl turn. Uh, and then uh, he sits as he coolly pulls his shirt back down. And then Wesley and Dr. Crusher show up for this meeting with Riker. Riker makes this big presentation. Everyone's arms are crossed. And we'll go through the dialogue and stuff, but uh, Picard has to clip Will's, Will's wings, uh, and the crew helps that. Uh, so what happens is uh, a crew, Riker uh, says, geez, I can make all your dreams come true. Is that, or maybe that didn't happen yet. Oh, no, that doesn't happen. Let's see what happens here. Uh, El Picard says, geez, like, I, I know you have a tough decision here. So that's why I let you meet with my staff. And he goes, oh, of course, Jean-Luc. Riker says that. And at first, Riker lets it slide. And uh, Riker says, I know I got all these powers and everything, but I'm not, you know, this is, I'm just mad. I just have godlike powers. I'm same William T. Riker. But everyone's like, Ugh. 
And Picard goes, everyone knows ultimate power corrupts. Uh, Riker goes, absolutely. Don't you think I've thought of that, Jean-Luc? And Picard says, since when, other than five seconds ago, are we on a first-name basis? He goes, number one. He goes, something's already going on. And Riker said, yeah, I should have used my power more to help more people. And Picard says, yeah, but this whole situation was by the queue, so you wouldn't have had to use the power if they didn't set a situation where you needed to use the power. And the crew kind of says, you know, oh, geez, you know, we don't need godlike powers. We're humans. And Riker says, no, Tasha says something like that. He says, they love us. The cube loves us. They admire us. And Jordy says, I don't know. Maybe they just don't like us. And Picard says, no, they love us. And you're, you're Jordy, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't you? Doesn't anyone understand this incredible gift? Then there's a commercial on Picard's Galaire. Then, or no, at some point Q shows up. He goes, let us pray for my brother or something. He goes, are these really your friends? And Q's dressed as a monk, uh, like uh, even with like the rope thing and the sandals, rope belt, music, uh, and a cool zoom to his smiling face. Uh, and then it goes to Picard's Galaire. Yeah, then Q says, let's pray for understanding and compassion. And Riker said, or Picard says, let us do no such damn thing. You and your costume have no integrity or something. Uh, he goes, don't you have any uh, identity of your own? And Q says, I'm searching for the truth. Uh, he goes, and then Picard says, uh, and Q says, you're blasphemous. And Picard says, don't you, this is a great scene. Picard says, don't you see, Riker? He's nothing but a flim-flam man. He's been like that since Farpoint. And then Worf goes, flim-flam. And Q goes, you're just jealous of Riker, man. You're jealous your son's outshining you now. He goes, you just can't comprehend it like Will can. He goes, you're not his friend. Uh, you're trying to keep him from his great adventure, or the greatest adventure for any human. And then Picard sees his opening because he goes, wait a second. Like he still has a chance to change his mind. And the Q goes, oh, you're so jealous. He goes, uh, Riker, you love everybody. Show them how much you love them. Uh, give them a gift to prove your affection. And Riker's hooked at this point. Uh, he's, he's had too much sugar almost. And he says, yeah, there'd be no harm if I gave everybody a gift, right? And Q goes, oh, it's so sweet asking your captain, can I give happiness to my friends, sir, please, sir? And Picard already, he, he's like, go for it. Well, he goes, uh. If anybody wants to cooperate with him, go right ahead. But, I mean, I guess, like, because this is written, but it's just like, oh, man, Picard really knows. He can see many steps ahead of most people. And Data goes, are you sure, sir? He goes, oh, I'm sure. Go ahead, Will. Go for it. Don't. And Riker says, don't be frightened, everybody. He's turned into, like, a, a guru, actually. He goes, there's no way I could harm you. Shall I guess your dreams? And Dr. Crusher is like, Wesley, we're leaving. And then Riker says, Wesley, you're the best. We've talked. We're friends. And Dr. Crusher's like, no, no, no. Leave Wesley out of it. He goes, have your favorite wish, my young friend. Which I don't think was his deepest wish, to be honest. He turns Wesley into like a like a hunk, I guess. Like a, He's got like giant hands. And he looks a bit like a Ken doll or something. Oh, I put a himbo with giant hands. And then, this was weird, Jordy, like, uh, 
it gets this one where, and I see people's comment about Jordy. Jordy like hits on Wesley, or just makes this salacious comment. Goes whoa, whoa, Wes, uh, check it out, or something like a va va voom, or something bizarre. And uh, data then data data eyes are extra green because then he says, "Data, you want to be a human?" And uh, data says, "Not this way." He goes, I don't want to compound one illusion with another. It might be real to Q or even to you, but it won't be to me. He goes, isn't one of Catherine, Captain's favorite authors say, this above all to thy own self be true? Sorry, Commander, I decline. And then he goes over to Jordy. He goes, I know what you want, Jordy. And he waves his hand over Jordy's eye and takes off his visor. And I didn't know if he removed, he gave Jordy the power of sight, but also, like, the, the most interesting thing to me from the pilot is that for Jordy to see what the visor causes him pain, you know. And maybe that's why I try to give Jordy so many breaks, but then he really throws away my break right away because he, again, acts like kind of like a, he, like, immediately looks, he looks at a planet, then he looks at Tasha. And it's just inappropriate. And I mean, period. He goes, "You're as beautiful as I imagined, and more." And then Riker says, "Okay, let's throw this visor out." And then Jordy says, "No, the price is too high, and I don't want to thank Q. Make me back." Then Riker tries to seduce. Uh, then yeah, Riker tries to seduce Worf with a. What is he a Vulcan? No, is is that what he is? I can't. Why do like a. Uh, like with a, a female mate, and uh, you guess it. Yeah, Dave, Jordy really. This episode was not Jordy's high moment because uh, uh, we see like Worf interact, and and then he says, "No, no, no, she's from a world now alien to me." And then Jordy says, "Worf, is this your idea of sex?" And Worf actually says, "Yeah, but uh, it's I have no place for it in my life now." And then Q shames him. He says, oh, no place for sex, microbrain. And then Wesley says, you know what, Riker, make me back to a kid. I'd rather get there on my own. And then Q tries to say, no, 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 Wes, stick with us. And then the illusion is broken. Riker goes, geez, how did you know? He says this to Picard, I feel like such a fool. And then Picard's still clipping his wings. He says, that's right, you should. And he goes, by the way, Q, it's all over. You have no further business here. And Q tries to stand up, and he says, no, no, no. You, Picard says, you, you made a bet. Uh, and Q, this is, he, he says, I don't remember making a bet. And then Picard just yells to the universe. He goes, I'm sure all the other Qs can hear you, and that you agreed never to trouble the humans again. And he goes, I'm sure they're aware of how you messed with us at Farpoint and tempted Riker, too. And then Q starts to hear the call of the other Qs. He goes, no, 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 just one more thing. And Picard says, I think you got some explaining to do. And then uh, Q disappears. Wesley turns back. Uh, the Klingon woman vanishes. And uh, everyone's at their regular workstation, I think. And Picard says, extraordinary. Let me see what else. Worf's jaw moves a lot at the Klingon. And then he says, no, she's from world. This alien to me. I liked that. Uh, How'd you know, sir? I feel like an idiot as you should. Uh, Picard tells on Q who won't repay his bet. Uh, All's returned to normal. Extraordinary. And then uh, Jordy says, geez, we're back uh, where we were. 
And then uh, Data kind of gives us uh, the whatever epilogue or the theme. So, sir, how is it that the Q can handle time and space so well, but us so badly? Again, I really enjoy that Data's using the us as a part of the Data considers himself part of humanity. I, I don't know. I find Data endearing. So, and then Picard says, perhaps one day we'll discover that time and space are simpler than the human equation. New coordinates laid in, number one. Like, and he goes, you get that? He goes, son, you're, uh, he goes, you're still living under my roof. Get, get it? Get it good. And Riker says, I, sir. But Riker says it in a way of, like, understanding that this is my mentor, not my father. Like, I think it is, like, this readjusting of the relationship. To be like, I guess, in some way, Picard's clipping his wings within this context and kind of like saving Will from like like a whatever Aladdin genie situation, is saying, "Will, just so you know, I, I, I thought it was you know your relationship with the counselor, but I'm not your father, and this isn't our family. You know, this isn't our living room. This is a professional situation, and as a matter of fact, I have great affinity for you as your friend and mentor, but not as your father." And so I need you to trust me. I mean, that was kind of the theme of this episode. I need you to trust me that I'm in command of the ship and I'm mentoring you to one day do the same thing. And you'll have to trust this process uh, that instead of just jumping to the result, you know, be more process-based. I mean, I think that's, to me, that's what that last line is. That you got, every, got the coordinates laid in, Riker. You know, you're, you know, you, do you understand our relationship a little bit better now? In some sense, I mean, if we're to read into this, Riker does, because then he, like, this is the next stage in his development. And then uh, they say, Riker says, yep, I sent him to Jordy. And then Jordy says, I got him. And Picard says, engage. And there's this zoom. He's kicked back in his seat with a grin on his face. And the episode ends. Okay, I want to thank uh, some people who reviewed the podcast. LT Cable worked for them, had a lot on their mind, uh, and they didn't think it would work, uh, but they never got to the story. Thanks, LT Cable. Uh, Meanderous Wonderfulness. That's from Uncle Junior. I think from this Uncle Junior is from uh, Great Britain, but uh, they could be. I think I, saw, I thought they were from New Jersey originally. Meanderful wonderfulness. Suffer from anxiety. Struggle to get back to sleep when I wake up in the middle of the night. However, Sleep With Me podcast has been a lovely discovery. really helps. And they look forward to the creaky, dulcet American tones uh, in a good way to bore them to sleep. Thank you. And then L. Wesley. I don't know if that's Lieutenant Wesley. A few months ago, uh, this person had a lot going on. And there was a side effect from that, and was insomnia. And that was until they started uh, listening to this podcast. And they're so proud to say they've never made it through a single episode that good. Not only that, uh, insomnia has gone away. I don't listen to it as much now that I don't have uh, uh, sleep issues, but I'm grateful. Oh, thank you. This is really nice of you. Uh, that helped me get through the breakup period. I feel like I was having a lot going on as soon as I turned out my light. And there was the dear spore friend rambling about something hysterical enough to make me smile but still put me to sleep. So thank you. Thank you, too. Thanks, uh, Lieutenant Wesley. 
J. Roin, the Join the City. Uh, don't know what I'd do without this. But I guess it'll me through many sleepless nights. It works better than meditation. Why no, thanks. Uh, how about Peter Grrrl 3? Can't believe how well this works. Uh, I have trouble turning off my brain when I try to fall asleep, but the Sleep With Me podcast amazing. I don't know how, I can't believe how well it works. I only turn it on when I want to go to sleep, and before I know what I'm waking up. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Uh, Cagney26 says, TKO, I've been listening to podcasts for, to fall asleep for nearly a decade, but sometimes they're too interesting, and I end up listening to them, or they have loud noises. Right when I fall asleep, but, but now sleep with me. I'm down in 10 minutes, and if I do wake up, I put it right back on. Thank you. Thank you, Cagney. Shay? Yeah, I don't know if that's that. Uh, and then V from La Habra Heights, uh, get your sleep. Uh, been, come to enjoy the Sleep With Me podcast tremendously. Not only use it to help me fall asleep, I use it to get back to sleep when I wake up. Uh, we have coyotes in our neighborhood who wake me up with their howling. Oh, boy. That'll be in the intro, hopefully. Uh, sleep with me works perfectly and help me get back to sleep on those nights the uh, coyotes are trolling. And you'll enjoy your days more if you get a full night's sleep, so give it a try. I love this podcast. Thank you. Uh, Anita uh, V. Uh, from Canada says, uh, I love Scooter Drew. Thanks. Uh, chronic long-term insomnia. Tried everything. Relaxing, meditation, visualization, podcast, zero effect. But sleep with me works. Sometimes I want to listen to the stories because they're good. Uh, Scooter's voice is so soothing and restful. It sends me drifting every time. Brilliant, a lifesaver. Thank you. Uh, Kaylin DC, my boyfriend, a life changer. For those of us who suffer from racing thoughts when trying to fall asleep or wake up in the middle of the night, podcast, a life changer. And I put on my sleep phones and drift off to sleep listening to my boyfriend. I believe in this show so much it became a monthly supporter. Thank you. Thank you for the support. Wow. And the kind review. How about Ding 1016? Oddly perfect podcast. Uh, I've been listening for months now. Went back about a year and have almost caught up on the episode. Scoot's tone of voice and slightly odd way of telling stories is comical and relaxing. You could listen to the whole episode if you want, but you could also doze straight away and not remember a thing. Love it. Thank you. And then uh, Katie to the H to the I to the B's. I uh, can't recommend enough. Uh, if you can't shut your brain off, this is the cure. The host is your nighttime buddy that will distract you and put you to sleep with no pressure. He's very charismatic. Oh, boy, tell that to my uh, uh, people in every, every moment of my life. Uh, answer the anxious person's prayer. Thanks, Katie. And thanks, everybody, that reviewed the show. You could do it over at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash iTunes. Uh, thanks and good nights.